check, check, okay. I'm back, guys. I apologize for the delay on this one, but I am officially a year behind now. DVR 2022 is happening right now, and I am still here editing DVR 2021, believe it or not. Uh, that's just the way it, it has gone. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not complaining, I'm just explaining. Let me, let me tell you why this takes so long. Okay, because first of all, I'm doing I'm doing it all myself, and uh, and my structure right now is I go out and I shoot a trip with my friends, and I, I just I shoot everything. I just try and get every little scene as it unfolds as best I can with the equipment that I have, and then we come back here after it's all said and done, and we sit down and we do an interview and we talk about the trip, and then we talk about life and anything that pops into our heads, and then. I take those components and I, I distill them down into a story as best I can. And I make this video, which I think this structure could be the future of a really great travel show. Okay, because it's the most authentic exposition I personally believe you can give to this lifestyle or just group of friends, whatever you want to call it. And also, it, even if it's not, I think about this all the time. When I see an old 8mm or 16mm clip of the 60s or 70s of these guys on their bikes in a group riding somewhere or camping somewhere or just in a garage, I, I, it's so valuable to me and I love it so much and I always want to know more. I want to know what they're thinking. I wish I could hear them, hear the bikes hear the stories, you know, and, um, and I think about it now and I go, well, why don't I just do it now and catch it on the way out? We got a little bit of it on the way in. Okay. There were those guys that, that, that did that. And, and, and we're probably the last group quite possibly that could, that gets to enjoy these old machines the way that we do and span distance on them. So, I really want to catch it on the way out is all that I'm saying. And this is the best and most authentic way that I've found you can do that. It's not the same if you bring a van full of camera gear and a guy, a crew of guys who don't know shit about traveling on old bikes. It's just, it's invasive. I'm trying to be evasive with a camera. Okay. Anyway, I don't even remember my point. I think it was just that the shit takes a long time. And to the point where now that I'm editing, I'm getting very much, I'm getting much more particular. And I have gone to the point where I've built a sound package with a very great company called Pro Sound, where we, we have recorded a, a good collection of antique Harley Davidsons, all aspects of the bike from the primary to the exhaust, the tappets, bottom end, you know, everything. Uh, to recreate the sound of these bikes because wind is a huge problem when I'm shooting, but all of that takes time. These edits take forever. And if you're an editor, go buy that sound package, okay? Because it's really fucking good. I'm very proud of it. And uh, and also, help me, <laughs> okay? I need your help. If you're an editor, oh my God, we could be cranking these things out be way ahead. I just I can't do it all myself on a on a reasonable timeline okay but no more excuses before we get to more of this story 
with my good friend Tom Jones. Go to my store on my website right now and check out any of the goods that I have on there because the thing that makes this show possible is I sell, I collaborate with American-made brands to bring a specific item to the market for all of us who ride bikes or love the, you know, that aspect of the culture, 60s bikers shit. I'm very proud of everything that we have on there. Anything from the boots to the denim to the... My book is on there. Grab a copy of my book because this production run is getting very close to being done and I don't know if they will ever print another run of these books. And if they don't, well, you're fucked. So get one while you can. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Enough about that. We got to get to this interview because it's six hours long. And that's because Tom Jones and I who's been a dear friend of mine for the last 12 years, we had a lot of catching up to do, okay? And we sat down here in these chairs and we just hashed it out. Everything that popped into our heads, we talked about. And that's what I love about Tom so much. We could go for days and days. And this interview is long, I warn you. But it's good because we get in there. We talk about everything from, you know, I... I, he, it had been so long since we talked. Tom has gone through this this sea change in his life where as an adopted individual, at 40 years old, he met his family for the first time. Right at the point when most of us would be losing family, his doubled after living a life without knowing who they were. And that story is remarkable. He, I'll, I'll just, not a spoiler alert, he'll tell it, but he was sitting in the same room as his family at times and didn't even know it that can happen among adopted people and i hear that's a conversation that they had so we talk about that we talk about his career as a as a designer tom is a designer of all things okay but furniture is is what he's most known for in in the mid-century world or or just all of furniture design but he he has incredible mid-century line and that's what he's most known for but in the bike world you know him he's had many bikes in different shows on the grass at Born Free. He does drag racing. He builds drag bikes for individuals. He has that as a career. He's just lived a lot of lives. He's a very passionate and and intense person who goes after it. If he sees something that he wants, he dives in 199%. And if there was another 1%, he'd give it. And that's just that's just my buddy Tom Jones, and I, I love him for it. He's one of the most fascinating humans. I love riding motorcycles with this guy, and I always have. That was our first. That was how we first came together. Was over art and bikes all that time ago, and and we just had such a good time in those formative years that we we talk about. We cover that among any among many things in this six hour conversation. Please. Give it your time. Take a break. Come back to it if you have to. But uh, get to know my buddy Tom, okay? Because it's worth it. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for your patience. Let's let's get after it, okay, everyone? Tom Jones, buckle up. Hirely myself, twisted every nut and bolt. You know, didn't build the engine. I wasn't doing engines and transmissions at that point. But, like, put that bike together. We are riding it. And 
the noises you hear, trying to adjust to the sounds, one of those by, and then, you know, when you're riding, the wind will change, and then all of a sudden, it'll be like, ding, 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 and you'll hear, like, panheads are noisy to begin with because of that rocker box and the echo and stuff, so the, I wind, will, the, wind, the wind will change, and then you'll hear the, the rocker going and it'll sound like the engine's about to fuck them. It, that that was the I hardest thing to get used to yeah i hate yeah. the sound of panheads but shovel heads are just as fucking noisy i everybody's no, always like oh shovel heads are so much quieter my shovel head is probably the loudest fucking engine i've ever had dude just grab the push rod it, <laughs> when you have the push rod covers down and go back and forth like that on a panhead <laughs> and, and that is the sound that that drives me fucking crazy it could be the sound of your 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 lifter about to blow up. That's probably it. That's what my mind tells me yeah, for yeah, a second. Yeah. But clearly, this last trip we did, lifters were fine. I do I do want to replace those soon. The crazy the craziest thing about riding these things is, n- no matter how many thousands of miles you spend on them, you worry about the exact same shit every. I'm always convinced my wheel bearings are going to fail and the whole front wheel is going to fall off the bike. Always. Yeah. I think about it literally every hour that we ride. Every I, 60 miles. I give them a I shake. I think about it every 10. And then another fear that I have is that my my bang-in riser setup that comes out of the springer legs is they're going to pull out. So I'm always, if you ever notice, you'll notice it now, but like you every check. once in a while, I'll like pull on my handlebars to yeah. see if they shake. That's That would be a terrifying feeling. And every time I do it, they don't shake. And I'm like, what am I fucking doing? I mean, I put these things in there. They are smashed in there. There's set screws holding them in. They are, it would that take scared, an act of God. That scares me about out. those Stellings too, yeah. because they're angled up. The Stellings are freaky. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about that. And I do, I do give it a little push forward and back sometimes. Yeah, but Flanders risers. So every, you know, I don't run Flanders anymore after Dallin snapped on the road. I mean, yeah. you weren't there for that, but me and Dallin are coming around Airport Way, yeah. right by Boeing Field. She told me about that. And fucking, we're riding. We're taking, we just went to Randy's, I think it was, to have like, you know, a breakfast or something. We're leaving Randy's. We're coming back towards Georgetown, right? Yeah. And we're taking this mild corner and he's on my right. And he's like half a bike in front of me, right? Yeah. And he just fucking goes off the road, just over the up the sidewalk, like off the fucking road. And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm turning, and I'm looking at him like, what the fuck? And so I spin around, I go back, and he's sitting there with his bars completely turned one eighty, and he's him. just like, <laughs> and his fucking stud on the riser had just sheared no. off. And I went I home. Hate these stories. I so went. Much. I went home that day. Took my Flanders off and put solid dog bones on. I'm like. No fucking way. So <laughs> no fucking way I'm running Flanders anymore. They're cool as shit. I love Flanders too, but I, no I, I my mind is immediately worst case scenarios mm-hmm. on all these things we talk about. If we had not been in that slow bend, or imagine we had or been on in an overpass yeah, or with some a weird wall? thing, dude. I- anything or like fucking a car because Georgetown out. is all dude bur- Jer- Jersey barriers. He got so lucky that day i can't i I mean i I know that shook him and it shook me i was just like and i would have just watched him fucking crash into something like the front row seat oh you know jesus and of course you step on the brake you straighten out you're just you it's so helpless you know if that ever happens just reach down and grab your grab i think he did i think he grabbed the uh the bottom of the riser and just kind of like tried to turn it a little bit but he was able to slow down we were probably only going like 40 you know nick and i my i snapped one side of my springer with with my wife on the back i remember you showing i didn't know nick was on the bike she was on the bike 
I, I, in hindsight, when I think about it, I think her weight on the back actually stabilized it. So when, just so I know for future reference for when my Springer snaps. Yes. How bad is it when it snaps? It's alarming. Um, cause you, you can imagine the oscillation oh, yeah, that starts yeah, yeah. to happen. But, uh, as soon as you identify what the problem is, you, you kind of, the bike is naturally pulling to one side. Right. Just go with it. <laughs> if you can, you but know, it wasn't it like stopped. catastrophic. It wasn't like the whole fucking fork leg broke. And no, then it was just a whole thing. It no, just, no, no. It just went, it just went blink. And then the, my, <laughs> my big leg is just sticking out a little bit and the things kicked over in the side and it's, it's it the front wheel kind of, yeah, it just kinks over, over and, yeah. it, and it starts oscillating and, and pulling itself basically you can't stop from pulling over because the bike just goes I'm going over here now crazy but it is it was controllable even two up yes it, i think it was more controllable two up with her weight on the back i think it allowed me to actually you know it minimized the, the front end the weight have you ever front. had like a really heavy pack on the back of your bike and yeah you, i just well yeah, just we had just it did. yeah but you get used to that and you go you do a thousand two thousand miles riding your bike that way you get home you take the pipe the back the pack off and then you go ride your bike through the neighborhoods and you're like this thing is squirrely as fuck oh it's like, crazy the front ends bouncing and and flopping it, i almost prefer having a pack or my wife on the back well i mean I, I hate being two up i just don't like having passengers so it's kind of a blessing that my wife hates motorcycles and <laughs> hates riding on them <laughs> but but uh I don't love the bag, the bag, but I love leaning against it, it's so that's fun. But I yeah. hate having that mass on the back of the bike. I love the nimble just lightness nimble of a fucking light. chopper. You yeah, know, it's yeah. just the whole deal. I don't. But have, I look forward to jumping on it without all that shit on it and ripping around the desert. Yeah, today yeah. And it's doing that it's of course that's fun. I actually took my bags off and my gas tank off. The last time I went, it was a miracle I got done with this bike. It's a miracle that you drove nineteen and a half hours to get down here to leave the day we did hey thank you tom hey um i just realized when we were rolling like something was cutting out in that first section but we're good now except we had a full battery and if you look now we have one bar so i may have to switch the battery i don't know what well, let's do that because i'm gonna thing. blow my nose you're gonna blow your nose yeah okay let's cut i'm gonna blow. do a little nose blow Ooh. oh my god you're so right You do. Well, my wife, they call my wife, my wife's alter ego when she's being a super bitch, when she's drunk, is Fran. <laughs> but my wife is a Jersey girl. She she is the real deal. My wife is a Jersey girl who literally does sound like Fran Drescher. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think, Are I we, think it was the battery failing that no? was the problem, but we're rolling now and we're rolling? we might've lost that, that beginning bit. Hmm. So I'm going to tell the story again. My My favorite moment. My God. Is drafting you and Dallin through. Oh, wait. This is yours. Gnarly. You can have any. You can have all these. I picked picked one up, though. No, no. I got two for you. Oh, you did? Yeah. I plan on making you talk a lot. Hey, we're good. We're good. I will be hydrated. Fuck, dude. I hate electrical or uh, digital shit. So let's run it down again. So we're, we're so drafting so say it what was what was your favorite moment first of all you told me on this trip that moment when when the temperature dropped up in Beatty and we were tucking hands between the cylinders just barely trying to hang on warming them up warming them up that reminded me 
And I, I honestly hadn't remember, remembered that moment really? in years, but God, that came back to me when I was looking at you tucking and I was like, oh my God, that was the greatest ride, the section of a ride I think I've ever done. And it was dark too when we were coming out in the windmills yeah. and it was just fucking gnarly, dude. And we were banging three, three long. Tire to tire. Tire to tire. You were at the end, you were like, God, I was sucking your exhaust because I had those upsweeps yes. that shot it right into your face. Yes. You were like, your bike is so loud. And I, we were just shooting exhaust in my was face. I was actually watching my vision go blurry, <laughs> not not because of what I was inhaling, just because of the oil, you know, that we were blasting mm -hmm. and uh, the carbon. It was like following Nick DiPaolo. Exactly. <laughs> Something nobody ever wants to do Another for, for the record. Yeah. But, um. But when I saw our reflection in the car next to me, we looked so fucking cool. Oh, and just, you saw that just, kid. Yeah, and that little kid was in the window with his mouth open. And I could, I saw him mouth, like I could hear it through the window. Where he goes, wow. And I knew that kid was never going to be the same. Oh, my God. We can only hope that he'll wind up on DVR someday and be like, you know, I was like 14 years old and I saw these three fucking that guys. Shit happens on the world's baddest choppers. That shit. I remember <laughs> the first time I saw a chopper. I remember. Uh, I remember it. I'll remember it, too. Fucking at Dennis Hong's house. I was just like, what the fuck? That's a hell of a first chopper. Oh, my God. I didn't, know, my I didn't know what I was looking at, but I, I was I was probably like nine or ten years old mm -hmm. dodge city kansas at the rodeo and we're talking like cow folk in motorcycles are around but hey, this, I've, I've been to dodge city yeah i know exactly yeah. who was around this this is like the era of um when motorcycles are turning plastic and getting sw like monoshock swing arms and yeah the whole occ shit. Yeah, yeah, the yeah design is changing and and sport bikes are really taking like some cool lines yeah and getting popular and those are what you know, I really love to look at, but we're at the rodeo and two dudes, two up on this loud, low, like some dude violent, on dude, the dude, dude on, on dude, dude pulls into in the Dodge rodeo. city. In God, Dodge how do you city. pull that off? And they, they come in and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? No one's looking at bronc riding or anything i mean mm -hmm. hell the bronc riding is happening right there on this motorcycle and these yeah. guys are getting they're looking there's, at brokeback riding there's like, a, there's like yeah. a crowd around them and i was like something's weird this is weird what is but i sound? never forgot that and and you know the, like what was it do you have any idea, no what, idea it what it was yeah. it had to have been an old panhead or yeah, something, something like, like that yeah raked out like just looked like a weapon so like a full-on chopper oh, like full raked, on chopper. Sissy long bar. Springer, the whole deal. i didn't know what any of that shit was yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i i didn't know yeah. what i was looking at but i remember that that was the shape of it exact same exact same yeah. moment i had i remember uh, and i i'm sure i've told this story a million times but it was 2009 and uh i had been there's this kid who was working for me on capitol hill his name was john and uh nice young kid and and he lived in the uh the goblin that greenhouse that that Hans oh, lived yeah, in yeah. right so so I used to, you know, my shop was on Capitol Hill. It was a block away from the Goblin. And I would always pull my furniture out and shoot it in the street. And then I would take it in and ship it out, do all that kind of stuff. And these kids, it was like Josh Head. Yeah. Uh, uh, this kid, John. This other kid who, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Uh, and that what that, that's when they would do Art Walk on Thursdays. I think they still do it, but I, I don't pay any attention to it anymore. But, but these guys would get a banquet permit and they would put on a little 
and Dennis had come to Seattle the year before and fell in love with Seattle and fell in love with the Northwest. And he had built out, he was paying rent in this room, that room that he always lived in. Yeah, yeah. And he built himself a little bar and they would do the banquet permits and they would sit at this bar. Yeah. And so I, John came up to me one day, I was at the top of the ramp and he goes, Hey man, do you build furniture down there? And I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I've, I've walked by, I've seen you. He goes, I'm, 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 I'm unemployed right now. I'm getting unemployment. And I just kind of, I think what you're doing is cool. I, could I just come down and work for free and just like, like see what you're doing? I'm like, sweet. Yeah, let's fucking do that. Awesome. I'm like, I'll buy you lunch and do all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I got stuff you can do. So he starts coming down every once in a while. And uh, and I become, he's just the sweetest kid in the fucking world. And, and so we hit it off and he, he just talks and talks and we just hang out. I taught him how to weave. And so he would do a lot of the weaving. And so he can just kind of stand next to me while I'm working and do all that. And, and, uh, and so then I would go, he would be like, Hey, we're having an art walk on Thursday. And I would go to their house and hang out with these mm. fucking, you know, young, they were young kids, you know, I'm like probably 32 and or 30 and they're like 21, you know? And, uh, and they're living the dream. And so every time I would sit down at the bar with these kids, they would talk about this dude, Dennis from <laughs> Texas. Right. And I'm surrounded by all this chopper shit and i you know it's just at that point in time it's just gas tanks and you know there's linkers sticking out of the wall i'm like what the fuck is that thing and they're like i think that's a carburetor for an old bike <laughs> and you know dennis i mean he has flaked out helmet it just everything could, in that could room you identify that that was his bedroom at that point or did you just think well i didn't know who he was right, so right. so i'm in this room and i'm just like what is all this shit and they're like oh there's this dude from texas who pays rent to live here but he doesn't live here so he's trying to wrap up some loose ends in texas and move up here yeah. and so occasionally i would be there and he would facetime with them while they were doing art walk and so he would be at like some bar surrounded by girls with his funny hat and he would be this asian guy with a with a with a texas act it was just the, i was like the, he was the craziest thing I'd ever person I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like, that's the kid who fucking lives here. You know, he's got his glasses and a dislike thing. And so, so they were always like, Oh, you're going to love Dennis. And I'm like, well, when's he fucking coming up here? So, so months go by and John stop gets a job, stops working for me. And, but every time, and I moved my shop from Capitol Hill, that's when I had a kind of a falling out with that whole shop situation. I just bailed. Right. Yeah. And I moved to Nickerson. And so when I was, uh, needed tons of help I would call John because John knew how to sand he knew how to weave he knew how to help me out and so I'm really that's when my business was taking off with the Ellie Tahari doing a lot of the uh, the commercial stuff and uh, and so I hit John up one time and I'm like dude I am fucked right now I really need help and he goes alright well I can come help you for you know a few hours to stay whatever and he goes hey I was I was talking to my buddy Dennis who moved up here and he showed him your furniture and he's super into mid-century furniture he wants to come down and I'm like well I'm like no offense but I'm not like this dude doesn't know fucking any I'm not paying this dude if he wants to come down and hang out and work great but he ain't getting paid <laughs> that's exactly what I said to John he goes no he just wants to come down and see what's up so I'm like bring it on so John shows up with Dennis and this is the first time I ever met Dennis in person and he rolls into my shop you know it's just, he's got panhead on his belt. He's got his fucking hat, his glasses. He's got some cool fucking shirt. You know, just the coolest looking fucking kid I've ever the seen coolest. in my life. Yeah, like, yeah. and he's got his, his hair wasn't as long back then, but, he, you know, he was starting to grow out. He just, and he was just hilarious. And, and so we all worked together that day. And I called John when it's over and I go, hey, tell Dennis anytime he wants to work here, he can and I will pay him. And so... Dennis just comes and starts working for me and he just starts working for me like nine to five or what whatever noon to fucking seven or whatever we're doing 
and we just sit there and fucking talk every day and we are like you know we're real sarcastic we're real dirty sense of humor so the shit that we were saying oh, obviously cannot be are repeated you kidding me oh it yeah. was so inappropriate and so crazy but this kid i'm just falling in love with this kid right so and we were spending a lot of time together and so he was in this constant state of not having vehicles that that operated correctly <laughs> even though like oh my conlon's got a brand new crate engine blah, 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 but it never ran and it's fucking then so he gets this buell and he has Meanwhile, this the Econoline's just getting spray painted. Yeah. Oh, just so painted, like bombed. New tag yeah. on it. Yeah. One point. of the best pictures I ever took was him standing with that knucklehead in front of that spray painted van. <laughs> and uh, and so, so he he uh, needs rides occasionally. And so one night, I take Dennis home to the Goblin, and uh, and so now he's here, and this is the first time I've ever taken him home when he has lived there. Yeah. So now instead of just having stuff in a room, he's got some bikes yeah. hanging out chained to a fucking telephone pull up front. <laughs> so we pull up and he goes, Hey, you want to come in for a beer in it? And this is, this is the best and worst decision I've ever made in my life was having this beer with Dennis that night. So you got pregnant. Oh yeah. I got, well, the pregnancy is not something I like to talk about. So, <laughs> so if you could scrub that from the record, okay. I appreciate it. it, it so was terminated. I don't want to upset the pro-life people, but that's why you are the pro. Texas. The, yeah, yeah. So, so what we do, we park my car and we're walking up the, the, up from the bottom of the street by the park and there's one of his bikes. and so in the in the weeks prior to this he we have switched the topic of conversation occasionally to harleys right yeah because i'm like he's harleyed out i'm like just what is up with these harleys i mean you got fucking pan what the fuck are these things and this is like 2009 so this is not that long ago i yeah. mean people i'm not some like old chopper dog who wrote his chopper to high school dude i've literally been doing this for like 12 years so it's not so anybody that's listening to this that like thinks this is something that you got to do, it doesn't fucking matter. Just if you like it, fucking do it. Who gives a shit? Dive in. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're walking up and I see the Scorpion bike chained to the telephone pole in front of the church. He's parking in the church parking lot. There is a, it looks like Exxon Valdez oil spill from like the fucking eighties, right? It is running down the street and it's pouring down rain. Okay. <laughs> He has a fucking shopping plastic shopping bag wrapped around the linker. No air clean, you know, just fucking sitting there. It is covered in water. Everything's rusting. Everything's fucked on the bike and oil is running down the street like a block down the street. It's a steep hill too, so and it, it really yeah, so it's running down out. and it yeah. looks fucking horrible and I'm like what the fuck is that? And he goes, "Oh, that's my that's my I think it was a 61 or whatever." And he goes, "That's my that's my panhead." And I'm like, does this thing fucking run? And he looks at me like I'm the stupidest fucking guy in the world. And he goes, fuck yeah, it runs. And I'm like, bullshit. And he goes, hold on. Did you ask him why you were giving him a ride then? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, hold on. He walks in the house. He gets the fucking key to this fucking just just the most insane chopper still to this day it's on my top five one of the greatest bikes of all time hands down and it brings me joy that it's in japan and it, it's almost exactly how he had it yeah. i still think it's it was perfect the way he had it but should explain this tank was made sometime yeah in the so 60s. It, so it was resined in yeah it was it was larry cole larry kolb if i remember correctly larry kolb was the guy who painted it and there's a whole other story that goes along with the tank so remind me of that before okay. we get over this so i'm looking at this bike 
70s show like you know crazy chopper paint scorpion dented the top of the tank scorpion in there epoxied in flames panels this is why my if you've ever seen any of my show bikes they're all 70s paneled paint they're all fucking crazy show paint yeah. and wacky 70s because that that was your first century was my first introduction and i think it's cool and i was always into lowriders i had lowrider magazines growing up so i subconsciously when i look back now it's like yeah, I always loved this shit. And I just didn't understand that choppers were doing that too. Like I, I thought that was like a low rider thing. Yeah. And, um, so he goes in, grabs the key, comes out and, uh, and he puts that fucking key in there. He takes this plastic bag off there. There is water in this linker fucking, it is pouring down rain, pouring down Seattle. rain. And he fucking saddles up to this thing. And I've never seen anybody kickstart. I've like, like, like this is, this is all happening and I'm like what the fuck and I'm listening to this thing ratchet and I'm like thinking it's breaking it you know I'm like I have no fucking idea what's going on and he's a he's a little dude at that time and well he's no bigger now I mean he weighs like 120 fucking pounds yeah. you know and I'm watching him get on this bike I don't even know what he's about to do right and he fucking turns that key jumps on that kicker and the first kick it goes wow you know, and it fucking shoots a little white puff of smoke out of the fucking carburetor. And I'm like, holy shit. And fucking it does not take even five kicks. And that thing fucking lights up. And it had the ups. I mean, dude, that was a loud. Bike. It was a loud fucking bike. Yeah. And uh, and he fucking woke up the whole. It was it was late. And it, all the lights on the apartment buildings turn on. The, and, you know, it turns out years later, it, the whole neighborhood hated fucking Dennis Hong. I mean everybody hated him he had fucking 18 vans parked out right yep. he was he was the scourge of that block and then we yep. all started showing up at his house yeah. on oh, our own bikes. oh dude and it was chopper it was like yeah. fucking dvr every fucking week over there yeah so so he lights that fucking bike up and my whole life changes at that moment right and i am just like holy shit you hear that sound yeah. you see that whole action you're looking at it yes and uh and I'm like, holy shit, it does run. He's like, I fucking told you it ran, dude. And I'm just like, okay, dude. And I, you know, and he's the coolest motherfucker on the planet Earth, right? And if you, if the people listening to this don't know who Texas Dennis is, look him up. I mean, he's just the coolest fucking guy. Oh, he don't give up. He is like fuck. the caricature of biker. And the fact that he is like this Asian dude Tiny from Asian Texas, dude covered in it, Sailor Jerry it, tattoos, it doesn't. He's got like zaps, chair down to his tattoos. Ass. Like it's just fucking bonkers. Beautiful dude. hair. Yeah, you would, oh, you will be lucky if you're even half as cool as this fucking you wanna, guy. You want to hear how cool he is listen yeah. to this so well let me finish this story. okay wait wait, wait, wait. let me ahead. finish this go story because yeah, yeah. it gets better yeah yeah so we go i'm my mind's blown right so we go inside the house and we walk left to his room yeah and there and there is another pan head sitting on the chrome frame i think oh. it was a 60 and I there's no that frame there's no front end on it okay because he had to take the front end off when he drove it in the fucking econo line you know yeah. and he didn't have room for it and that thing is laying next to his bunk beds. This is a grown man in bunk beds, right? Okay, space, space consumed. Like, just imagine New York City, even though this is Seattle. And he had this pan that's sitting on the ground. Pool of oil underneath it. And a chrome frame. And I have no idea at this time how cool these two bikes are, but within a few months, I... I know. And that was your standard. These are the coolest fucking motorcycles to this day. I mean, and I don't know how many tens of thousands of fucking cool choppers I've seen. They're on my top five. Both of those bikes are on my top five, will be forever on my top five. Every version of them that he Yeah, he is like, you know, and it's kind of every, he's why I'm into Panhead. Like, you know, it's like my dad, I grew up with Porsches, air-cooled Porsches. I was always a Porsche guy. There was no other car that existed, you know? And uh, and he was a Panhead guy. I'm a Panhead guy. I work on pretty much nothing but knuckleheads now, but like, I hate them. I love Panheads. So we go in. weird. 
he goes behind that sh- that little bar that he's super proud of and I love you know is he built it it's yeah. fucking awesome his little tiki station yeah little t- it was so dope the whole room was just like velvet the, paintings oh everywhere. just fucking awesome dude and yeah. and uh, and so I'm looking at this pan I'm like what the fuck is this he goes this is a panhead and I'm like holy shit I go does this one run and he goes fuck yeah it runs <laughs> and he goes hold on <laughs> And he grabs the key, fucking puts it in there. And mind you, this bike has no front end, okay? And, and you're kicker, inside in his bedroom. Yeah, and it's laying on the fucking down tubes, right? Oh, my God. And, and you, so when you kick it, the kicker pedal doesn't even go through here. It just slams into the floor, right? Oh he puts God. the key in that fucking thing. I shit you not. Kicks it. The first time it kicks, it starts to go. And then he goes, oh, wait, wait. It's gonna sump, and I'm gonna get oh so much God. oil on my yeah, carpet. Oh and I'm, and I, at that point, I have no idea what sumping even means, right? But it fucking almost fired on the first kick right oh and i and we're in his fucking tiny we're talking like 200 square feet yeah. and this chopper would have fucking broke the windows out oh like that's God. how crazy it is because that had the shotguns yeah it aimed right at that single pane window yeah it would have been the gnarliest thing that that ever happened in that house and that's saying something because that house has some stories <laughs> and and i sit down and i'm looking around this room and i'm sitting with dennis fucking hong and we start talking about choppers and he starts pulling out all these old greasy culture. I don't know what any of like, I literally barely even know what a heart, like I barely even knew these were Harleys and I'm just like getting this crash course in chopper history. Right. And in, in that moment, in that next hour and a half, I get to see the professor, the triumphs that he built and he pulls out the Drew's panhead, the high pipe panhead. And that, as most people know that have heard that know me, that was my that was the bike when i saw the picture of that motorcycle i just never seen anything like it i was just like what the fuck he goes yeah it's a pretty cool chopper and i'm just like who like you know and mark Drews, you know at that time he was like urban legend i had no idea like you know and i would meet mark a year later and and there was never a time from that moment where i didn't spend time with mark and tell him how important that bike was to me and Dennis knows how important his two bikes were to me too. To this day, yeah. like that Scorpion, it's the perfect. Does Drews chopper. know you recreated that chopper? Oh, 100 percent, yes. Drews, awesome. Drew, without Drews's help, I could not have done it. I oh, mean, so Drew's, he actually. Oh, 100 percent, yes, oh, yeah. That's so, so that's amazing, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so he starts showing. He starts telling me. I'm sitting in the same room that I sat in when he didn't live there. He's explaining to me what these linker carburetors were. He's explaining what that's a Hummer tank. This is this. This is that. Pulling out these little mags these little chopper magazines and and i'm starting to realize that dennis is a pretty important part of this community right and he's young like he's a young guy and and he's on he he's like oh well if you're into this you should go on uh jockey journal and they start so i op- i set up a jockey journal account i start doing all this shit and just start getting into it and and dennis is working for me at this time so so the next day he comes in and i'm like so uh like if I wanted to build a pan, so anyways, so so to, not before I get into that. So we drink. He yeah. he gives me this whole thing, and I'm like, "How much are these bikes worth?" And he goes, "That's probably worth." And mind you, this is 2009, and and so so these prices are going to sound cheap to anybody listening to this right now, but back then to me, like, I was like, "You're fucking kidding me!" Like he goes, "I could probably get that Chrome bike. I could probably get fucking twelve to fifteen grand for it." And I was like, you're lying to me right now. Yeah. And I go, how much about that bike chain to that fucking phone pole out there <laughs> that's getting soaked in water? He goes, probably 13 to 15. And I'm like, you bullshit. And he goes, no, dude. 
that's what it's worth. He goes, he starts explaining me the parts yeah. and this stuff. And I'm, I, I don't know shit. And I go, dude, if these bikes are worth this much money, you just bring, he goes, I got no place to put them. And he's got all his shit in his vans. You know, he's hitting swap meets. He's filling his vans with frames and other shit and like junk that he collects. And, uh, and I'm like, dude, here's the deal. I've got room in the shop and we had a communal space in my shop in Nickerson. Right. And, uh, and I go, dude, we'll wheel them in. And every day we'll just wheel them out and park them out there. And I, I'm like, dude, I don't care. And we can throw tarps over them for dust and stuff like that. And I'm like, but it's better than dust the rain. is better than the rain, dude. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, I'll bring them down. And so probably like two days later, we load them up in this fucking van. And we, I think we used, we might have used my van or my element or something like that. Or maybe we brought the knucklehead down in my element. But and then but you're we, sitting there staring at panheads. Dude, that was it. So 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 that was the fatal mistake. The that nail I in the coffin. the nail in the coffin. So he brings them down. We roll them in, and they sit over. And there's a picture of them that that he has, or that maybe it's me that has it of them sitting over next to my combo machine, like parked against here. And then I have the beginnings of my first '63 panhead leaning against the wall. It was a Springer front end, a I rear remember. wheel, some yeah. linkage, and a rear mechanical brake, and and like maybe some some risers or some shit. And he comes and works every day, and he works his hours, and then he goes home. And then I just stop working and I sit over there and I start staring at these fucking motorcycles. And then every day he would come in and I would ask him more questions like, what's this and what's that? You know, and I'm a pretty mechanical guy. I'm not, I, you know, I didn't, I've never worked on any of that. I had a motorcycle, a ninja in high school that, that had a bad clutch and I put the clutch back together, got it running. My buddy's dad had mini storages and, and, and the guy didn't pay his bill. And so there was this, this uh, 86 ninja, Kawasaki ninja, and uh, it was a 600. And it was just left there. And my buddy Chris was like, hey, do you want it? Because my dad wants it the fuck out of here. And I was like, yeah. Fair so deal. I got that. Yeah, I got it running and then immediately crashed it. I have a huge fucking scar from it. And uh, and then I got another Ninja and crashed that one. And then that was kind of like my foray in motorcycles as a teenager, right? And then I rode dirt bikes with that same dude. And every time I got him one, I almost killed myself. And, you know, it's just kind of my, my nature, right? So he starts telling me more about these bikes. And I'm like, hey, man how much do you think it would cost if I wanted to build one of these bikes? And at the time my business was doing really good, but, but I also knew my wife would never. Okay. Any of this type of stuff. So I couldn't just go out and buy a bike. I knew I had to kind of like put one together, which if you know, if you've done this, you know that that's the most expensive way to do it. It's kind of the most stupid way to do it, but I needed to make sure I could manage the funds in a way that they could be hidden. This is before PayPal. It's hard to, it's hard to hide eBay. This is before PayPal yeah. had done gone on record so you could have phantom PayPal accounts and do all this stuff. And that's how I did everything oh, was through phantom I see. PayPal accounts, I see, right? I see, I see, I see. So, so he starts, to, uh, I'm like, hey, and I had a computer at the shop, a little laptop that I would open up. And I'm like, so what do I look for? And he starts giving me some keywords. He's like, so here's what you want. You want to look for panhead. You want to look for this. You want to look for rigid frame. You want to look for knucklehead, blah, 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 blah. So, he would leave and every so every morning I would come in and I would spend the first hour and a half of each day searching Craigslist and Greg I don't know if you remember um, uh, uh, what was the name of this it was it was how I met George's list do you remember George's no, list no I don't remember okay that. so George's list was this weird analog motorcycle forum where you would just go through posts and they were just chronological so so you could go back like five years, but you would just have to go through posts and they would just be listed. Oh. And that's how I met Jess was I was, so I built a couple panheads. Oh, yeah, yeah, shit. exactly. So I'm looking at George's list. I'm looking at Craigslist and I find some stuff. And then Dennis starts seeing that I'm taking this pretty seriously. 
and he goes, Hey, you know, I went and looked at, uh, some parts from this guy and he had a Springer front end. What do you want to, he goes, you know, Springers are the coolest thing you can put on a front end, but they're very expensive. And even 12 years ago, the Springer was 1500 bucks. So it, that was a shit ton of money. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and he's like, but there's nothing cooler than a Springer. And I'm like, well, then I want one. And he goes, well, I could probably get the Springer. Meanwhile, I learned later that Dennis is getting me to buy all this stuff so he can get all this shit, uh, this other stuff for himself in classic Dennis fashion. But he's taking advantage of this idiot, right? But he gets me educating, but he gets me hooked up with the, you know, it's, it was a beautiful Springer, beautiful rear wheel, beautiful brake, still the best working mechanical rear brake I've ever had in my life. It was nice stuff. But then he was peeling off stuff for himself. So, and he, he deserved it. Right. Yeah. And I'm paying up. And that was the start of this bike and then I start looking for engines and every day I would be like okay I found this this is what do you think and he would come and be like oh that's junk that's repop this is that and at the time I don't know anything yeah. right and I'm like how is it repop you know and I'm like a sponge so he's telling me things so then when I'm looking at the listings and the photos I'm like okay that's that's missing there's no floorboard mounts there's no sidecar loops there actual the rear stand mounts have been shaved and uh, you know this 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 that, that it's been molded blah 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 so I start gleaning the knowledge soaking it up. i'm following him around with a mop just soaking this shit up right and i find a panhead in salt lake 63 panhead pretty much whole bike in a 58 swing arm frame but it's a basket right it's all apart wide glide front end front rear wheels 16 16 uh the whole deal everything oil bag fucking you name it it's it's gas tanks all that shit guy wants three grand for it oh my god right which is a shit ton of money, okay, back uh, then, sure. right? Yeah. Shit ton of yeah. money. And I'm already basically 1800 into the spring. So I'm like, dude, I'm starting to get like, I'm like almost $6,000 into this project, which yeah. for me is like crazy it's money. a lot of money to hide. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And my, again, like I'm hiding these purchases, okay? And I am Sorry, not a wealthy right? man, okay? I'm a fucking furniture maker. Your wife yeah. knows now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I can tell this story, and maybe she's never heard the long version of the story. But yeah. my wife doesn't listen to this shit, anyways. <laughs> the last person my wife wants to listen to, she she would have already left the room and been like, oh, like in this guy talking about this stupid chopper <laughs> shit. But so I find the panhead. Yeah. Make a long story short, I end up getting it. I didn't have much money to have it shipped up so I find ride share on Craigslist yeah. this kid for $100 puts it in his element driving up to help a friend move he's driving from Texas to Portland but says he's always wanted to go to Seattle so he's willing to drive the extra two hours to drop this off and I said hey I'm not going to ride with you but I'll give you $100 to you're driving straight through Salt Lake what are you driving and what does he say? He goes, a Honda Element. With oh, no, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm uh, like, okay, so I know this fucker will fit in there because that's, yeah. if you don't know me, that's what I drove for years. My kid totaled the car, but I'm getting another one just for the record. Uh, and so he's like, okay, will it fit? I'm like, yes, the dude will help you load it, it and I'll just hand you cash when you get here. He's like, okay, that's weird, but cool. And he goes, I'll just drive straight to you first, drop it off, and then I'll go help my friend move. I want to come see Seattle. Dude shows up three days later. And we pull my fucking panhead out of this fucking car, right? And Dennis is there. Yeah. He helps me out. And we put the engine on this little dolly and we roll it out. And this kid, I give him 20 extra bucks. I'm like, go buy lunch. He's like, you want to have lunch with me? I'm like, absolutely not. I don't want to have lunch with you. I, I want. I, I need to stare at this. Yeah, I need to stare at this yeah. junk that yeah. you just brought up here. He's yeah. like, okay, cool. Well, uh, thanks and whatever. And so that begins the process. So Dennis, again, is like, I'm like, so what do I do first? 
I'm like, do I want to take the engine apart? He goes, absolutely not. You never want to take the engine apart. <laughs> Which, of course, if you know me now, is like, like I will fucking take an engine apart. I would take an engine apart, like, in the fucking driveway. Yeah. You know, I don't give a shit. So he's like, you don't, I think I remember the quote. He goes, he goes you don't want to let the angels out. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how many times I've said that to people. Like, hey, you don't want to let the angels out of that fucker, dude. I don't I'm, know. I'm stealing that. Yeah. So, so we go there, and the whole thing is crinkle black. If you're a chopper guy, you know, you know that the 80s were hard on these things. So the whole transmission is crinkle blacked. Everything on it, kicker lid, jo- ratchet lid, fucking kicker arm spring, Straight the whole the fucking thing, everything, everything, tip to tail, everything except the rocker boxes is crinkle blacked. Yeah. You know. So my first pride, Dennis is like, dude. I see that black paint and I don't know and I'm like cool it's black he's like that's about as whack as it gets dude he's like you need to get that junk off there so my first job ever working on a Harley was with aircraft stripper with Texas Dennis over my shoulder Get it towing me how to get in there and do it and then like I'm getting sprayed with the aircraft stripper it's all over me it's in my fucking eyes it's like it's like burning me and I'm like thinking this is part of the process but you, but you started yeah. in the angels and Dennis is having me do all this crazy shit it's like he's like hazing me right he's yeah. like he's like oh no you didn't do that right it's just crazy when I think back on it but I am like a fucking kid in the candy store dude I just couldn't be happier and so then I end up moving out of that shop and, and I'm like, I got nowhere to hide this shit. And my little buddy, little Ryan, had just moved into that house. And his roommate had just moved out. And I go, dude, can I put this in your basement? And so in the beginning, it was in his basement. And I and In the beginning, Dennis is asking yeah. you to hide shit. Oh. And then you're asking your buddies to hide shit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I go and take it to little Ryan's. And it's so funny how, how motorcycle shit works. And little Ryan's one of my best friends from childhood. Like, Great. we have done dirt like uh, probably nobody in the world knows me better than him and and vice versa right yeah and i bring this he has no he i'm talking about this harley shit and it's like classic tom jones like oh tom's into something new so he's all fucking obsessed with it but uh, but i get a tendency to get people obsessed with stuff right and he's the perfect example like we just anything i'm into or he's into we get into because we're that close right so i bring this stuff oh he's like yeah bring it in the basement i got that whole room eric moved out that whole room's just empty bring it in there so I bring it in, and he's like looking at this shit. It's like how magical this shit is, right? And I'm bringing, I'm carrying this fucking heavy pan engine in there, you know, and I'm dropping it on the ground. And he's like, so what is this? I'm like, this 63 pan head, you know, I'm doing my whole fucking deal. I'm like, there's the four-speed gearbox. It's yeah. fucking all, this is all OEM shit. It's just spongy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a 58 swing arm frame and like blah, blah, blah. And, uh. And he's like, fuck, dude. You know, it, it, you can see it like yeah. it's happening. And I, it, Ryan hasn't gotten a motorcycle yet, but but he's close. I know this. I, I know he's it's closer so than ever contagious. before. Oh, it's, it's fucking gnarly. It's gnarly. But he had a kid right after that. And he was like just super dad. And he just he didn't have time to fuck with motorcycles. So but when he does, he's going to be in the crew right yeah. it's, uh, without a doubt. He's just he's a road dog, yeah. you know. And so and, and, and really a big part of the motorcycle thing, I think for a lot of us and many certain, many people that will listen to this are, you know, the longer I'm in it, the more I realize how real this is. Like it's all X skaters, right? Because the camaraderie, what I always say is like you, I took my skateboard all over the world, you know, all over the world and anywhere that skateboard laid down and spent a few hours, you had family 
didn't matter didn't matter if they didn't speak the language you spoke i remember one time in spain we end up hanging out with this kid couldn't even speak english but he puts us up feeds us and we're basically using sign language to communicate but we skated at the fucking at Makba together and it was just like it's a beautiful yeah thing. he's like you're american holy sh-, you know like yeah. that's pretty much all he could say like american and i'm like fuck yeah and he just it's just like anywhere you went you had a safe place to stay fucking drugs to use alcohol to drink you know it was just kind of like <laughs> it's a beautiful it's thing. a beautiful thing and there's a brotherhood and a camaraderie that exists through that because it's a thing that you do by yourself but the group makes it better, you know, and the group is what pushes you to do great things. And so I had quit skateboarding in, you know, 2002, probably, uh, you know, injury took me out. It's one of the worst, saddest things in my life was losing that, you know, but I was scared. I just didn't, I couldn't do it anymore, you know, and I had started my business and started a whole new life, but I always miss it. You always miss it, you know, and it's this thing that you kind of always like, oh man, I was a kid and I should have just, I just should have loved it. I should have done more with it, you know, and then you find choppers and it's all old skater dudes. They're all the same people. And immediately you have, you know, you're having the same experience, but with something else anywhere you go. Anywhere you go, dude. And, and you the pull, whole point of these things is yeah, to go many places. Anywhere you go. We could break down on the side of the road. Some asshole within an hour is going to drive by and be like, what your panhead is that? You know, he's like, oh, what's up? He's like, throw it in my truck. You we'll need go tools. To my house. Yeah, it's just, I can't even count on my hands and feet how many times that's I've happened. I've met some of the yeah. best people that way. A hundred percent. I met Jess yes. that way. A hundred percent, yes. Yes. And I grew up next to him. Yeah. Never even met him. Yeah. And until and I, I knew broke it. down. I knew it. I'm like, I'm yeah. sending a guy to you because and he you needs your help. Him yeah. on, on George's, George's list. list. Yeah. On George's list. I it, got into VLs. After, I built a couple panheads and I was like, fuck panheads. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a new challenge. And then I JDs and then I went to VLHs and I went through George's list. We're talking like years through the post. And if you know George's list, you know that it takes hours and hours to sift through George's list. You're literally going, you're clicking, you're, and it's just written words. There's it's no like, like the click, sometimes there's pictures attached to it. Fucking motorcycles. And I see this VLH post yeah. from like fucking three years earlier. I send an email to Je- who, who, my buddy Jess and like three months later, because Jess does not check his email like ever. And so, and I forget all about it. And then I get this email. Yeah, I still got it. You want it? And so I call him on the phone. We talk. And we just end up being buddies, you know, he sells me this stuff. He packages it up. It comes to Seattle. I start putting together my first knucklehead, but we start chatting on the phone every once in a while. I just hit him up because I, we just had fun talking to each other and we couldn't be more different me and Jess, but I like, remember the first breath that knucklehead took. Yeah, exactly. You started on the first kick yeah. literally. And I built that knucklehead in my fucking kitchen you did with nothing no knowledge about anything except for phone calls with jess yeah and he became you know and and we went back and forth and we've had me me and jess have a tough times and 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 good times and but i love that fucking guy i love that whole fucking family so when you were going back towards kansas having motorcycle problems i said dude you gotta go to my buddy jess like he builds engines he's a fucking amazing harley mechanic like you'll get sorted and i remember i was just telling this story the other day i go uh i remember you were heading there meeting him for the first time and jess was very nervous about it because you know he's got some stuff and they do not like letting people see what they got right 
and he he was like called me in the parking lot of that gas station he goes all right dude are you fucking sure about this guy i'm like dude he is like one of my best friends i'm not gonna send some fucking sketchy tweaker over to your house like who do you think i am but jess and i had not met yet yeah we had only talked so you got to meet him years before i would actually meet him yeah yeah and he hooks up with you and it just it just couldn't have been a better marriage. And then it turns out that, like, you grew up with his brother-in-law. Shit. Like, it's just fucking yeah, crazy. It was I mean, that's some Kansas small world was, shit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. in those Two towns, towns over. Yeah. it's like, we have, yeah. you're a half degree away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I left Jess's once we got tuned up, rode to New York City. Yeah. And then came and stayed with him on the way back for, like, yeah. a month. Oh, dude. I mean, dude, I... I fucking love that. And so years later, I would go there and go to school at, at, with Jess and spend two, two and a half weeks sleeping on his couch, having those little fucking ladybugs drop on me and bite me all night. Spent and f- a couple nights in jail. Yeah. Spent, well, that was later. That was years oh, later. We would right. do the jail thing. I was in my 40s when we when we uh, when we did that. Sadly, it's never too late. Sorry, kids, if you're listening to this. But yes, I went to jail as an adult man. Technically, I did go to jail before as an adult man, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> That probably wasn't a comparable jail story to the, like, well, Yeah, those stories are never getting told though on on the record. Yeah, yeah, I can't definitely can't. Would you like some whiskey? Uh, Maybe we could get there. Absolutely not. I don't drink brown. You know that, but uh, it was it was not brown vodka that got us tonics. there. It was vodka that got us yeah. there, yeah. and there was no tonic involved. It was just, just a vodka. Vodka, and you know Jess. Plastic it's shots. Yeah, yeah. What is it? What is it called? A uh, Ivana bitch. Ivana bitch vodka. <laughs> Anything you can walk to the liquor store and buy. Just so, so gnarly. The gnarliest vodka on the planet. We I, Hold that thought because I'm about to piss my pants. Yeah, let's do that. One, one sec. Let's do do you have to piss? No, no, no. Fuck, so I'm, I'm the one. All right. We live in a bakery. My wife. I fucking, trust me, I know. I've only been here she for had, like a had, day and I know that. You had the cookies. I've also. had the best fucking cookie I've ever had in my life. Sorry, Ryan, because you do make a great cookie. Nick has a lot of practice in the last year. Uh, it, I can't. It's phenomenal. I can't. I can't keep doing this. I gotta. Fi- <laughs> I gotta figure out how to separate. Well, you're gonna put her in that box out there, and that'll separate it. I'll still smell it. I worry about that. Uh-huh. It's like wafting that smell. I can. I you, can. No, no. Listen. I you can, clearly have a lot of self control. If you look at your body, you're not. You haven't changed much. You know. Yeah. If I'm, at all. I'm, no, I have. Trust me, I have. I notice. <laughs> I notice the subtleties, and I also notice all my friends that are my age, who have passed a point that I consider of no return. And I'm like, man, I can't get there. No, you no, know? no. So I try and keep an eye on that shit. It's but when you walk that smell all day, you get this hunger for it. And what happens? You is, got a divorce. You got a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's really the only th- the only solution <laughs> what happens is you go and you eat everything else thinking that it'll get rid of that hunger of that that smell no and it doesn't so you go and eat everything it's else a drug and before you decide that you have to eat that too there is a drug in what she makes it, it's yeah. an addiction it's an addiction it's and an I'm addiction. addicted I've been addicted since I was a kid like and, sugar is gnarly dude and speaking of addictions that the motorcycles is, is that strong addiction Texas Dennis, when I was I was gonna interject there about being the coolest guy because he sired me in, he him and Andre. Oh yeah, I, and did you know that Andre and I just did a trip up the up the coast last no, week? Yeah. No, idea. No, no, Andre is the episode before you. Oh really? Yes, yeah. He Andre and I. Oh, I can't wait to hear that episode. Blast. I haven't we seen rode, Andre in years. We rode up dude. to Fort Bragg together and back down, and 
And so I've got that. I've got all that footage, and sick. He and I still have to sit down and tell some lies, but he's. Oh, you didn't do. We haven't done the interview yet. Vo with him. No, because he's he's got to come here to do that. So uh-huh. when we did that trip, I went to Long Beach. And okay. Then we went from Long Beach up to Fort Bragg, but he's doing this. Crazy. He's doing this. Um, it's a classic ship restoration nonprofit now. He's part of this. I think I saw some because I was back on Instagram for a couple of weeks, and I think I saw some. He's he had changed his. In, of, he had changed his Instagram from Popsicle Kicker to something Beach else. Brains. Beast brains. And I had no idea. I just thought he got off Instagram, no, no, and then no. somebody somebody made a post because you know I'm I was off Instagram for like eight months, and then I got back on for the race for drag racing season, yeah. and then somebody made a post and said. Oh, my buddy Andre. And I'm like, it has to, you know, the kind of, the person who was making the post, I was like, there's only one Andre yeah. in this community, right? Yeah. And I was like, Beach Brain. So I go and see it and I'm in this thing and I'm like, fuck, there's fucking Andre. Yeah, he's still there. And I'm like, God damn it. He, so, um, anyway, he's part of this and I, I'll, I'm going to do a whole episode on it, but uh, it's the only classic ship restoration operation on the West Coast. So they're repairing these wooden ships, particular to this coast that is some gnarly stuff too and oh, dude it's amazing we have a it, huge industry in that in seattle that that like the yacht guys that holy that is shit. huge on yeah. on uh, up in the north yeah uh but here in la like sorry i shouldn't say west coast but mm-hmm. but in in southern california and there's a lot of sh- there's a lot of ship history here that would just rot away otherwise and yeah. these guys are trying to preserve phenomenal. it. phenomenal so i'm trying to like drive people to understand what they're up to and get involved because it's it's I've been to the yard. I've been and walked on these ships. And it's at, in Long Beach. It's in Long Beach. Okay, cool. It's it, it's incredible. I can't wait to cut the footage and show people. Well, I it's, hope to get uh, if I get down there. You would to be LA next year. Oh, I would. I mean, if it's wood, it's wood related. Wooden, yeah, I'd be geeking out. For but sure. I was like looking at everything. I'm like, how the fuck? There's no 90 degree angles oh, on no. any. of I've worked on several boats. It, it is some tricky shit. How do you yeah. find where to? We did houseboat too, and there's no such thing as plumb. Oh, on a houseboat God. so you have to build levels you you really can't use a level in a boat yeah it's all optical true. so that was the trickiest thing because the because the houseboat's being built on this dock and you kind of have to build it. it yeah it's very very strange and and i'd never really even considered that until i was doing these installations for yeah. these window these like wrap is super modern the, the they must have spent like a million dollars just on the just on the materials for this houseboat it's all riffs on white oak which is my i love riffs on white oak so my buddy kraus who i shared the, you know kraus i, know I kraus, shared the yeah. shop with kraus and uh he he was overwhelmed by this project so he's like hey you want to bite off some of this i'm like sure so we're milling up all this well we had to do all these windows and he goes okay so there's no levels it's not plumbing square we just have to like i did not work. know that and i was like whoa i'm like what do you mean there's no fucking levels how are we hanging doors water's pretty yeah. level though <laughs> well trust me when you're on it it's a whole different ball game yeah, like I some days you. it's like it, it, it was why it was wild man but i but that was a square Houseboat, you know, yeah, not a boat. Simple. But I've yeah, worked, yeah. I've worked in boats, and it is a trip. I did Tick and Holly floors for a friend, and it, it's a it's a trip working in boats. The way because the way the material, it 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 shrinks and swells differently than than material that would be. Let me hear that. Keep going. What? Let me keep talking. It shrinks and swells material different than material that's not yeah on water. You know, they spent twelve years restoring one of these boats that we're looking at how big is the boat that was probably maybe like a 30 footer and it's a like what are these wooden sailboats wooden sailboats crazy one of them the one that they 
One of them you showed me they were working on was like 1909. How does he so, even, how does Andre even get into that? He, that's dude. what I'm getting at. Andre and Dennis sired so many of us in oh, to these esoteric fire breathing machines. Yeah. And they're always one step ahead of everyone. It's crazy. In, in what's fascinating and captivating. That's arguable with Dennis, though, with his new van fascination. So I don't know. Well, he's always been a van. <laughs> yeah. He's always, it's not No new. offense, Dennis, but it's those vans are been, fucking weird. It's always been a fascination of his, like those, those things. But um, no, him and Andre, and I consider Josh Ewing part of that in, in the early years, too, even though he wasn't in the Seattle area, he was way ahead of it. Who, Ewing, the motor... Oh, the fabricator, the down-off yeah, exit yeah. 80 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Who's still, I think, like a, an incredible... He had an incredible uh, style even for then. He's a great fabricator. I've never great been a fan fabricator. of his bikes, but... but. But he it, and I have a history. Oh, do you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm we're, we're not really... Yeah, we're not really bad. I've seen it now. <laughs> but when I, was, when I was working at K2, and we had... Like, the silly part of working in that industry is we have to chase trends. To yeah. know what's going to last, what's not. You hated working there. I hated. You were miserable. I, I, there was a point in time where that happened. I just started hating it. Oh, that's right when we met. Yeah, you were about, like, "Fuck this!" And I, you know, I thought it was cool because I'm like, "Oh shit, you work yeah. at K two. Well, right. when I was snowboarding every day, yeah. it was that was awesome. Yeah, and then you get in working in the industry, and it, it absolutely you, well, you were getting it. screwed. You were yeah. doing all this work, and you yeah. just weren't getting paid, dude. Yeah, and and. One of the uh, aspects of my job was to track, track the trends and put a deck together on them. Right. All the companies were doing this. Part of right. our responsibility as designers. Yeah. And one of these decks came in from another company that somebody had kind of gotten sh in a shady way. And they're like, this is so-and-so's deck for their thing. And it was it was talking about the popularity up and coming in the next, like, you know, five to 12 projected years uh-huh but like choppers were in there they it had like 12 pages in this deck oh. of motorcycles so somebody saw it somebody saw it they real early it. guess who was on the fucking cover of this deck please tell me it was texas it dennis. was texas dennis oh my god and so i'm somebody like somebody hit so it was a seattle company so somebody had no, seen him in seattle no it was taken from like born free four and they oh, were okay. down there sniping photos, and it's a t it's Dennis's Harry shorter. Oh my god! And he's when he wearing, used, he, so he's he's wearing his hat, at the tree, and he's yeah. parked it, and he's but, sitting on. Uh, no, this is, I think one is still on the side of this road, like street and neighborhood. Oh, then it would have been one or two, maybe. Okay, yeah. I don't know what because by three they were doing it at Oak Canyon Ranch. Right. Yeah, then it would probably was. I, yeah. I couldn't identify, but uh, it's him kind of hanging out, and they have dissected Dennis with a schematic with little lines Pendleton shirt. coming to yeah. everything he's wearing, <laughs> yeah. everything he's doing, the way that he's sitting. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to show this to Dennis. <laughs> did you show it to him? Yeah, I, th I believe oh I did. Oh my God, it's so rad. And I, you know, he just thought it was the gayest thing. In he's the like, world. well, it's, it's for real. I am the coolest motherfucker. He was. And yeah. in, that pr that, in that moment, it proved it. That he was literally the coolest person. Well, it, it, it doesn't ever need to be proven. I mean, it... it He's a magical person. Yeah. That's true. He is. He's like a fucking, uh, like the caricature, and not in a negative way, but he is like the caricature of a 60s biker. Like, yeah. it's fucking crazy. As a tiny little yeah. dude. And like, the he's like, I rode that, I rode my first pan head to high school. I'm just like, could you even imagine what your life would have been like if if you had rode a pan? Like, I would have changed yeah. the lives 
of half the people in the greater Seattle area if I was riding around on panheads because everybody I was friends with would have been like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And it would have just been like, Wild there would have fire. been a motorcycle gang. And Wild I mean, it would have been crazy. The shit we were doing, if we were riding choppers at that time, well, we'd be dead right now, probably. Yeah. yeah. High school, you would see like mountain bikes in the bike rack. Yeah. And they're just a panhead sticking out. Oh, my God. Could you even imagine? I just couldn't even imagine. So my dream was always like with my boys. I was like, oh, I got to get one of these kids on a fucking like in a chopper in high school. Axel might be the one, but Ta- Tavo's, you know, he's out next year. So it's it's pretty much ship has sailed. Careful what you give them too early. Well, I don't. Do you, my wife, I made my wife a promise real early on. I was, she was like, I don't want you pushing in your shit on these kids, you know, thinking I was going to push them to skate and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I never did. I was just like, hey, if they want to get into it, they get into it. And then Axel kind of like was kind of interested in skating. And then Ryan was like, you need to go skate with him. I'm like, listen, nobody ever went and skated with me. I wanted to skate. I just went out and fucking skateboarded. It's yeah. not like my dad showed me how to do it. I'm Yours like, is the first generation that could do that, though, I think. Yeah, well, we, but, but my point always is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fucking like, if he wants to skate, go skate. Like fucking, you don't need, you got a huge back patio that's concrete. You'd be out there fucking kick flipping all day. You can be doing all that stuff. And, and I want, I, I would rather it happen more organically than me being like, all right, dude, let's go to the park. You know? Yeah. It just, I just, I guess I'd have a different way of looking at it, but, but I think that there is a chance that Axel his attention might turn to motorcycles because he's definitely into it he's like oh that's cool and he you know these guys wear the shirts i mean my kids are walking around in fucking vintage dream shirts they're it'll they've got yeah they've got all this stuff i mean they've got chopper shirts and all that kind of stuff and sooner or later it's gonna link up and i mean they're surround my kids are surrounded by motorcycle shit like they you can't look anywhere in my house and not see some fucking sculpture motorcycle part fucking when it, when they when they when it comprehends to them what their dad does and is into and it starts turning the heads of the peers they're gonna be like oh shit we'll see it's not a video game so i don't know if it'll ever turn the heads of the peers but when i met some of the young kids at dbr this year it like gave me hope you know you're meeting like 24 year old kids that's just that's just seven years older than my son you know that's crazy and they're they're into it. Who's 24? Uh, well, not Co- Cody's like 25, isn't he? Cody's 25? Cody Kemet. He was fucking 22 when I met him. And that was just a couple years ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe 26. Yeah, oh he's young. Oh, my God. He's young. That kid, Oscar, was 27. Yeah. I yeah, mean, these Oscar's... are young guys. I can't... One of the guys I met, it's one of um, Joey Caravan's buddies. Joey, Little Joe is like fucking... 23 yeah i knew joe i know yeah. little joe's or 23 maybe 24 maybe he's a, but moose and those guys i think they're all super young dudes that's a good point because and remember little, dude little joe and big joe little yeah. joe hooked up with it and now he's yeah i mean i've known joe for 10 years and i remember and that's back when we all got on instagram like the first year second year it came out and you're watching dude little joe was like fucking 13 oh, in those videos yeah. and joe was obviously getting him out there i remember when joe was posting those videos of, of little joey his first learning ride. how to do wheelies yeah. in that park well i saw him in the first his first ride on a panhead yeah he, he was dude he recently. was yeah he was dude that kid was like bread like like basically pushed into the chopper scene so you see yeah. these kids Joey Caravan's been into choppers as long as I have, and I'm 44 years old, dude. Like, that's wild. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so these kids are living that life, dude, and it's it's crazy. But but I think, and this is not a negative thing, but I think a Big Joe, like 
made it happen. Like that's yeah. what he did. And whether that's a positive or a negative, if you, you know, maybe for a mom, it's negative because it's dangerous and all that kind of stuff. But like, dude, when you see those kids at events like DVR, that's their family, dude. And we are their big brothers. That is the know? greatest bond yeah. I've ever known. Yeah. And there is a respect yeah. that gets there and, and we fuck with those guys and whatever, but I, I love those kids and they are the future. I was telling Oscar this when we were having that conversation in the house, I'm like, it brings me tremendous joy that a 27, 28 year old kid is doing chase tricks. And he was always like, man, I just feel bummed. Like my bike isn't running. I'm like, nobody fucking cares about that. I'm like, dude, you're here. This is my second DVR. And this is the furthest I've ever made it. And I fucking build these things, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I mean, come on. I have like fucking all these bikes. I just brought down the wrong bike for the record. And it was running great. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. fucking broke in half. But DVR it was just like hard on bikes. You dude. see these young guys and they're like, oh, just like, I'm like, stop thinking about that shit, dude. You're here. You're rescuing dudes in a truck. You are the reason some of these guys even got to the fucking campground. And, and like he found this lighter that was a 67 Death Valley, and which is, which, you know, it's so crazy. And he was so proud of it and proud to give it to, to Busby. And like, he wanted to be a part of like, this is a 27, 28 year old kid that knows enough about the history of what we're doing and cares enough about it to want to be a part of it, you know? And that to me is like the fucking, that's one of the coolest moments I had was hanging out with Oscar and listening to how passionate this young kid is about what we do, you know? Yeah. And Nick DiPaolo brought him into it. Yeah. And, you know, and Nick DiPaolo and you and me all got into it together. Yeah. We all built our first bikes like at the exact same time. Yeah. And it was like, it was awesome to see young kids talking about that you know and you yeah. got in and, I, and you know i'm I, you know, in instagram i've been watching little joe and his crew go from like skate punks to fucking chopper punks and it's i mean i know there's there's it's scary in some capacities you know because you know there's how a lot of risk you, there's a lot of risk and there's and there's and there's aspects to this lifestyle that are not healthy you know they really aren't and that's this isn't me being some fucking old you know, salty dog that like is trying to bum people out. But like, dude, there's a lot of dangerous things outside of riding the choppers that happen in this community. And, and that's what scares me more than anything, because I've been through that, you know, and I was going through that, you know, younger than those guys are. And I know how sketchy that shit is, but, but they have people around them that love them and will help them when they need it. You know, it's like, for me, I barely fucking know those guys, but I would do anything to help those guys. Yeah. Because they're part of the scene. You know, we all had the young skater kid who was like 10 years younger than us that could barely ollie, but we still dragged his ass around everywhere we went. We would go to his house and pick him up. And he was like, could barely fit in the pants he wore, but like he was a skater. And back then when I was skating in the fucking eighties and nineties, it was dorky and we got beat up by jocks. That's why we fucking hate those guys. You know, I, I tell the story and everybody's like, oh, that's so ridiculous. I'm like, dude, fuck jocks. Fuck them in their fucking faces, dude. Fuck them. Yeah. Like, dude, I they ruined our lives back then. Fucking beating us. Like, it just sucked, man. And now you get jocks skateboarding. Yeah. And skaters are cool. It's totally. You know? It's flip flopped. Yeah. It's crazy. It's and nobody believes me. They're like, skateboarding's always been cool. I'm like, uh, excuse me. No. Yeah. No, there was like, a period of sorry, time. Sorry, bro. People would try. We weren't hit, all Tony Hawk, bro. Hit you with your yeah. truck at their truck. Mm -hmm. I, 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 just, Anyways, yeah. I look, I look at these guys 
these young this younger generation in Southern California, and it's really appropriate that it happens here because it started it started here. Well, it could only happen. Here. It could only really, happen. Yeah, here. Really. But when we were riding through that sunset last night, it it occurred to me that this is the fantasy. It does yeah. not get any better, but it it lives up to the fantasy. Yeah, every bit of it. And all those guys have seen it. You know, we aren't the only ones that have been riding our choppers at sunset through the fucking no. middle of nowhere. No. The, and those young kids have all seen it. And some of them saw it when they were fucking like 17. I know it. And, and hopefully we all make it through. Hopefully they get to share these moments forever. And, you know, hopefully I do. Hopefully you do. It's too, it's too but, strong of a bond and but too every strong time, of a drug to let it go. You know, like I was just telling Nick, I was like, you know, I, I have to be real with my family, you know, and I say... You know, I'll come back safe, but I, 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 I always have to say, but if I don't, I love you. Cause there's always a chance, always a chance. But I, I watched 20 people I know and love die in the last 12 years, riding motor, riding choppers, just like this. And almost all of them down here in this fucking city it's or LA. It's, statistically, it's just because we ride. Yeah. More. Yeah. It's so, yeah. it's so sketchy and so gnarly, but I, Dude, that one year in 2018, I watched three people almost die in the course of a week. Two of them are very, very close friends of mine. Yeah. And I would, and Ryan, I remember my wife going, so are you going to stop writing? I'm like, F are you fucking kidding me? Like, those guys could have all died. Yeah. And I wouldn't, like, I, I'm like, remember, babe, I've had friends that have died on motorcycles. Like, you see it slowing me down and all? Like, no fucking way. No you know way. the risk. Exactly. We know the risk. Yeah. Like, listen, I mean, I had tons of friends die in the fucking 90s of drugs and, you know, it didn't stop me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, party on, dude. Suck that dude fucking party too hard. He blew it. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it's crazy because we've talked about this at length. It's 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 sad. We, we don't have the because we've already told all these stories. And we've already said all these things. But like you can never put into words the magic of riding a chopper. I don't care if it's fucking raining, snowing, beautiful sunset, windy, fucking miserable. <laughs> it's better than any day doing anything else. I would rather be soaked to the bone, crying at a truck stop or at a rest area in the Siskiyous, worrying that I almost died and almost killed fucking eight of my closest friends <laughs> than be at home in my shop fucking doing anything else. It's... It's even in its worst, it's the greatest thing in the world. Like it, it's my life's yeah. pursuit to try and translate that. Yeah, I, and and you're doing it. Like, right. like I mean, I mean not not to get too crazy with it, but like dude, your podcast is the only as far as I'm concerned is the only legitimate voice for oh, this community. I'm because glad you're, you're enjoying. Because you listen, dude, you're a real fucking biker, dude. You're not some famous dude with a fucking mic like with some you know, network funded bullshit. This is real shit. You yeah. get out there, you fucking ride, you flip around fucking 48 cameras, you fucking <laughs> take pictures, you document all this shit. And if you didn't, it wouldn't even happen. It wouldn't even be happening. You know, I need people to see the difference. That's the thing. Cause if I know at some point in the entertainment world is going to try and get their grimy little hands on it and turn it into something that it's not. Yeah. I'm just trying to beat them to market, even if it's just on YouTube. So people know the difference. Yeah. That there isn't a stunt writer. This is us. Yeah. We don't have a. I mean, I know there's chase trucks on DVR, but when we go on rides, we don't have one. Well, it's not staged bullshit either. It's no. not like, oh, we're going to go stay in some airstreams. We're going to like, fuck it. Who fucking cares no. about any of that shit? And, and, and. 
things go down as they go down. You don't need to create conflict. It's always there yeah. when you're riding these bikes. Absolutely. People, networks, these shows are scared of my concept because they need to know what's going to happen yeah. and they need to plan ahead for yeah. it and put people on the ground. Where's the deadline? Where's it, the... It, not yeah. only that, but like, where's the drama? Where's it? I'm like, trust me. It, yeah. Just to get another mile is a fight you've never seen before and I will bring it to you. Yeah. But I don't want anybody there. It's just me. It's just a camera. Yeah. And then it's just a microphone sitting down and talking about it. That's all I need. No, and that's my favorite thing about it. I mean, it's not just because I know, well, I know all the guys that you've done your podcast. Sure you do. Some of them I know really well. Some yeah. of them I don't. Some of them I've just met. But like, I've known those guys and I know they're all motorcycle riders. Every fucking one of them, dude. Yeah. And I've been blessed enough to ride motorcycles next to every single one of those guys you, you know? know how many of my friends are like i sit back and i take inventory of of my friends in a room together and i'm looking at them standing there talking to each other i'm overwhelmed by the talent and passion that passion runs their lives yeah you sitting here right now the furniture you make the pursuit you went through i know that you're 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 you have many passions and furniture is is the one you turned into a business well it's just a thing yeah it's but, just a thing i do but you wouldn't have got there if you weren't passionate about it well i'm an artist just like you you followed all of it you follow all my friends have followed their nose and i want to tell their stories my my favorite thing about it is when you look at the group of people that you know not all of them are like my friends but i know every one of them but the group of people that that we have kind of amassed a connection with over the last 12 years, right? What my favorite thing about it is, is I don't sit around and really talk about motorcycles with these guys. When we, when we get together, motorcycles is just this thing that we have in common. Yeah. And almost always when we get together, like I'm sitting talking with Derek the other day and we're talking about our lives as artists and struggles that we've gone through and stuff. Not most motorcycles weren't mentioned once. You know, when I sit down with Jason Weber or Jeremiah, we talk about our families. We talk about, you know, the things that we're doing and in that or the passions that they have. And so many of these people are so creative and so incredible. And they have such incredible personalities that you don't like motorcycles. Like, fuck, fuck. We, why do we talk about that? Like, what are you doing right now? Like what? It's everything. Yeah, tell me about your ramen and your fucking yeah. like fucking crystal magic. You know, like, that's oh, the I, shit the, I want to Motorcycles are the most boring yeah. part. I, I of know, like, exactly. Like it's, it's the, yeah, it, it it's overwhelming. Like, but we have yeah. talked about the rides a lot because the this DVR was exceptionally it was fantastic. magical, yeah. And even God though I didn't part, even though I didn't stay up till four and not sleep with these guys, I had more fun over these two three days than I've I've had in years and years. I can't even remember. This was this was a good one, and yeah. the fact that we got to do the original route up through Gold's Point again because it's been a couple years. 2018 was the last time, uh, and that was the year I had to. I had to bail at that the fucking gas the station. Yeah, that was the year. But Fuck. It, I should have gone. It felt like coming home. Uh-huh. And I had a conversation at the bar with some of the guys and at like the, you know, the guys running the place and they were like, we missed you. Where have you been? That felt so good to hear. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't know. There's something about the energy and it's a good, it's a good group of guys. And even though not all of us know each other that well, you, when you, and we were talking about this the other day, but when, when, when you see somebody pull up on one of these crazy fucking motorcycles you know 
that even if you don't agree with each other politically, you don't have the same beliefs or whatever, or, you know, maybe they grew up a different way than you or different place than you and you don't have much in common. You know that that is one crazy son of a bitch that threw his leg over that thing and is willing to ride it around. So there is just a respect that exists because in this group, there are no posers. And and I, and I truly believe that when you're riding sketchy choppers that are being held together with fucking safety wire and zip ties and fucking oil leaking out of every fucking orifice of them, that is about as sketchy as it fucking gets. And if that dude made it to gold point, you got to give that fucker credit because that is not an easy ride. <laughs> to, to put yourself through that yeah. and arrive and is make a huge it. achievement. And make it there, you know. And it, this is not a dig for anybody that had to go on because not every bike makes it there. Listen, I know that better than anybody. No, it's a it's a yeah. goddamn miracle to make it there. It is home. a miracle. but, but and, it, and, and it's a good point. The, ska- the sketchiness, the safety wire that you bring these things along that just get you home yeah and the natural state of these motorcycles is so violent to themselves that they literally destroy themselves as you're riding down the road it takes endurance fitness and which is crazy because when you see how a lot of these guys burn the candle at both ends man it's a miracle they can get these things fucking where they need to go i mean it's just like i don't even know how they do it and then you have to have a level of comprehension to fix all the problems as they're being thrown at you yeah. and to arrive where you're going before dark. Yeah. That's the goal. You just get to where you're going before dark so that if you break down, you're not stuck in the middle of nowhere with no resources. Yeah. And and reaction time on the road. Like when, when we pulled into that gas station before we headed off on the 373 and pole green and that group were talking about how they almost got killed by that fucking, uh, uh, camper that went by. It was a camper and camper and a semi and a semi. And and you, and you think that's a group of guys, thankfully, that's a group of that guys was like that ride eight of together. Our friends right there. That, that's a group of guys that ride together all the time. They are best friends. That is the exact group you need to handle that situation because they were able to move together as a group, react as a group, and it saved their lives. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, and then and you know, coupling up and riding with with a friend for years, like you know, I can ride with you. I can ride with Snake. There's a couple people, Austin, I can ride with them and I can just know by the way they twitch their knee. Yeah. Which they're, where they're going to go. go. Yeah. They're going to change the lane. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's this, this dialogue. Yeah. And it's, I love the, even when you're, even when you're like looking at something in the same direction and you turn your head and you look at your buddy, just in that moment of solidarity that you both saw that. You have to log the miles, though. The only way you yeah. get there is if you log the miles, dude. And you got to do it. And I mean, I know and, uh, as a dad and as a husband and as a, you know, business owner, it's hard to log those miles, but but it's worth it. You know, it it's is so fucking worth it, man. And finding the people that you can do it with and feel safe. You know, I, I usually feel safest by myself, but. You know, riding with you, riding with Dallin, riding with, you know, fucking even Dennis. Dennis is pretty sketchy to ride with. But but uh, there is just when you're when you're two or three in a row or four in a row of just dudes that like can twitch and you know which direction they're going. That is about as much just our group, Eric, Josh, you and me. I mean, we were fucking ripping around. I've never I've never really done like a thousand mile ride with 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 a a sidecar. And that is crazy. (laughs) Just trying to figure out how to get him in the right spot you know and i mean it in in josh you know i mean that guy is a fucking master of that fucking rig right he's an there. ace oh it's unbelievable he's an ace. it's and, just unbelievable and there, these things are like i liken it to, to old fighter pilots flying these 
motors through the sky that barely ran. Yeah, and, and people that's have like no, what we're doing. People have no idea either. I mean, my brake doesn't work. Josh's brakes don't Never work. We're bleeding them in that parking lot. They still yeah. don't work. And yet we are still ripping on these things, reacting to things with with things that barely work. I'm watching that. <laughs> so I can't believe it's legal that we can do this. It's, it yeah. is. It is. It, well, I don't know if technically I can't it believe is, there's like but, no safety require. I mean, yeah. dude, like a one rear mechanical brake and a spool and your rear mechanical brake barely hooks up. Like you're sitting on a pogo stick and bed springs. It's great. Going 80 miles an hour. Exactly. Over potholes. I'm watching that rear tire of that fucking, uh, or the side tire of that sidecar bounce like a basketball. Oh, it's unbelievable. And I'm thinking, do I want to be behind this? How do you think that feels? Like, and Josh just sits there like it's no big deal. And I kept watching that thing. And all it did was bounce down the fucking road. Eric would really know because he had to ride in it for three hours. Once we stashed his motorcycle in the desert, when his kicker lid broke. Oh my God. I mean, I still don't know if those guys came home. I mean, we came home, but they had to go all the way back. I fucking can't believe it. Six more hours in the desert to retrieve his bike where we stashed it. Assuming nobody found it. I can't believe their arms even worked after that arm wrestling session there, you know. They got home and they had an arm wrestling session. (laughs) We had the best cookies of our lives. Couple dudes arm wrestled. And then they went to go retrieve a, a fucking shovel head. It's the fucking life, dude. It really is. I mean, you can't. It's the fucking life. You can't say enough about it. It really is crazy. I look and at, I don't talk about it much, but I do enjoy talking about motorcycles. This is the place to do it. It's why I'm created this little room <laughs> yeah. with with a comfortable setting. Usually we're drinking, but it's I, I this is the second podcast I've done in the morning and I kind of like it. Yeah, it's cool. Is we it, could we could use a little libation though. Maybe we roll it into the afternoon. But yeah, sure. I mean, well, I need I'm out of vodka, so I need to go get my oh. juice. I got to go get my nectar. I just have beer. My dad water. The nectar of life. Yeah. Water of life, as my father, dad used to say. Father water. Yeah. I, I, there's a story. My mom, I can't remember where we were. We were maybe at my graduation or something in New York at Parsons. And it's the first time I had seen my dad kind of in a while. And and he wasn't a big fan of the way I conducted my life up until that point. And he. How old were you? I was, at that point, I was when I graduated, I was 25 or 24. I started there when I was 21, uh-huh. something like that. Think maybe twenty two or whatever, and uh, and uh, he was totally against it. He's like, "Here's just another thing." And in Parsons is very expensive, and they only had to cover one year because they they lost everything and went bankrupt. Their business, our family business, went bankrupt after September eleventh. So just the first year was paid for, and then I had to get student loans and fucking take on all this debt. It was gnarly. But but uh, my dad was like, "Why are you supporting this kid?" He and they had no idea why I was trying to go out there. I'd finally kicked drugs. I'd finally kind of put my life together. And I was, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make my family proud? And the only thing I knew how to do was art. I mean, I was a graffiti artist. I was an artist, a painter, sculptor. Yeah. And so I was like, uh, I like making art. I've always been told I was pretty good at it. And I was like, so I'm going to try to do that. And and my whole life I'd always heard, if you're a great artist, you go to Parsons. Mm. And I was like, okay, Parsons, Parsons, Parsons. And it just resonated. And this is before Tim Gunn and Project Runways, before anybody knew what Parsons was. You had to be like a fine artist to know about Parsons. But it is, you know, if you don't know, it's the most famous design school in the world. Like there's campuses and, you know, globally there's Parsons Paris and whatever. So it is. Didn't we have one in Seattle too? Uh, I don't believe so. Oh, okay, No, you're sorry. thinking of um, 
Uh, starts with a P. Right? Yeah, it does start with a P. I can't remember the name of it, but you're, yeah, you are thinking it's of that. not on that. Level, it's no, 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 yeah, no, no but it is a good school it, yeah. and it's turned into a very good school. Um, so, so I applied to these schools and I ended up getting into them, but my dad was like, and rightfully so, this isn't a dig on my dad. I mean, I totally get it. And, and even when it was happening, I was like, fuck, he, you know, he, he could be right because my track record for being a fuck up was like a hundred percent, you know, <laughs> at least you were consistent. Yeah. I was consistent with that. I mean, Jesus. So he was like, he's just going to go there and fuck this up. Like he always does. And it's going to cost us fucking a gajillion dollars. Or at least this was the way it was translated to me for my mom. And I, and I believe her, you know, because like, why would she lie to me about it? But she was like, nope, I'm going to support him and he's going to do this. And she had no idea how serious I was about it. They would realize you know, within that first year that I was like, dude, I was on Dean's council, Dean's list. I graduated with a three, nine, five GPA at that school. I was fucking like dedicated to Parsons. And I finally took all the energy I put into being a horrible person into something that I knew I needed to do to kind of change my life. Right. And it worked. So, you know, it's a testament to when you really do use your powers for good, you get good things out of it. You know, and I, I'd spent, you know, 22 years using my powers for evil and and i got lots of evil out of it not to say i don't have some fun stories and some really fun times but i wouldn't change a thing i'm one of those guys who like i wouldn't change a fucking thing in my life i wouldn't change my friends dying i wouldn't change jail i wouldn't change drugs i wouldn't change any of it i think you'd be i think you'd be uh you would be shorthanded in life if you didn't know both sides well exactly exactly so so my dad doesn't support it sees me kill myself for four years and then the first time he comes to visit my mom would come out every year you know whether she had the time and money or not she would always come out there because my mother was like my fucking rock you know and uh and she just i couldn't have done anything without her like she supported me and i think she had an idea of how bad it was but she just she had faith in me and and they they were great parents they just were you know my dad wasn't really the the dad that i think i am but like he was the best dad he could be and he was fucking fun you've met my dad my dad's fucking awesome you know he is a lot of fun i get it yeah Yeah. every night first time my wife met my dad she goes i think i finally understand you now yeah you know because anyways but so my dad comes out to new york to see the embodiment of four years of my hard work the fruits of your labor yeah and he comes in there and he is like holy fucking shit and he walks through my senior thesis. Oh man! And he's just like, "Fuck, dude, this is incredible." And and you know, I, at that point, I'd already started my business. It, it was doing furniture full time, and I barely, I almost dropped out my sophomore year because I was making good money. Yeah, I had great contacts, great resources. I was already in a shop in Brooklyn doing my thing, and I was like, "Do I really want to take on forty k in debt each year for the next two years?" And uh, you know, it was thirty eight thousand a year to go to Parsons the first year I started there. And that was fucking 20 years ago. A lot of those kids haven't paid that back yet. Yeah. So, well, I haven't. I'm one of them. Yeah. And I'm paying my wife's fucking college, too. Sorry, Ryan, but I am. But uh, and and so. so <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. But but uh, it's it's one of those moments where my dad finally got it. You yeah. know, he finally got what this whole thing was. And, and, and to me, that was like one of the most rewarding moments of my entire life. When That's I saw. huge in my dad's eyes that he was proud of his son because all I had done was make him disappointed. And, and my mom too, like uh, my mom loved me and was proud of me. And you know, I'm sure it's too broad a statement, but like I was a fucking disaster and, and 
put them through hell emotionally, financially, in every way you could to do it. I was just a disappointment. And and so to see their joy in that accomplishment was deal, which is why I'm so proud of it, you know, and why I I'm and I always say I'm glad I stuck it through and I'm glad I got that diploma. I'm yeah. glad I have that that memory because at this point in my life when I tell people I went to Parsons, they're like, whoa. You know, because everybody knows Parsons. If you watch TV, you've heard about Parsons, you know about Tim Gunn, you know about Project Runway, you know it's this, you know, fancy, you know, fashion department was one of the biggest departments we had, so, yeah. and it still is. But it's one of those things where where people are like, holy shit, you know? And, and, and I'm glad I went there. It changed my whole life. It taught, taught me how to be the designer that I am now. And that obviously became my life's work. So was the most rewarding part of that just doing it for your parents? Pro yeah, probably. I understand. And that. I think, I think the other side of that is proving to myself that I wasn't a loser because right before I went was when I was, when I kind of got clean and I was seeing things clearly for the first time in 10 years, I was scared legitimately scared I'm a young man you know I'm 20 21 years old and I'm scared that you know I've been told my whole life I have talent and I have potential and that I'm wasting it and losing it and then I snap out of this fog you know because I didn't give I was like fuck you fuck you know fuck this whole thing fuck everybody and and when I snapped out of it all I was like is that do they say that to everybody and I'm just a fucking normal person. I have no talent. That's just what all these counselors and all these fucking people just say. And just I'm going to be you. a failure. And I'm destined to actually be a fucking failure. Yeah. And I was scared, terrified. And then I apply to these schools, scared I'm not going to get in. And I have one fallback school. My fallback school was FIT. I was like, oh, well, of course I will get into FIT. The first school to reject me was <laughs> FIT. <laughs> And I remember calling my mom. I'm like, oh, fuck, mom, I didn't even get into fucking FIT. And everybody I know got into FIT. It's like the shittiest fucking one. This is not a diss on FIT. FIT is a fantastic school. It just didn't have the best fine arts program. Okay. Right. And I went to Parsons to be a painter. I thought I was going to be in fine arts. Um, so the next school that, that responded was Parsons. And I got a huge envelope in the mail. And I opened it up and I got in. And that was the school I wanted to go to. And, and, and at that time... I was doing very poorly in school. I had horrible grades. I did not, I dropped out of high school, did the whole thing. It was a miracle. I even graduated. And if it wasn't for the help of a couple teachers like Mrs. Adams at Bellevue High School and a couple of these other teachers, like fucking, I would have not graduated. But because of that, when I was applying to these schools, I had to write this. You know, my best friend, Mike, who saved my life multiple times, and he, and he like is the reason why, he's a huge reason why I have survived this life. Thank and got to and got yeah fucking Mike. Well, you've met Mike Hurst, my buddy. Oh I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he's like, you need to write a letter that explains to these people where you're at in your life right now. Because Mike, I'm gonna cry, but he always believed in me. He you know way more than he should have, but he had faith in me. And he's so smart, so he was absolutely right. He goes, just tell him, man. And he goes, go out there and go to these interviews and introduce yourself to these people because everybody that meets you and hears you with your passion knows that they'd be making a huge, 
bad, poor decision by not bringing you into the school. So I did. I wrote this essay and it talked about all the stupid shit I was doing and how I wanted to start using, you know, the positive, you know, energy that I had to do positive things. And I went out there and I did uh, portfolio reviews at Parsons, uh, Pratt and uh, SVA. And I also did one at FIT, but it was a lot like less. The FIT is a different kind of school, so it was a lot less formal than those other ones. But I did, and I sat down with these inter, these uh, accept uh, uh, what do they call admissions counselors? Yeah. And I was like, "Hey, man, you know, you're going to look at my fucking grades, and you are not going to be impressed." And I, you know, I was just honest with them. I was like, "I've been a fuck up my whole life, but the only thing I've ever done well is art." And I was like, I really want to do this. I really want to come to New York City. I really want to take this seriously. And uh, they all got it. And so after FIT denied me, Parsons, Pratt, and SVA all accepted me. And these are the best design schools in New York. Like these are as good as it gets, right? And then a month later, FIT sends me a letter and calls me and says, we want to accept you into the textiles program. And I was like, what the fuck is textiles? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to come to FIT. I got accepted to Parsons. And I was like, click, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, and so instead of, I applied as a as a transfer student to all these schools. And uh, and because I, I was going to start, I already had gone to college, junior college for like fucking three years, of course, totally blowing it. But the only thing I really took seriously was art. So I was doing sculpture, you know, and all these fine arts programs and life drawing and all the stuff that you needed to do. And so they all accepted me as a transfer student and Parsons did too. But when I got accepted to Parsons, I sat down with my mom and I go, you know, I know I'm fucking older, but I think I want to start there as a freshman and just do, you know, I'm lucky to have gotten in there. So I just want to start over and just do four years at this school. And it was the best decision I ever made because my first year it, in all these art schools you have, your first year is called foundation, right? I mean, maybe some schools call it different things, but I've only ever heard the use the word foundation use. And you do everything you do light. You have eight hours or four hours a day, five days a week of life drawing and yeah. drawing, right? Because they really, it's all about academia. You know, people think art school is this place where we sit around, smoke cigarettes and like talk shit. It's the hardest school. You can't have more than two unexcused absences and you fail. Simple. And like my friends going to big universities would like miss the whole semester and then show up at finals and fucking pass. And that was that. There's nobody taking attendance. We It was the most grueling, brutal. It was they set it up. I found out at the end of my time there that the, they set up the curriculum so that you have to fail. You yeah. have to fail. They break you and they do it because essentially what you've chose to do is the absolute hardest thing you could do for a living is be a professional artist, right? So they basically set you up for failure and beat the shit out of you. And they set you up in these critiques and the teachers just fucking rip. All, all I watched seven days a week was people crying. <laughs> you know, that was it. And I mean, mind you, there's like, and this isn't like women. I'm the, one of the most emotional men you'll ever meet in your life. So crying was some is something I do with the drop of a hat. And I've already cried in this fucking interview. We've been doing it for an hour. But like, we'll get more. It, people are, we will definitely we just get started. more tears. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe this is the first time I've cried. But yeah. it's just tear. It's just, there. people are just getting beaten down. And these are people that think they're great at what they do, but they're young. And I'm older. I'm like four years older than almost everyone. These these girls and guys are 18 years old, fresh out of high school. And where they came from, they were big, popular kids and cool kids. And now they're fucking nothing. 
you know, and New York City is showing them they are nothing and that they need to work hard. And these teachers at Parsons and SVA and Pratt are working professionals that are making it in New York. And if you know New York and you know the art scene there, it is damn near impossible to make it in that art scene. And you are grinding. So these people are doing exactly what you want to be doing. And so when they're tearing you up, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm fucked. You know, and some of these kids don't make it through the first year because it's that hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And three people committed suicide my freshman year jumped off the fucking dormitory. It was fucking gnarly. It was gnarly. So I people like think art school is just hangouts. And that's all we do is like sit around and like smoke dope and like, you know, talk about theory. But that is absolutely not it. We kill ourselves. We don't sleep and uh, try to get the work done. So I wouldn't sleep for three days just to finish my homework. And in the end, I find out that they basic that's impossible. They basically design it so you have to fail at least one class. And I didn't. And that set the course for the next four years. I was like, well, if I can do this, I can fucking do anything. And after my freshman year, I do one project in our 3D course out of wood. I decided to make this lamp out of wood. And I go down, I sneak down into the basement where the woodworkers are. And this kid kind of like, I give him 20 bucks and he does these dado cuts on these panels so I can put this thing together. And I'm just in that shop. I'm smelling the sawdust. And I just have a knack. I realize really quick, I have a knack for woodworking. I have a knack for designing with that material, a knack for and of using those machines and kind of understanding the limits of what they can do and the material can do. And, uh, and so after the first semester, I'm like, man, I, I'm not even thinking about going into fine arts program. I'm like, I, it's either architecture or furniture. And so in your second semester, you get to choose electives and you get, you get three of them or you get two of them. And so because I'm at Parsons and because I knew I'd been in the wood shop, kind of sneaking in and out of there. So I didn't really, I wasn't really unsure about furniture design, product design. Right. So what I did was I took an elective in architecture and I took an elective at fashion because I was like, here I am. Everybody that's here wants to go in the fashion department. This will be my only opportunity to do that and see what that's like. And Tim Gunn, the famous Tim Gunn from top was the Dean at the time I was there. So, and, and he was a big part of that program because he was trying to get people into the fashion department. So I went up there and I did, that was one of my electives and I knew I wasn't going to go into fashion, but I, it was kind of the same thing. It's architecture for the human body. Right. And it's, and so I was pretty, I was vibing pretty hard with fashion actually, but I was just, didn't have the deal. And I did the architecture program, uh, the, the electives there at, at Parsons. But the problem with Parsons architecture was it wasn't an accredited five-year program. So you graduated with a bachelor of fine arts, not a BAR. Right. Mm. So so I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't. And I was OK with that because I could go do two years at an architecture firm and get my uh, my uh, credentials to be an architect. Right. And there are architecture firms all over New York City and they're the biggest, you know, SOM and like all these fucking crazy architecture firms. And they were taking people from Parsons. So it's not like if you went there, you weren't cons- uh, con- eligible, you know. So I go into that program and I and I experience it and I design my building and we do our little thing and I see kind of what's going on in that apartment It's a beautiful building beautiful department they have their own little model shop and so they have a lot of the tools that I would be using in product and uh and I was just like I don't want to spend the next three years making chipboard models I just I want to build stuff so I go into product design and that changes the course of my life forever and was it was it wood 
that particularly got 100, you? Hundred percent. Yeah. Because there's a lot of materials and product design. It's what well what and then I was welding using Bridgeport. Yeah. So we had a, a metalworking class. And I learned to TIG weld right out the gate. No MIG welding. Fuck all that. I just learned to TIG weld because everybody's like, that's the hard thing to do. So I'm like, okay, I want to do that. You know? So I learned to TIG weld. And then I was doing wood and metal because I, I loved and I use using the bridge ports and snapping bits and doing all that kind of self-taught machinist, you know, of course. So it's like more more money than anything. You're just throwing money away. Yeah. Um, and uh, And so I loved it all glass steel wood i was just into it and then i was doing slip casting ceramic and work like so i was designing like tabletop stuff too just i just wanted to design i, I like i opened up that floodgate yeah and it was just like you know i always say I, I go i feel sorry for people that don't that don't see the world the way i see it and i see design in everything and i will like i've never had a dry spell where i'm like blocked like I just like could rattle shit off all fucking day because I have been inspired by design my whole life in architecture, my whole life. And I never knew it until I started doing it, how much a role it had played in my life. I suppose that's what art school is truly yeah. good for. I remember houses my friends grew up in that were mid-century, but that they like spoke to me. You know, it's yeah, just weird yeah. when you connect the dots. When you know it. Yeah. It's funny. I learned to weld in art school too. Mm -hmm. that's where I learned steel that's where I learned casting yeah um, I went on after that and worked in a truck like some sort of truck place doing or, welding yeah. trailers or something well uh, chandeliers okay did but and so my it's just the journey's wacky man it's like you take and I'm still on it and you were a fine artist too I remember the yeah. first time I went down to K2 to visit you after we had first met yeah and we kind of connected and you took me down to K2 and you were showing me your drawings yeah and uh I was just like, fuck, this dude's got some chops. <laughs> that was that was a good job for me as much as it, it bugged me. It was, it, they let, they took the leash off me after a little while and they let me put a camera in my hand. They yeah. let me continue designing snowboards. Yeah. And uh, I remember your little product Photoshop up in that little like lofted area yeah, yeah, where you do your catalog stuff. But, the, but the, the greatest thing they ever did is they allowed, they gave me full access to the machine shop. Yeah. After after hours, they're like, you can stay here all night if you Boom. want to. It was a world class machine shop, so I got to learn. I my first SolidWorks projects were in there. Sick. You know, it was, it, is that where you did the trees? Yeah. 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 Cool. You know, I could use I could use anything, and that was worth all the bullshit I put up with there. Yeah. 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 Of course. It was it it was such an education. I mean, I our, think you definitely. I mean, it, the way you came out of that, you definitely made it the best it could be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I I sponged it all up that I could. And and that's what gave me the confidence to come out here and try. Actually, you gave me a lot of confidence seeing you fight the fight every day in your fucking shop with with working for no one else, just sticking to your guns. Well, I remember you talking to me about it. Like I think I want to do my own thing. Yeah. And it's like, hey, it's going to suck, but yeah. fuck, dude. Can be done. The day I quit my job, I was thinking about Tom Jones. I was like, okay, now I got to work like him. Fuck. You <laughs> horrible decision, dude. Um, well, I, I, I also, you know, it's just, it was just time. And um, it was a pivotal, it was a pivotal point because I felt like I had reached as far as I was going to get there. And I knew the rest was up to me. Yeah. And, uh, and it, I was surrounded by some of the best people at that point that I had met through bikes. Yeah. You, Dallin was doing his own thing. Yeah. 
And I remember he called me when he was stopped doing this sommelier thing. And he was like, should I do this? Yeah. And I was like, dude, yes, I yeah. think you should do it. And he did. I remember that was a major thing going back. He could, cause he had had to go get a job. He was like, you know, just the fucking 2008, 2009 shit happened. And he got scared, yeah. got a job and he was killing it at his job. But he was like, fuck, I don't want to fucking do that. I want to fucking build stuff i want to yeah and and i remember talking to him about it and he was just like should i do this we what do you think needed to see you oh working it give me a break well no i i think there is something to that is um there's confidence confidence is contagious well it's people it, what it is is it's it's pe somebody that you love telling you you can do it yeah you know that's all you guys needed to hear yeah there's a guy like me fuck what i was doing a guy like me that was like yes you can but do I also, it. I needed to hear it. Yeah, I hear it's one thing, but seeing it's another. Like my father, he made all this furniture. Like that, that's awesome. That I remember that, that year, the year he passed away. Yeah. I was supposed to come out. And I meet really him. wanted you guys yeah. to meet because he would have gone bananas in your shop. <laughs> well, his passion I mean, was woodworking. His shop was probably nicer than mine. That right there is his first roll top a desk he ever built. Absolutely, beautiful. and he made a lot of those. And this, these filing cabinets. Did he know? do that filing cabinet yeah. back there? And oh, this sick. one too. He used a lot of quarters on white oak. There you go. And he loved it. He milled down as he cut his own wood. Like he was, he was in it. Awesome. He, he, he loved it more than anything, but, uh, he never, it, not until the very end of his life, the last couple years of his life, did he take the risk and he worked for 35 years in the same fucking job uh -huh. to support his family, to support us and doing his passion in the garage at night. That's yeah. what I, that's yeah. what I understood of this shit. I didn't know that until I really saw some of my friends doing it with a family yeah. that it could be done. And I think it is the hardest path you can choose. It is. I, 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 I mean, and I don't just say that cause I do it. I mean, I, I, I have had every year, multiple times a year for 21 years, I have questioned everything I did. I have struggled. I have been so broke and, and just by, you know, I'm not a religious person, but it's, it, there's miraculous things that happen. But, but, but if you're not great at what you do, sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, but I worked so fucking hard at it and, tr and, and just devoted so much of my energy to it that I was able to make the right connections with the right people. And sometimes if, if you're good and you have the right energy, people remember you. And they'll be like, so every time I had hit rock, and I was like, fuck, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my fucking bills. And we got this baby and I got my wife and, and somebody would call me and be like, Hey, my buddy's got this kitchen thing. I think you'd be perfect for it. And it would just fucking happen. And it always happened at like the last moment. So my wife got into this place where she would be like, we would be right there on the razor's edge, razor's edge. And she would be like, it always works out. And I would, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist, but I'm a pessimist in those moments. And even though it had historically, it had always worked out. I was just like, but what if it doesn't this time? Like, what if it doesn't yeah. this time, you know? And then, you know, after like 15 years, it just starts to work, you know, but that is how it works. You know, I read the books about Maloof and these other master woodworkers, you know, American legend guys, you know, they're, they're, they're the fucking blue chips, right? And none of them turned a profit for 30 years. These are guys that like scraped by yeah. until they were in their 60s and they, they built up enough notoriety about what they did or built up enough. These are guys that were exhibited in galleries. They weren't really like uh, 
show guys. They were just exhibited in galleries. They were viewed as more of Nakashima, Maloof, yeah. guys that were viewed more as fine artists. Not technicians. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they were woodworkers, you know, and they needed to make a living. And so, but it took them decades to get there. And so I knew in the back of my head, I was like, fuck, I just have to grind it out and get to the point where people have seen it enough know it enough to have faith to spend this kind of money on it you know because i am high i and, and these days i'm not even really high end i'm kind of like middle high end because there is shit that's bonkers expensive now and uh and i know anybody that's listening to this like gone to my website is like oh that fucking shit's crazy it's not I, I i'm not getting rich in that shop in seattle like like you laughing you know like i work hard to make the money that i'm making furniture and all of the motorcycle i shit shit i have is paid for buy hard work in the motorcycle industry. I do not mix those banks. I do not use furniture money to buy motorcycle parts. I sell shit and keep shit. That's yeah. that's how it works. And that's the only way it works in my house. Otherwise, my wife would fucking kill me. But the grind of doing it is the hardest part about it. It's not, it's not anything. And it's because of money, dude. Money fucking ruins everything. Do you think your relationship improved with your parents and your family when that started to hook up? Meaning, what do you, how do you mean? Like, Elaborate. Did it, did it make relationships easier when you started to see the fruits of your labor? Like they, they saw, they had the confidence in you at that point that, or was it always, they were always believing in you too? One of the hardest things I have, I think about is like, I, you know, I'm married now. Yeah. I'm like you, I, I'm an artist. That is the only ticket I have. Right. If that doesn't work. And that's scary. It's scary. That is a scary place Fucking to be. scary. I don't have anything else to fall back on. Right. And my education as a photographer is completely saturated. Oh there is God. no money in photography now. Yeah. Everybody has picked up a camera, bought a camera. And I'm not, I, I think that that is great. And I have, and it has really accelerated a lot of the aspects of photography that I enjoy. But a lot of these people coming in and underbidding what was our economy right has now collapsed it yeah and the old formula when you when you apprentice under a photographer they teach you everything including the economy behind it right preserves that for everyone else now that that has been skipped we have a problem where there's no budget left for our craft anymore it's tough i mean life as an artist i don't need to to explain it to yeah. you and not I think, just and I, photography but all of them yeah it gets it gets but scary. you need to have support you you do you need people to support you need people that you look up to respect and admire yeah. to tell you everything's going to be okay but i i will say it and say it again and again and again you will not survive as an artist if you are not great at what you do any it's not about just wanting it it really isn't and i, I think it's a sad thing to say to a lot of people because you know i've had a million fucking young furniture makers want to come and see and they come to my shop and they're like i think they're expecting some big company this and it's not it. yeah and i'm always kind of embarrassed in, in one way but but my mentor always said keep your overhead low and you'll always be in business that's and, it and that so that is my mantra that's right and it. that is what i have done and that is how i survived 21 years in a very difficult industry to survive um but you need people to have faith and you also need to understand that it doesn't happen overnight and you have to be willing to kill yourself for it. But without 
listen, if nobody likes your shit and wants your shit, you're never going to make it, no matter how hard you work. And I'm sorry to anybody listening that's been told their whole life, you work hard, you'll get in there. That's absolute bullshit in, as an artist, okay? You have, to be, you have to be great at what you do. You have to be a master, and people have to, every, it's not just one person has to see it. Everybody has to go, wow, that guy's fucking good. Not only that, yeah. because there are plenty of, there are actually a lot of people on that level who never saw the fruits of their labor. A hundred percent. I've met some of the greatest talented. furniture makers in the world. I shared a shop with one in New York. He was the most fantastic woodworker I could, I would never be the woodworker he is. Trained at the the North Bennett School. I mean, this dude is a fucking boss. Next dude. level. Next never level. Never saw any But of he it. couldn't design his way out of a paper sack. So he could never create an identity for himself, no matter what his skills were. So without architects and designers feeding him work, he just could never make. He'd spend a thousand hours on a desk, and it just looked. You'd walk by it, and you'd be like, "Oh, neat marquetry in the top." But to me, I was like, "Holy!" Like I couldn't make that yeah. in fucking twice the amount. You have to be great at what you do. You know what? There's also there's also, <laughs> and that's not me saying I'm great at what I do. But listen, I. I have, a hard I have a knack for it yeah and I work hard at it and I got lucky what I and I, and I say this you have you do have to ha always have a little luck worked in there luck help. I read a trend right before it happened and that was the mid-century furniture movement and I designed a mid-century inspired collection before everybody got in and that changed my whole life and that is that is the bread and butter of my business is my Ryan collection named after my wife and it is inspired by mid-century lines and it just took off you know and that it was what pays my bills if anyone's sitting around is like how does this guy make his fucking money it's selling ryan collection and that is my bread and butter i sell those benches i sell those fucking chairs i sell them like hotcakes i want one yeah. so bad <laughs> well yeah you, you might get one one of these days I you never know so bad for yeah. this. how good would it look in this house come on it would look pretty fucking good um you brought up an interesting point though um i i, I don't i don't i'm not I'm not trying to say that it's it's not doable or just I think everybody should try it. But you got to realize, you know, when you start taking on the risk of a family and, you know, when I was single, I was like, this is it. Like, let's do or die. I'm prepared to die for this. Like, if I don't make it at this, might as well count me off as write me off as dead. And by this, you mean an artist as an artist. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, when I got married, that changed. So I'm like, fuck. And we got we got married. Um in just three years ago we've known each other for six but you know our lives got so improved by each other oh in, yeah in in the company of each other that i couldn't ignore that and then and, and that's what a marriage should be it is and we we never even we were both the type to never get married right to be honest with you we were never even planned on it i don't know i've known i've known I've known you for a long time. I've known her for like fucking, I don't know, an hour and a half. And I can, uh, you're both the kind of people that would be married. You well, just well, needed to find the, the right person. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I wasn't opposed. It's the, more the institution. Oh, like, yeah, I'd yeah, be yeah. Committed, oh, yeah. We did partnered talk about with someone. Yeah, I get that. I totally but when her, that. when her immigration got denied, it was like, clicked on me. I, we didn't really even. Well, you and me talked about it. I was like, did. dude, put the fucking ring on that yeah. girl. So that fuck, I don't even care if she gets her fucking visa. Straight to the court. Marry that girl. Here we go. Like that, that. That solved it. But but now that that's there, I'm like, I really want to make her proud. I want her to be confident in the way that we're living and, and the time I'm spending on this shit. Yeah. And that we're starting to see it catch on a little bit more. But yeah. as a as a as a concept on the ground floor, it looks very small and insignificant. But you saying that you were in seeing the trend before it, you know, catches yeah. on, that's what I'm doing now. And you've been you've been talking about this as long as i've known you and this is before like, like, like listen everybody that fucking you know 
has eyeballs, sees a motorcycle every 10 seconds, and everybody knows that in every marketing thing, there's a fucking chopper or this and that. His motorcycle culture is fucking so played out. But but we were part of that like movement, and we we didn't know it was going to turn into this. We just thought we were into some old shit. It was kind of like how skateboarding, it's so funny, the parallels, but it was kind of like how we were skating when we were getting duct taped to benches and fucking punched in the face by jocks and and doing all that kind of shit, and then it became cool yeah we got into choppers when everybody's like what are these crusty ass fucking turds that yeah. you're riding around on they're like well, don't you, park that here yeah you guys think you're bugging yeah. blah, blah, blah. and now it's like oh fucking sick panhead you know <laughs> and there were a lot of people in it long before us like like texas didn't but, but oh yeah 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 my, my point and i was, and i don't think i'm cool like like i always say this riding motorcycles does not make you cool it does not make you special anybody can ride a motorcycle anybody can get a chopper anybody can do that but not anybody can can ride these crazy death traps okay like and not anybody can just put them together and do all that kind of and stuff make but, it home. but and, and right but anybody can and it but the problem is it does not make you cool it does not make you special it just makes you crazy you know it makes you crazy <laughs> yeah but i will say this yeah it does feel as fun as it looks there is a parallel between crazy and cool that's existed yeah. a lot longer than you and i have been on this earth i'm, I'm still trying to to yeah. figure out the line there because I'm jumping both sides oh, of the you're daily. living the fucking American dream down here I'm, brother I'm trying to but you know to my point the uh, recognizing that most people with a family and a job and every tra- trapping that it takes to live a life in this country will never do what we do and I can yeah. I can I can bring that ride to them if I get good enough at translating it. Yeah. Because those guys, some of those guys want it more than anybody. Yeah. And they, but they'll never do it, but they would love to see it and live vicariously yeah. through it. And that, and that's the thing is it's not, it's not for everybody. Like, right. Like there's dudes that will ride that love motorcycles that would get on that right at one block and be like, fuck, that is fucking nuts. What dude. we went through last night yeah. would have, would have been, would have shaken so many people well, right. leaving that bike in the desert, taking it apart, figuring out that it's a mortal injury. And then, climbing on a sidecar and riding three hours then spending the rest of your night going back to get it well just think about how many times in the last 12 years we've been riding these shitty old harleys how many times you've almost died on it yeah i mean it's it's not five times ten times no i've run out of fingers it's it's like i mean i don't even ride as much as you and it's it's probably a hundred times i've almost died on that motorcycle and i still get i haven't changed it one bit I still get on it. It still has all the same failures. Sorry, Ryan, if you're listening to this, but it's still a fucking death trap. It's not. It's a death trap. Okay. And I know it, Yeah. but I'm like, eh, I can get around it. And the whole time I'm riding and I'm thinking of escape routes. If something shitty happens, like oh, when that sidecar wheel goes bouncing off, that's why here's where I'm going to go. You. Yeah, yeah. You have a plan B every time. <laughs> People who don't go. have a plan B, I do not ride next to them. Yeah. Remember that time we were going into the desert that first year and I almost had to jump off the fucking panhead because oh that white God. car came in the side of me and you guys were all, oh and I literally lifted God. my leg over the side I of it and was getting ready to jump off the fucking bike. I'm surprised bike. you didn't poke a hole yeah. in it was, that car. It was pay. literally in a fraction of a second. I was like, well, I'm going to have to jump off this bike right now. And then the dude sees me, screams, and then they swerve out and I almost jumped off. <laughs> Because I'm like, it's going to be that. better. I was it's going to be better to jump and roll and let this fucker coast than to get hit and get wrapped up with this bike. I was watching that and I was like, 
there goes my friend. Oh my God. I remember you said that we got the gas station. You were like, my friend. I thought you were dying right there. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Shaking. Yeah. I was like, I was, Shaking. I thought I was, I thought it was doing about, and we were going 70 fucking miles an hour. I was going to jump off that. And I was like, I was going to get run over yeah. by a tractor trailer yeah. that was on the Right when the t- you get on the ten from that fucking ninety, I know freeway. you. You could have yeah. survived the duck and roll, but oh, the tractor know. trailer is going to take you out. Yeah. Every time I get next to one, I'm like, God, I hope that wheel bearing doesn't go right now. Speaking of shaking, <laughs> I got to piss again. I got to piss. Yeah, yeah, oh, thank God, Ugh. dude. I'm still living in <laughs> desert bag. shark springs. <laughs> a little desert, a little boiling shark springs. I maybe? had the. I had the. Uh, the chicken fried mistake. It oh, the chicken fried mistake, and... dude. I, I'm like, listen, I saw that one coming, buddy. I tried to warn you. It, it just, it, it smelled so good. And the tater tots, I put the gravy on the tater tots too. It was the gravy. It was probably it, the gravy. I don't think yeah. it was the, the, this chicken fried steak. It wasn't the tots. I had the tots. So the tots, oh man, it was a weak point. And uh, it's a combination of everything we ate on the road, honestly. Yeah. I played it safe, dude. There's nothing worse. I've been there. I, I let there. myself go. I, I I can't I can't take those kind of risks. I uh, I had a moment coming back up the hill here at the very end between Twenty Nine Palms and the house. That's the worst part of the ride. Too. I almost gambled and lost. With the oh with the fart. Yeah. Oh dude, I, it's so funny because you know farting on a chopper is like one of the most skill related things that we do on them right because it's like it's a lot of technique and you never know what it's going to do and it takes real patience and real dedication you know to do that yeah. and especially on that stretch of the road because it's the bumpiest stretch of the road ever so you can and you it's get a, the final stretch so your body's yeah. like here we go you could get really close a couple times and then boom and then you know scares that fucker right back in there snake i think it was it snake on your podcast that yeah. gave the fun it's yeah. just it, it's a skill it's a skill, everybody. Snake has always had a, a compromised stomach. It's gotten better. Oh, really? But man, oh, that kid drag. that kid was always in trouble. God, that'd be the worst on the road. I had it happen one time. I can't remember what year it was, but we were riding around and I and I got it. And it was just like it's the worst, dude. Dude, that night in the in the cabin up in Gold Point, I heard you fart. And I, I mean, that's why I went and took a shower. You mean shart. You, well, you sharted or farted or something. I was like, I have to wash my butthole. Well, I'm the mayor of that. Boiling Shart Springs, so, you know, every once in yeah. a while it gets a little noisy. I, I I, I should say asshole. My wife hates it when I say butthole. I think it's the funniest fucking word. Buttholes? I don't know. I don't know if I have a preference over one or the other. But that, Use them all. that was such a wet fart. It was wet. It, it made me uncomfortable. I had to go take a shower. Well, all right. Well, I can't keep people comfortable all the time. <laughs> you know, was, that's one of my qualities is soothing comfort. <laughs> I was surprised. People always tell me that, like, you know, God, you just you just radiate this comfort. Yeah, no, I don't they never know. Said that. I don't know if they know you as well as I know you. Oh. That's the case. Well, I'm glad they don't, as a matter of fact. I keep the list of, of close friends very, very short. You, um, you reminded me of something. Hmm. We've been talking about your parents. Uh-huh. But... You know, the last time we talked about your fam, your very, very complex family that you've just discovered oh, was on the yeah. side of the road at Born Free with our helmets on fixing your ignition switch like four years ago. That's all I that's all you've told me about that whole thing that happened was in that moment. Where were we? We were at Born Free. I think we were leaving Born Free. And what happened to my bike? It was well, your ignition switch went out, I think, or maybe it was your 
your headlight switch or something were fixing a switch on your bike okay and you were telling me about how you found your biological adop- parents your biological parents yeah that is a trip so and that 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 was i mean i guess it's not as new now but it was brand new then yeah well i mean that's a long story if you want to go into that that's a pretty that's a pretty that's a long one but that's it's a, a pretty it's, fascinating story it's a pretty insane story so so if if you're game i'll, I'll fucking no, tell it I, well i've been dying to know it okay so so it goes back many, many, many years. Okay, so from from clearly my, to birth, right, 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 to, to birth. Because my brother is Korean. Okay, and not everybody that knows me knows that I have a Korean brother, right? And but we, my brother was adopted at eight. He he came, finally got over from South Korea when he was around eight months old. Wow. And uh, and my brother and I are like a year, a year apart, a year and four months or something like that. Um, so we're very close in age, and uh, and then. My dad, Jerry, his mom, works at this church in Longview, Washington. And uh, and uh, the pastor um, at the time had a, uh, a, a the mother of a young girl come in and say, hey, you know, my daughter is pregnant. She was 17 years old. And, uh, and uh, she knew she didn't want to have the child, but she knew she did not want to terminate the pregnancy. So... So she had come to Pastor Cotton and said, hey, do you know of anybody that might be interested in in our community that that uh, would be interested in adopting a child? And uh, and so Tom, uh, uh, Pastor Cotton knew that my that Willie May's son had just adopted a baby from Korea and that they were potentially eager to adopt more children. They took, my parents couldn't have kids, you know, they tried, they couldn't do it. So Willie May came home and asked Jerry and, and Amy, my, my mother and father, if they would be interested in adopting another child. And they were like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. And, you know, obviously there, it, the process was far more informal back in the late seventies. Right. So, so, uh, but it was still, you know, there like, like information had to be shared. Like it was, it was a big deal. Um, but nothing like it is today. Like today it's, it's crazy and rightfully so it should be, it should be crazy. But, but, um, they, uh, had almost, it, it my brother had so many health complications getting over here that by the time he finally got kind of like healthy and, 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 you know, kind of acclimated to America, they had almost forgotten that they had. A, that they were adopting another child at least that's the way they tell it they, we were so overwhelmed and like so crazy that when they called us and told us that that your mom had gone into labor we were like oh fuck we gotta uh, get another crib yeah so so i'm born and i'm adopted immediately right and uh or, or as an infant right like i'm like like i don't i'm not eight months old i'm like a day old you know yeah. and then and then and so uh it was their first experience with like a baby you know my brother was like eight months they the the way they say it is my brother was actually like speaking korean words when he came over like that's how much different the experience was um and he had all kinds of health issues and all that kind of stuff and i was just like you know this like goofy little baby that was just kind of ready to party and and uh so so instantly as early as i can remember it's 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 very obvious that my brother is not you know white (laughs) so and my parents are white so it was never one of those things where they even attempted to make me feel like i wasn't adopted it was like you and your brother adopted we couldn't have kids and whatever and i was just they tell you that oh it's early like yeah 
as early okay. as I could okay. receive the information and process it, I've, yeah. I've always known I was adopted. Right. I've always right. known my brother is adopted and we were adopted kids, you know, yeah. and that's kind of was. But nobody thought I was adopted because I looked just like my mom. Right. And I don't look like my dad at all. But but what's funny is my dad and my biological dad are very similar in the way that they look. Mm-hmm. Right. They both have super dark hair, super dark eyes. And I'm like this toehead, blonde, blue eyed fucking kid. And, uh, you know, I looked like it's funny because, you know, we were talking about Mel and race of gentlemen. I looked just like Van when I was a kid, like his his son. Uh, right. Yeah. Like just blonde fucking hair and just you look like wild just like hellion. Matthew and I've met and I've met Van and I'm a, I was a lot like Van at that. Yeah. I was just like, I can't let's like and Yeah. It, and Van's fucking awesome. So so growing up, I always knew I was adopted. But from a very early age, I've always known that my grandmother knows who my parents are because they lived in Longview and she kind of orchestrated the whole deal, right? Mm. But she had made a promise to keep it confidential and the woman, my biological grandmother, Betty, who I met when I was 39 or 40, uh, uh, had no idea that Willie Mae was my grandmother the whole time and they saw each other every Sunday Not at church. She knew. And I had been in the church with my mother my biological grandmother yes and what's interesting this story gets crazy oh, all right the story gets God. crazy so when i'm like um so fast forward and you know i'm growing up as an adopted kid and it's hard my brother's korean in a white community so it was tough growing up being an adopted kid you know and having to explain that to people and people fucking sucked in the 80s it was just like oh you're fucking adopted so like like you know your parents like and it's just like who the fuck like fuck you maybe that's why I turned into an asshole at such an early age because I was constantly dealing with fucking idiots you know from day one that they just sense. couldn't wrap their mind around the idea of like human beings not be able to have babies they adopt children you know like that's how it works and you know my, having a Korean brother was a huge struggle for like you know a lot of these shitty fucking white kids growing up in suburban America and uh, and so it was weird you know and me and my brother were best friends right up into the point I started to go off the rails, you know, and, uh, which was around like, I would say like 10, 11. Right. And, uh, and so around that time I was struggling a lot with my own identity and struggling a lot just in life in general. And I was asking a lot more about it. So at that moment in time, my mother, my adopted mother, Amy, she's the only mother I have. Okay. So Amy, my mom, uh, comes to me with an envelope and in that envelope, is it's written Tom's biological parents and there's two pictures about one inch by one inch cut out from the newspaper that are a picture of a man and a picture of a woman and they were given to me and she and my mom was like you know I know you've been asking a lot about this and I was asking my grandmother because I always knew that Willie May knew who my parents were I was like just tell me who my fucking parents are like tell me their names and uh, and my grandfather, my grandfather had died a couple years earlier, who I was very close to, Tom, who I'm named after, Tom Mendenhall, my mom's mom, and uh, and I was just having a hard time. I was having a hard time with that. I was having a hard time with the idea that like I wasn't related to any of these people. I didn't look anything like these people except for my mom, and you know I just wasn't like like I didn't have the same family history. I wasn't from Scotland. I wasn't from these places. I was like. Uh, a nobody you know so i used to always say people like where are you from like i'm american that was it because i am and i still say that i'm like i'm american and i have the 23 in me and i know my whole family history now but i'm 
I'm American, red-blooded, born in America. Nobody, even if after the last four years, I'm still a proud American, even though it, it's harder to be that one now than it ever has in my life. <laughs> but I still have faith, America. But uh, the, I was struggling. So she gave me those pictures, and I, and I looked at them, and I saw, and I saw my mother. My, or what I, you know, over the course of my life, over the next 30 years almost, I didn't know if they were or not, you know, and they wouldn't, there was no names, there was no nothing. I was just told that when you graduated from R.A. Long High School in Longview, in a senior, your picture was published in the newspaper and these were cut out of the Longview newspaper. So I didn't look anything like my dad, nothing. I was like, who the fuck is this guy, you know? Um, and, uh, and so... I kept those pictures in that envelope, the same envelope they were given to me in, and I took them everywhere with me. So when I went to, when I moved to LA when I was 18, I had them with me. I just always had them with me. So I never, they weren't like super, They were, it's not like something I carried around, like, but they were always, with, I always took them with me wherever I went. So I could always, and occasionally like once every couple of years, I would open it up and look at them, you know? And so I meet my wife, fast forward to, you know, the early, like two th or 2000, I meet my wife or who would become my wife and uh and, you know she's half irish half italian from parents grew up in bensonhurst and bay ridge and they're like got all these italian things and all these families irish deal. things family is a huge everything to her yeah everything and she's got her sisters and her cousins and they all like you know and her mom and her dad and i would become part of that family you know and and it would start to make sense to me you know and and i'm glad it did because because if it wasn't for her determination to force me to take it more seriously. I would have never met these people and these people have changed my life. Um, and so she is obsessed. I'm like, I'm adopted. And she's like, so you don't know where you're from? Like, where, like, what's your family? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, who fucking cares? I'm like, I have my parents. Like, I don't fucking care if I ever meet those people. I don't, I just don't care. I'm, I, I have a mom. I have a dad. I have a brother. I'm good. And, and she just couldn't, wrap her mind around the fact that I didn't want to know. And it's not that in the course of my life, I wasn't curious. There were plenty of times where I thought a lot about it and was struggling and whatever, but I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't struggle in a way that like, that would make any change, right. Or figure it out. And so other than just asking my grandmother and like, Hey, who are my parents? And she'd be like, Oh, I made a promise not to tell. And I'm like, okay. And my, you, you've never met Willie Mae, but if you did, you'd know it wasn't worth even bothering. Sure. Know? She was never going to, you weren't pushing say, it. She was never going to tell me. Okay. okay. So Ryan and I have Tavo and she just won't stop. It's just fucking relentless about finding the parents. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, here, here I go. Here you go. Here's my parents. I pull out that envelope. I show her the picture. She's like, where were you born? I'm like Longview. Was born in this hospital, it's the same hospital everybody from Longview was born in. And she's like, "Well, can you go get your records?" So I started asking around. I'm like, "Can I get my records?" And they're like, "No, you're adopted, so all that shit's sealed. You could go in and get your birth certificate, but you're going to get the same one you were given. And it's going to be Amy Jones and Gerald Jones, and that's going to be it." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" There's so not they like hide a, that from you when you're adopted. It's completely locked. Well, it's, it it wasn't an open adoption. Oh, so it's okay. all sealed, all sealed. There's no so way it I could, could be. Anything. You could get adopted and leave it open. You could leave it open, but yeah. it, that's a mutual thing. And my parents were not doing that, and the, you know, well, the whole deal. So now that I've met my biological parents, I think they would have done that. But my mom and dad were like, "No fucking I way," see. because they know that if you do that, there's a chance that you could. Adoptions get murky, uh, and I if you leave it. them open and you leave that connection with the biological family, it can get very murky. Yeah. Okay, very very murky. So. 
I think Tavo's like, I mean, fuck, he's a baby. So we go to Longview to visit my grandparents. And I'm like, fuck it. I'll go to RA Long. I'll bring these pictures with me. I know what year I was born. So if these are their senior pictures and I, I can guesstimate how old my parents were, I needed to look at yearbooks from 1974 to 1978, right? And uh, so I go into RA Long. And trust me, back then, this is like 2000. Uh, four or five, probably, because Tavo was born. So Tavo was a baby. So maybe two thousand six, right? Because he was born in two thousand five. He was born in two thousand five, and uh, and we go there, and in two thousand five, you're a guy with neck tattoos, and you walk <laughs> into a town like Longview, Washington, into a school, and school had just gotten out, and there's kids fucking everywhere, and they're looking at me like, who the fuck is this guy? And I parked the car, and the, the RA Long is the most majestic, amazing high school. It looks like a fucking university. It's that. It's all brick. It's 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 crazy. So I'm walking into this school. It's the first time I've ever been in there. And there's like a some sort of teacher at the bottom of the hall. I'm like, hey, I'm 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 looking for old yearbooks. Where would I find those? They're in like they're in the library upstairs. So I'm like, okay. So I go up in the library, and there's some women behind a desk up there. And I walk in. I'm like, hey. This might be the weirdest request you get all day. I'm like, but I'm adopted and I have two pictures of my biological parents and I know that they went to this high school or I think they did. Uh, they, I, I go, at least one of them went to this high school. The other one might have gone to Mark Morris uh, over in Kelso. And I'm like, so I'm going there next uh, if they're not here. And I'm like, so I need the yearbooks from 74 to 77. And I'm like, where are they? And she goes, well, we keep them in this room in the back. Let me go get it. And so she goes, walks me through, and the kids in the, in the library are like, who the fuck is this weird dude? <laughs> and we walk back. She unlocks the door. She goes in, and, and I'm like, do you want to bring them out? She goes, no, you just go in there. She, she Here's where they are. Here's 74, 75, 76, 77, like whatever. So I pull them all out. There's this tiny little table in there, and I lay them all open, and instantly, like the first one I open, I find my dad. No yeah. way. So class is 75 or 76. He was a couple years older than my mom. And there he is. And so I get his, so boom, there's his senior picture. It's the wow. same fucking thing I got, but now I see it in color right. and big. And there's his name, Dean Traxler. And I'm like, yes, Traxler. I've never met a Traxler. I'm like, it's going to be easy as fuck to find this guy, right? Oh, good point. So, and then I'm like, okay, cool. So Dean Traxler, I write the information. I, there's no smartphones or nothing like that. So I'm just like writing this shit down. I'm not taking pictures of anything. I'm like, fuck it. How did that feel? Would you, like, it was pretty crazy. It was like pretty crazy. It was yeah. pretty crazy. And so I open up the next one. And I think it was like class at 76 or 77. Because my mom was a senior when she was pregnant with me. She carried me all through her senior year. Uh -huh. right? So, uh, so boom, I find her. Lisa Smith. And I'm like, fuck. Smith. I am Lisa Smith. I'm like, I am never finding this girl. Ever. Yeah. Like, ever. So, I'm a little disappointed because I really, and this is going to sound weird maybe to a lot of people, but I really never had any interest in meeting my dad. I just wanted to meet my mom. Because... Uh -huh. Because my, the story I had always told myself was my dad and my mom probably met at some fucking party. He probably knocked her up out in the fucking, at the kegger, kegger in the woods. And it was like some shameful thing. And maybe he didn't even know she got pregnant, whatever. I could, it couldn't even be more wrong when, when I find it. It's crazy. And I was like, my mom was young. She didn't want to raise the kid of some like deadbeat like dude she had a one night stand with and like well, I just convinced myself you know you, re you you see a lot of shit growing up about sure. adoption yeah, I can and imagine. All so yeah, I just created the worst case scenario because I was like that's the only reason anybody could ever want to give up a child right and uh, so I find Lisa Smith 
and it takes me like fucking five minutes. I walk back out to the car and I'm like, here they are, Lisa Smith, Dean Traxler. And I found their pictures, the class, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and Ryan's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, so when we get to Willie Mays, let's pull open a Longview white pages and uh, let's see if we can find these fuckers. So we go back to Willie Mays. We are not even telling her what we're doing because, of course, she wouldn't be a huge oh, fan of Oh, right. I pull out the Longview white pages and boom, Traxler. There's only one Traxler. So I take the book. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just taking this thing. There is like 400 Smiths that live in the Longview Kelso area. Yeah. And like there's two Lisas. But so we don't do anything when we're there. And then when we get back to um, we were living in Redmond at the time in my in my uh, aunt's or maybe it's maybe it's Axel that was a baby and Tava was like five. I don't know. Uh, Ryan will know, but, and I should know because I'm usually pretty good with that stuff. I think maybe Axel was a baby in Tavo Size. So maybe this is much later. Maybe this is. Maybe this is like 2012. Okay. I think I think it was. I think Axel was a baby. Tavo's like five. And because if we were moving in, if we were living in the, the my aunt's place in Redmond, which I'm almost 100% positive we were, Ryan had just moved back mm -hmm. from North Carolina. Okay. And if you know me and you know that whole story, it was a miracle that happened. I and I, and it, was a, it was a pretty crazy time in my life. And uh, and so I was doing anything Ryan wanted me to do. I was like, shit, shit you want to find the parents now? Okay, let's do it. And so we get back to, to home. We have a trip. And we, I, I do a little bit of prying with Mimi before we leave. And I go, I go hey, I found their names. You want to tell me who these people are and if they still live here? And Mimi just gets super weird. Oh. Okay, super weird, and she's like, "Why do you want to know?" I'm like, "Well, because I'm, I fucking want to know, and my wife's driving me fucking nuts about this whole thing. <laughs> so how about it's not me? Yeah, it's her. I'm like, here, I I have their fucking names now. Why don't you just tell me where the fuck these people are? You know, like throw me a bone here. She gets super weird. So I go back. We make some phone call, or Ryan makes some phone calls. So I'm like, listen, I'm not calling any of these people. She calls the Traxler. Turns out it's my uncle. He has no idea Dean had a kid. So at that point, I'm like, is this even my fucking dad? Like, how can they not know? And and then that jives with my version of the story. Like, maybe it was a one-night stand, he never, and they never knew, and, like, the whole deal. So I'm kind of like, and he's like, well, Dean lives in so-ever, and, like, he has two sisters, and, like, starts spinning this yarn about the brothers and sisters fighting. The, the, he was a mechanic, which is kind of an interesting part of the sense. story, and he yeah. rode motorcycles, and he was an artist, and uh, and him and his brothers and sisters got in some fight over some money when the parents died, and it was like five thousand bucks. And I'm like, great, this is white trash, Longview, and I don't want to have anything to do with these people. I'm like, cool. So I'm never calling them again. And then we call some Smiths, can't get any traction on that. But unbeknownst to me, back in Longview, Mimi is making some phone calls of her own, mm. and so she calls Tom Cott, the pastor, and says, hey. Tom's found them. He knows their names. And he's asking if if I can tell him who these people are and where they are. And she knew exactly where these people were. She knew she didn't know where Dean was, but she knew where Lisa was. She knew where Betty was. Betty still goes to her fucking church. Okay. Crazy. Man. So so she calls Tom Cotton, the pastor. The pastor calls Betty and says, Hey, your uh, Lisa's biological son is asking about her. Would it be okay? if we put him in contact with you and the, betty goes 
yes, of course. Like, of course that would be okay. So, or, or says, let me call Lisa. I think that's how it went. She calls Lisa and Lisa was like, yeah, I would be okay with this. But, but little, little do I know, I have a half sister that was born uh, in 81 or eight, maybe 82. We're four years apart. 77, 78, 78, 78. And she's eight and we're four. So she's 82. Okay. 1982. And, uh, and so she, she calls Lisa says, do you mind if Tom is, Tom is his name. If you might, and he's an artist and he was an artist in New York, whatever he's inquiring. He wants to contact you. She goes, yeah, okay. I'm okay with that. So Betty tells Tom, Tom Cotton, the pastor and the pastor tells Willie Mae. but Lisa has never told her daughter that she has a brother. And so it gets really crazy. So now Lisa is convinced that I'm going to be reaching out to her very soon. So she sits down with my sister, my half-sister, and says, well, there's something I need to tell you. Wow. And my sister is like fucking 30 years old, or, or 34 years old at this Or no, it was seven years later that I would meet them, because this is where it gets weird. So she tells her that she has a brother, and she can't even believe it. Like, what? You had a baby? You've been keeping? And she goes, does everybody know? And everybody in the whole family knew about it except she's been hiding. She goes, it's none of your business. And, and now that I met my mom, like it makes perfect. She's like, it's none of her business. It's my business. So we weren't going to talk about it. So she tells my sister, my sister is like fucking freaking out. Like she grew up as a single child. Yeah. And now she figures out she has an older brother. Yeah. And, uh, and the circumstances are pretty crazy. So, so, but Willie may waits for me to ask her again. Instead of just coming to me and saying, hey, so it's cool. Here's their number. Give them a call. So she waits. And because of how uncomfortable the conversation with Willie Mae, I never ask her again for seven years. Wow. So seven years go by. And in that, in that bless you. And in that time, Willie Mae almost dies. And I am mean. I went to the hospital to basically say goodbye to her. She was dying. And had she died at that moment, I would have never met them. So, and I'm thinking that when I'm saying goodbye to her in this hospital and she's basically on life support, she's dying. My grandfather had just passed away and I had just gone to his funeral and she was dying. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to lose my grandmother and my grandfather back to back Ugh. three months apart. And, uh, and I'm never, and there goes my chances of ever knowing and I was okay with it, but it was a thought that I had. And I don't want to be selfish in that moment and not think that I was thinking about my grandmother, but I was thinking she holds the keys to this secret. And she pulls through. So when she's feeling better, me and the family go down to visit her. And I just ask her. I'm like, Mimi, now's the time. And, uh, and she's like, uh, I made a promise. So a couple months go by. And Mimi my, is an oak. She is. A, she, she's fucking like a fucking 
rock solid. She is never like, tell me me a secret and it's never getting told to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, I made a, she's a devoutly religious woman. So she made a promise to somebody and promise. And I wish all religious people, you know, were that devout and actually, you know, took the word of God seriously. And those, you know, those, those types of things seriously and weren't just like, you know, you know, indoctrinated to do this and then have no Christian values at all in life. But anyways, that's a whole other conversation we could have. But, (laughs) but, uh, so a few months go by and my dad sends my wife an email and says, Drexler or uh, no, no, no. My dad, Jerry. Oh, Jerry sends, sends Ryan a fucking email and it says, Hey, I was talking to my mom and she said that Tom wanted to know his biological parents. Does he still want to know? Because she said she'd be willing to, uh, to contact them. And I'm like, so Ryan calls me at the shop and she goes, your dad just sent me this fucking weird email. It says, do I still want to know? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to know. So let me know. So she emails my dad back and Mimi then I think calls me and she's like, well, why? And I'm like, Mimi, I just want to, I just want to know who these people are and just kind of put this thing to bed. And she's like, okay, well, you had asked me seven years ago and I was waiting for you to ask me again. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, Mimi? I'm like, Mimi, you made that so awkward for me. I was never going to ask you again. I'm like, she's like, well, I did reach out to them seven years ago and they said they were totally okay with you calling me, but I was waiting for you. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Of course, I did not say this to Willie Mack. Uh, And uh, and I was like, well, well, please let them know. I would love to to meet them. If they are still willing. So she goes, well, let me call Tom Cotton. And, let, and she, so we do this whole fucking dog and pony show all over again. And then she can't get a hold of them. And she goes, all right, I can't get a hold of them. But here's your grant. Here is your mother's name and phone number. And it was Lisa Smith. And here's her phone number. And oh she lives in God. Kelso, Washington, literally um, three miles from where I was born. And so I freak out and I, I go Ryan I have my mom's fucking phone number right now and she lives in Kelso and I have a sister oh my god and so I, I, I go you have to call her I'm not calling her like you have to call her and I'm at my woodshop I'm on oh Capitol Hill god. in my woodshop and um, and I get my dad's I get my dad's information too right yeah. and he lives in Portland or the Portland area okay. right and I'm like holy fucking shit and so my mom calls Lisa's cell phone and it's a voice. She hears a voice on the recording and she leaves a message. She Wait, goes, your mom or Ryan? Ryan. Ryan. Ryan a, okay. Yeah. No, my, my mom, uh, un, that's a whole different part of this whole thing. But it, so Ryan calls Lisa yeah. and leaves a voicemail and Lisa is with my sister uh-huh. out in a girls weekend in Portland. Okay. And they're having lunch at some place having a great time at one of my mom's girlfriends and at least and and uh and my sister and my mom when ryan calls which is why lisa doesn't answer the phone and she gets this weird call from this weird new york number right sure. do not answer and the voicemail ryan leaves is like hi lisa my name's ryan jones and uh i live in in seattle and um i have something that i need to talk to you about and so give me a call back and it's a uh, little vague 
It, well, she, I, it was something like that. I'm yeah. sure Lisa or Ryan will remember what she said. But the, the gist of it was like, hey, I have something I need to talk to you about, but we need to speak. I can't yeah. discuss it on this thing. Lisa, when they finished dinner, she goes outside. She listens to the voicemail. She knew exactly who it was. Okay, okay. And uh, and she says to my sister, and my sister goes, who was that? And she goes, well, I think that was your brother's wife. And my sister, like, freaking out, you know. It's so awesome when I first meet them and I hear their version of the story. And it's like, so Lisa get gets, I think she waited, uh, like, a few hours, like, waited to get back to where they were staying. She calls Ryan. And, uh, and uh, Ryan answers the phone. And she's like, Ryan? And, and Ryan's like, Lisa? And she goes, hey. And, she, and, and Ryan's like, do you know what I'm calling about? And she goes, yes. And, uh, and so they talk and so, and so Ryan sends me a text and she's like, I just got off the phone with your mom. And I am like, I'm like freaking out. So I call her, I'm down at the shop and you know, I had to go up the ramp to have phone conversations at the shop and I'm like, what? And she goes, oh, she has this really deep voice and, uh, and and it's she goes it's crazy she and, sounds just like you yeah exactly because <laughs> I, I have a pretty deep voice but but uh but she goes it, she was very sweet and we talked and she she wants to email you and i'm like so me and my mother do not speak for the first time until the day i met her so we do not call oh my God. so we just send some emails back and forth yeah right and uh, and I'm glad that we did it like that. And I think that's Lisa, Lisa wanted to do it like that. Okay. So she sent me some pictures, and uh, and so we make uh, an array. And this is right after Born Free Nine, because I meet her either right before I go to Born Free Nine. So I'm building that crazy show bike for Born Free Nine, and uh, and uh, it, or is either right before, or right after I meet her, and I go down. And I go down by myself, okay? And uh, and I bring, oh no, it was right after because I bring my dog, Sophie. I had just gotten her seven days before, right? And I, but I, Ryan and the boys had gone to North Carolina and I had made the arrangements to go down there and see her right after that. And I have to bring this dog, this like brand new dog that I got. That was like a rescue. She's nine months old. She's fucking crazy. Right. And, uh, and they were like, bring her down. It's totally cool. So I drive down, it's an hour and 45 minutes to get to Kelso, and I pull up to the house, and and uh, oh, her, so you're going to the house? I'm going to her house, where she lives with yeah. her husband, who's also named Dean. Okay. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. I meet, I've never met a Dean in my life, and I met three Deans with it, or, 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 or I'm now associated with three Deans and under yeah. her, and then she has an uncle Dean, who's my, or a cousin Dean, who's my uncle, who I meet That's in the next time really I come That's gonna get really confusing. Yeah, 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 so there's Deans fucking everywhere. And, uh, and I pull up and I, I walk to the door and Dean comes to the door and he goes, Tom, and I'm like, Dean, and he's like, Hey, and he goes, you want to come in and meet Lisa? And I'm like, yes. So I walk into their house and I turn the corner and there's my, my mom. Oh my God. And I'm looking into the eyes of the woman that is in this picture for the first time and we have the same eyes. We have the same nose. We have the same smile. Oh my God. It, it's insane and i just walk up to her and i hug her and it's so bizarre i think the most crazy thing about it is meeting somebody that you love that you've never met ever and uh and i'm hugging her 
but it's so bizarre and uncomfortable at the same time because this is a complete stranger <laughs> and uh oh and uh and i'm just like hey and i'm looking at her and she's looking at me and it just like it just you know i'm a very emotional guy so it's just a wave of emotion <laughs> and so we start hitting it and we start talking about you know my dad and like what it was like and they were high school sweethearts they dated for two years after she put me up for adoption they he wanted to marry her like it couldn't have been further than from my imagination her his whole family came to see me at the hospital like oh my god yeah it was this thing like everybody knew about it and but she just knew that she didn't want to marry dean and she just knew that she didn't want she wasn't ready to raise a, a child yeah and uh and she did the only thing that she could do and uh and she starts telling me about my dad and she starts you know and here's what's crazy it's so fucking crazy my favorite car is a 63 chevy impala 63 64 my dad's favorite car is a 63 64 impala and she shows me a picture of him next to his 63 black chevy impala <laughs> I love motorcycles. I'm a mechanic, okay? Uh, my dad is one, she goes, he's one of the best mechanics I've ever met in my life. He works on cars and he rode bike, dirt bikes his whole life. And all we did when we were dating in high school is we'd go to the track and he would race dirt bikes. And oh I would watch God. him. And um, he's a little dude and he's all fiery and all that stuff. And he's an artist and he loved to draw and he would draw jet planes. Smart and when as I fuck, was a I'm kid. Sure. She says he was he was smart with mechanics. Yeah, he was yeah. a very mechanical dude. And and uh, and he would draw jet planes. And when I was a kid, all I would draw is jet planes for some weird reason. It's so fucking crazy the parallels. And so we go, we get to know each other a little better. She's telling me about my dad, and uh, we go into her backyard. And my favorite tree is a Japanese maple. She has them everywhere. She has like 15 different species all over her yard. It's fucking fantastically beautiful. And I go, my God, you have so many Japanese maples. That's my favorite tree in the whole world. She goes, that's my favorite tree. That's why I have so many of them. <laughs> and it's just uncanny, right? So we go uh, we go have lunch at this place called the Lone, the Lone Fur. It's their favorite place. It's like a couple bikes cross I-5 and it's in this little funky. It's a perfect biker bar. So if we ever do i5 quarter again we have to pull over hang out with my mom and my and my stepdad and and uh and then meet uh you know meet me, you know hang out pull up to the lone fur and have some burgers sign me and, up yeah in in my hometown yes. you know yeah. and uh and uh, we go to the lone fur and she is like she knows everybody there and so we sit down at this picnic table outside at the lone fur and we order some burgers and they're in there in that picnic table is the first picture that's ever taken of me and my mother together and the picture every time i show it to somebody they're like you guys are look identical to each other we're like twins it's fucking crazy so we're sitting at this bar and everybody's coming up hey lisa and she gets in to introduce all of her and none of her friends know like none of these people know she <gasps> oh has a son my god and they all know her daughter where the fuck do you start with and that? so she goes, do you mind if I introduce you as my son to these people? I'm like, of course not. <laughs> so people keep coming up and she goes, I'd like to introduce you to my son. And you can see it on every one of their faces. They're like, you have a fucking son? But they don't, nobody says anything. They're like, oh, okay. Uh, it's nice to meet you. I'm like, I'm Tom. I'm, 
I'm Lisa's son. I'm like, and like we j- we're just meeting for the first time, you know? And, uh, and so we have the most amazing lunch. And then when we're done with lunch, she goes, well, your grandmother really wants to meet you, Betty. And she goes, and, sh- and, and, and she's married to your, you know, it, it's like all these things. And, and then my sister, uh, wants to meet you at, uh, Ronnie. And, uh, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bring it on. Let's just do it. Let's rip this bandaid off. Let's fucking, let's do it. And so they all, we go back to the house and everybody comes to meet me for the first time. And I hug my grand, my biological grandmother for the first time. And this she, is all in the same day. This is all in the same day. Oh my God. And I'm overwhelmed. Like I'm pretty overwhelmed with it, but I'm just trying, I'm very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm very happy but I'm very uncomfortable at the same time because it's it's a weird feeling to uh, it's hard to explain I think and it's been so a bunch of years now so it's harder for me to put into words the feeling but I was very it was very awkward because here we are getting to know each other but this is my fucking mom you know my biological mother who carried me for nine months and made the insane decision to put me up for adoption when she was a senior in high school right and uh she's telling me these stories about my dad and it was just overwhelming right i can't imagine yeah so betty walks in and i see her you recognize and i was like were you at a wally's funeral and she goes yeah and i go i sat at the table with you when we were after after the everybody spoke and i said i go do you remember me and she goes she goes i don't and I and she goes, well, I might you might look familiar. And I was like, well, fuck it. I I go, you are very unique. She has white white hair. She has a little bob haircut. She's the cutest little thing you've ever seen. And I just remember sitting with her, thinking how cute. I'm like, how cute is this old lady? And that was your grandma. That was my grandmother. No fucking yeah. way. Yeah. So so I'm meeting these people, realizing that they look familiar to me, and then I'm in a room with people that. I share blood with. I mean, I'm like, these people are my aunts and uncles and like my fucking, then her, her husband is the father of my sister, you know, and it's just crazy. So then, so then, um, and I'm getting a little mixed up because I can't remember if that's when I met my uncle Dean or if it was the next time I came down, but I think it was the next time I came down. And at this point, everybody's, aware of the fact that Lisa's son has come back to, to haunt their lives. Right. And, and so I come down, I'm meeting all these people and I'm meeting my nephew who is Dean's son. And I'm hanging out with these guys and they're all Longview lifers and they live down in Kalama and, and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're like, kind of like got that good old boy Longview, you know, cause I'm from a pretty small Longview is kind of a small town in Kelso. And it's a, it's more of a blue collar town, you know, everybody, everything revolved around the fiber and the mill. And, you know, it was your typical, like Northwestern logging town and paper mill. And, and so that's where my, my grandfather worked, not my biological grandfather, but everybody knows somebody who worked at the fiber. Everybody knows somebody who worked at the mill and hard to keep a secret. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so my nephew is hanging out with his uncle for the first time and uh and he's like fuck man he's like you look just like my dad and my my mom my biological mother thinks i look just like dean her cousin i don't see it so much but she's like trust me when dean was young he 
you just look like him. And here I'm sitting here with my nephew who's like, you know, a young guy. And he's like, God, you look just like my dad when he was young. And I'm like, really? And I'm standing next to his dad. And, I, and I'm like, that's fucking crazy. And nobody's ever, I've never had that in my whole life. That so it's, you looked like someone. That I look like somebody. And right. here I'm looking through photo albums in my grandfather, Huck, my mom's dad, who passed away when she was 11 uh, of a heart attack it, when he was 33. Okay. Uh, That's so heart weird. attacks run in my family. So I start getting a little anxious. And, uh, and, and I'm like at 44, I'm like the, or 43, 40, however old I am. I, I'm like the oldest living Smith man. The second oh. oldest living Smith man at this age. They all died before forty. Cardio of heart of heart attacks. Cardio. Yeah. So so that's scary. That's a scary fact, right? And cancer runs in my family, and uh, you know I'm in a very cancer heavy industry, woodworking and you know finishing and stuff like that. So so it's there's a lot of anxiety that comes with meeting your family and learning about you know your 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 lineage and all that kind of stuff. But I'm meeting these people and I'm getting these these experiences that I've only watched my whole life happen, you know, and that's overwhelming, you know, and, and I can't get through fucking an hour with these people without breaking down, you know? And so, and it's hard. It's, it's really like if we had done this interview five years ago, I think that was about five years ago. Uh, cause what is it? It's, te- it's born free 12, but it's technically 13. So that was born free nine. So it was four years ago. Yeah, right? It was a while ago. And, uh, and so it was just like I would be bawling my eyes out because it was just like it freaked me out, yeah. you know, but it was so good. It, it was so good. And so me and my mom, my biological mom, just just start to become friends for the first time, you know, and 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 she comes up to visit me and she she is in and, and my kids are 100% her grandkids. They're not like half grandkids. They're like, they're her son's kids. So she just went from having one grandson, because my my sister has a, a child with her partner. Um, and, uh, and so she went from having one to three overnight. Yeah. And my kids are like grown kids, you know? They're like big kids. And she's getting to meet her grandchildren and... I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, and 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 my kids are like I like I was telling you that my kids are fucking awesome, and she's awesome, and everybody in my family is awesome, and I've hit this like family lottery, and it, none of it would have happened without my wife and her determination to make it happen. So, so my mom and and Ryan are very close because they first contact yes, and they communicate. You know. It, more than I communicate with her, right? Because they just they just do. So they're constantly emailing each other. They're constantly texting each other and doing all that kind of stuff. And and my mom, my biological mother, is very thankful that Ryan pushed as hard as she did. Because had she not, I would have just never. Because I didn't care about it. But now I look at it as one of the greatest things that that's happened to me in my life was meeting them. Because I have a sister. I have a fucking aunt and uncles that are awesome. I have a grandmother and my children have grandmothers and great grandmothers and, and get to go down there. And these people are, they're like, just like us, you know, and And, they're, and most people at your age start losing family. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's, 
It's just, I wouldn't feel this way if it wasn't, if they weren't so rad, but they're, they're like, can you imagine what they're saying about you where they're like, my son found me his Harley got furniture. He's got yeah, kids. It's crazy. His wife's amazing. I, what a jackpot. It is, it is crazy. And I am the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. You know, I have all these things to be lucky for and, and, you know, and I've struggled in life and done all that stuff. But if, if every single thing hadn't happened exactly the way it happened, I wouldn't have gone to New York. I wouldn't have met Ryan. And if I didn't fight so hard for that relationship, if we, me and her didn't fight so hard to make that happen, it would have never happened because we were married. We were together for fucking 13 years before we found them. That's a long time. And had you, anything. You are a fighter, though. Has, had any, well, she is, too. I mean, she yeah. fought just yeah. as hard as I did. And, you know, and it just, it just was it's the most incredible thing that's happening in my life it, it it really is and 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 that and that and that's saying something considering that i've had a pretty awesome life and i have some pretty amazing things that happened to me but that is just one of those things that you just don't not a lot of people you meet get to have that story you know get to have that experience you know and and it's, it's like overwhelming to me hearing yeah. it yeah i can't imagine living it yeah it's just it's just fucking crazy man and and now, you know, fast forward four years and I am like, I am just like, I love seeing these people and that awkwardness and that uncomfort that you have feeling like you're, you love somebody, but they're strangers. Now they're not strangers anymore. Now, now they're like family, you know, and it's just, it's just fucking cool, man. It really, it really is cool and, and. And I'm very thank. I'm just a thankful fucking guy for it. And and uh, and I have two moms that love me, <laughs> and I have, you know, two dads. I mean, Dean is like one of the coolest fucking dudes I've ever met, and that's my sister's father. So I just couldn't be more thankful for that guy, you know. <laughs> and I have this sister, Kate. She's fucking like beautiful. She's just the most beautiful woman. In the world, she's like so smart and so fucking cool. I just look in my grandmother Betty. She's like the sweetest. You had the intuition on that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's bonkers. I can't imagine sitting. I can't imagine, you know, if my grandmother were still alive, sitting at a table with her, not knowing who she is, and having that interaction on that level and then finding out later that that was well yeah but adopted people always kind of joke around like because i've met a lot in my life you know okay. i mean it's, yeah. it's it's rare it's pretty rare but i've at this point you know i'm old enough to have met quite a few people sure. that are adopted yeah. and it's always like man you just never know you could be sitting right next to your fucking parents you know you just never know fucking why and they're and they're you know, a year before I met my parents, I was sitting right next to my biological grandmother. Fucking wild. And I, t I spoke to her, too. I think I made some snarky joke about me being loud or something. I was like, sorry, I'm fucking, you know, loud. And she was probably just like, whatever. And I mean, I stick out like a sore thumb in a church. Okay. <laughs> Neck tattoo. I mean, I look just like this four years ago. Okay. Got like a freak, freaky dude. And. I think I wore like a t-shirt to this funeral, you know, I'm just, I'm just a tacky guy with that stuff. I don't have nice clothes. That's the problem. I don't have, I'm, uh, you know, but I'm friends with you. So my clothes are about to start getting a whole that's lot right, nicer. That's you right. came to the right house. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, that was a trippy, you know, what's funny is 
the person, you know, me and Babin are fucking super, super good buddies. And uh, Babin was like, we talk, you know, Babin and I, and especially back then, we, we talked like fucking four times a day for hours and hours and hours and we just shoot the shit, whatever. Yeah. And he experienced that whole thing with me start to finish from finding them to getting the call to getting the email. And he was so like into that story. And he was like, okay, so what was it like? What was it like? He, he tells that story to people and he's just like, dude, that is the coolest fucking story in the world. He's just like, it's so crazy. And he celebrated that moment with me more than like anybody, you, you know, he was just like, I mean, it'd be, it'd be really hard to write, write that. And get yeah, it right. I wish I could have cap because because it is sadly it's a little bit it's a little bit more distant now when I when I talk about it because nobody really asked me about it and it's it really back then it was something that kind of brought up more yeah um, but now it's just like I I know my biological parents like that's what it is you know and uh, and uh, but it was cool to be able to share that with somebody who was so it made him as excited about it as I was, you know, and he cried about it. Like it was fucking crazy, dude. It was just one of those things where I couldn't believe it. And I felt like I hit, I really did feel like I hit the lottery with them. You know, you, you living through that is just something that we can only, we can only hear the story. You know, those (laughs) of us who, who can't kind of uh, like the story's all we got. Yeah. And it's amazing. I can't imagine. I mean, when you, it's just, I mean, any, any, anybody that's emotionally attached could be listening to this going like, fuck, that would be crazy. But I mean, can you imagine being 39 years old and looking into the eyes to, of your mother the first time? That could be the, your, your adoption story is a real, uh, it's very compelling for people to adopt and people who use the system, whatever it is. I don't know anything about it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's such a beautiful story, man. Whenever I meet and I have quite a few friends that have adopted, you know, and it, yeah. whenever I meet, I'm, I'm, I'm always like, listen, I'm, I'm pro-choice and I'm adopted. And, and, and I understand that, that it's a miracle. And that's the thing I struggle with the most. I was like, fuck man, it is a miracle. I'm alive. It's a miracle. Yeah. I get to have this awesome life yeah. because had she chosen to do anything else, but, but I would never take away the rights of a woman to choose what she does with her body. I mean, absolutely not. I think it's fucking crazy that this is such a big deal but but i am so thankful that she made that decision i I can't even express it to people but when i meet people that are adopting i always stop and go listen you are doing one of the greatest services you can do for a child because there are kids everywhere that need parents that love them and i was so lucky i got the best parents in the world and i grew up and had the greatest childhood I could have possibly had and my my biological mother always says you got the life you deserved you know and I am so happy that you're in my life now but you got the life you deserve you're and on a second loop yeah I am you looped am. a good time yeah and my mom what's crazy is you know my mom had her first child just four years later or five years later and she's the great most amazing mother to that child ever so it's not that she she just understood that at that time she couldn't do it. And if you meet this woman, which I'm assuming you will at some point, you know, within an hour, she's like one of the most pragmatic people you've ever met. And she just like, you do not, you know that she is the queen of her castle. She was just like, nope, not going to do it. Here's Even what I'm going to do. Even at 17 years old. At 17 fucking years old, she made that decision. She goes, you know what? 
I'm going to carry this baby and I'm putting it up for adoption and that's what we're doing. That's fucking beautiful, dude. Yeah. And it's fucking I want crazy. To, I want to meet I want to meet her. Oh, she's awesome. We're she's gonna awesome. ride down the five to your mom's uh, bar because that's the only interesting thing yeah, the on lone, the five. The fucking loan fur might be the only cool place to go on the, in that area, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. We'll we'll go there. We're not going to Bruno's Pizza, I'll tell you that. We'll we'll definitely go there. I need to get up to the northwest to see everybody. I want to take Nick up there. You're oh, well overdue for a bit. I am talk. well I mean, overdue. It's, I've just heard so many stories about how much the city's changed. It almost feels like it might break my heart to go back to Georgetown. It will break It will break your heart. Not Georgetown. But you think if, Georgetown's still good? Georgetown hasn't changed. No, no. That's good. Yeah, like, I mean, the, there, there's still, there was always people living in the fucking bushes in Georgetown. Yeah, They're just not punk there. rockers that hop trains. Okay. Now it's like people that legitimately, now it's like, uh, you know, old Amazon employees that have been, you know, that live in the, yeah. yeah. Or, you know. Obviously. But all cities still there? Oh, yeah. No, Georgetown's Smarty exactly pants, the same. Jerry Chin's still there. Like fucking, you know, the spirit of Georgetown has not changed one That bit. makes me happy. Then yes. But Seattle, drive the drive into Seattle will, will, will bring tears to your eyes it, it is watching our emerald city fall apart is is one of the saddest things i've ever Get seen replaced with steel and glass yeah it's one thing to no it's it's not that it's not the architectural changes even though we could have a really we could have a multi-hour long conversation about how i feel about historical preservation and all that shit and then the way that seattle has just destroyed everything but but or, or does not appreciate any of its history um Thank you, Vulcan, and all these other fucking developments that mass themselves in the guise of like helping the city. No, they're fucking. I destroying see their it. cranes. On yeah, the skyline yeah, yeah. It's fucking. Everywhere. It's depressing, but it's the it's the homelessness that we have there that's really heartbreaking because it's 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 you know it's it's sad, man. It's yeah. sad to see it was that sad this, when I was there. This city with all this fucking money and all these resources and it's liberal and progressive and it has all the best uh, intentions in the world and they just can't fucking do a thing about it they can't do a thing about this drug problem that was created by pharmaceutical companies you know and none of those fuckers have gone to jail and it is so infuriating and when you see these tent cities and they talk about rent control this rent those are drug addicts in those fucking tents okay it is I've, I've trust me I've been in those tent cities and I know some of those people and it's an epidemic in that fucking town and yeah rent's high but I mean I would live in a tent and save money if I could fucking do drugs all day and stuff I mean if we could rewind the clock 20 years I would have done it if they would have let me camp on the fucking you know on the side of the freeway I would have done it one wrong turn and you could have been there. oh yeah I mean well trust me you know there there are some stories I could tell I was there in the greater scheme you know there was there were many times but it's just driving in and seeing the track it's just so upfront it's so upfront and they have thrown if not billions of dollars at it and literally has done nothing oh my God. and and it's not just Seattle it's fucking Portland it's oh fucking, it's LA in well, LA was the I first. Mean, people yeah. were ODing in front of my. Yeah, LA. Like, well, when I moved to LA in '96, it the fucking the Skid Row was still there. Yeah. I mean, it was gnarly, and it's the first time I had ever really seen anything like that. And I was like, they just let this happen down here. I used to work off First and fucking whatever that one. So on Skid Row, yeah. And uh, and I was like, they just let these people live here. I couldn't believe it. 
And I was like, yeah, what are they going to do? But L.A. was so much bigger a city. Even back then, it was just I mean, massive. That was, that was pre... Well, L.A.'s... And that goes back to Reagan era. When, oh, yeah. When they let all the... Oh, yeah. All of that's the, crack and that's heroin. And I, well, that it's was also... A, it was it was the mental... Um, the mentally ill yeah. population that yeah. was... Nowhere to go. Evicted. Yeah, nowhere to go. They had... I shoot just on like those. Vancouver, dude. I shoot on those campuses. Yeah. They're they're still there. Those buildings that they used to live in and facilitate for those people. Yeah, those buildings are still there and they're empty. And guess what? The only thing that happens in them, the fucking film industry, once a week will shoot in them. Right. But they're or still they get turned into lofts there. Yeah. Or yeah. Or there's that. It's just I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to see this country fall apart. But you know what? We were talking a lot about Phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> Maybe that's what we're going to see. You know, I don't know. I, I see this this uh, this wedge between the poor and the rich just getting worse. And, and it's sad. It's sad because I think in our lifetime, it's going to get pretty hairy. But I think in my kid's lifetime, it's going to get real fucking wild. Your kids are lucky to have you, Tom. Because well, you're doing all this work now. And that, is the, have only, that is the only way you're going to get a leg leg up in this world. I'm just trying to be a good dad to my boys, you know, that's it. And trying to just mind my own business and do what I love. And, and, you know, I, I'd like to say that when you, when you mean well and you, and you do, and you see kindness in people, you, you get the right kind of energy around you you know you reap what you sow i was just saying that earlier. i mean you reap what you fucking sow and if you want to sow some shit you're going to reap a field of shit and uh and i know after what i've been through in those early days i know when to keep somebody in an arm's reach from me you know or to get rid of somebody you know and i've sadly i've gotten rid of some of my core crew we had a big crew of dudes growing up i mean i got a tattooed on my fucking arm you know we were serious dudes but a lot of those dudes made some made the wrong choices and and i had to get them out of my life you know and so so at this age especially being a father being a husband and working my ass off to get what i got i don't have room for fucking bullshit you know so you know if you keep that stuff around you long enough it can drag you down and i'm not getting dragged down by that shit no fucking way i read somewhere recently that i think you're you're actually a product of your five closest influences the people that you hang around yeah I would totally, the time absolutely. you spend and those change those sure. rotate yeah those rotate yeah. but they need to be not in a selfish way but your friendships have to inspire you to do good things you have to feel good when you're around these people you can't feel like shit you know, even even twenty percent of the time you're around, so you can't let people drag you down with negative energy. You have to surround yourself with people that lift you up, and that's especially if you're an artist. I mean, fuck, dude. The last thing artists need is negative fucking energy, okay? Because we're negative. We got enough negative shit happening in our lives to fill a fucking you know. Worst case scenarios continually through my brain on repeat. Well, and I think you have to be, and, it, and certainly if you if you study at at these schools set up to you know spit us out, it, you realize that like you know there are a lot of worst case scenarios for you, you know. Yeah. And you have to be able to look the worst case scenario in the eye and go, eh, I think I got this. I think that's why I like. I think that's why I like writing, 
bikes that challenge me on that level because I get to put that energy to use yeah into applying a uh, in a subtractive method worst case scenarios first of all to evaluate uh mechanically and second of all to yeah. survive when you're riding on these well things. that's the greatest thing about it and I think that's a that's an awesome point to make because you know like I was saying like Ryan's like you work seven days a week you work you kill yourself and when you go on vacation you fucking like kill yourself and I'm like but but here's the thing just like skateboarding when that board hits the ground or that bike fires up I'm not thinking about deadlines I'm not thinking about clients I'm not thinking about this angry architect I don't think about fucking I haven't thought about shit for four days but like What's that weird noise? Or is that thing going to fall off of there? Or damn, that's leaking a lot. You know, it, or like, fuck that. We almost died. You know, it's, it's so nice as an, as a creative person to remove all of that stress out of my life and do nothing but fucking focus on getting to that next gas station. You know, it's something about it. I mean, there's something about that mind break into a lot of people it sounds crazy like dude like your back like that's killing your back you, you know you're fucking you're, you're sore and you're fucking tired and you're this you slept in the fucking rain and you guys got soaked and you're miserable but i didn't have to fucking answer the phone and i didn't have to fucking worry about you know that bill or you know it's i don't know it's hard to explain i you know what it is I think it's, and you, you're just getting me there with this explanation, but it's a flow state mm -hmm. that gives you acute focus combined with, combined with a pattern of struggle that challenges you. Yeah. You need those two things. If you were continually in a flow state without a pattern of struggle, you would just kind of just be like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. but when you have to struggle for that, it, it takes it to the, it's a whole nother uh, layer to the onion exactly and just like in life with your friends the group that you travel with on the road in these circumstances are very important Absolutely. and 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 that's not to say it's fun to have some loose cannons in that group it really is but but the core of their being has to be a positive thing for you because negative energy in on the road can can be catastrophic you know and i you know, I, I shouldn't be saying that to me because I am, if anybody's the negative guy on the road, it's me. But you get a but little grumpy mechanically. I can get very grumpy when, when I, they're in the breakdown type situation. But I get grumpy in the I'm garage. just trying to get it done. I'm trying to get it done as fast as possible. And, and I tend to rush through things because at this point, I'm like, is it even worth trying to fix this right now? Or should we just fucking go, you know? And it's, it's one thing. On day one, an hour into the trip, I'll fucking sit there for fucking 20 hours trying to fix it. But on a gas stop from at the house, I'm like, just let's just fucking throw this thing in a truck. And so I get really frustrated uh, in that sense because I, I think I've learned when to just throw in the towel on it and when to put the effort in. And a lot of times, but I'm glad, you know, just like last night, I'm glad we pulled that off. We figured it out. We called it. And it was just like done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could, you could smell the barn, though. Yeah, I'm like, eh. you know, the second that thing just wasn't doing it, I'm like, who even fucking cares what it is? We probably aren't fixing this, yeah. but, but it's just, I don't know. And I, and I feel bad being the grump 
on the road but i'm the grump in life too so <laughs> i don't think you're that grumpy i know when you're starting to go that way we won't be there that long it's like some tools might get thrown some words might be said but then there's a hug and then we're yeah we're, we're well good. i am hyper aware of my own faults okay yeah. at this point because i am married so i my faults are brought to my attention about every 15 minutes uh you should be thanking your wife i have thanked ryan i think every day of my life you know with uh yeah i thank you ryan i love you i love you she is gonna listen to this i'll bet she might she i might. hope you do ryan she might you know because we know. both love you so much she might you know she spends a lot of time listening to you. she might listen to it and then just tell me she never listened to it just to rub me just because <laughs> she knows it drives me. i don't ever listen to that shit you do tom i listen to the bullshit come out of your mouth 24 hours a day like 20 gonna, years like i'm gonna listen to you <laughs> digitally recording yeah and exactly. I have to listen to you in person exactly it's so fucking funny and it's the same you know i don't know i mean this one's very much different but a lot of times i get interviewed people want to talk about furniture and it's just it's kind of the same story over and over again and i was like eh, here we go again telling this story for the so she's heard it. time yeah. well she's lived it bro True. like i mean dude she's been there for every fucking life thing that's happened to me for two decades i mean it's that's my whole life if you want to really be honest i get my head screwed on straight and then i meet ryan like three months later like you know and then we we become boyfriend girlfriend a year after that you know so she's and and a year after that that year we we start dating is the first year i start doing what will be my career forever i'm pro, i'm a sophomore in product design when we start dating so she's evolved with every single thing that's happened with me in furniture and everything that's happened with me as a dad i mean we i don't know i mean it, you almost gave, almost half of my life I've spent with that woman. You just think, gave me a crazy idea. What's that? I should interview her. Oh, my God. <laughs> Here we go. We can't. I don't know. Fran, see, it just makes sure Fran doesn't come out because have, then we're going to get the real story. I have one of those, too. Oh, my God. I have one of those, too. One of what? A Fran. Oh, well, you know. You've met my Fran. A little she friendly. Is, she is. A little friendly. Oh. I want to see... Uh, I want to see her uh, intoxicated. I want to see this friend. Should see her high. I think I almost it's did see her hilarious. high last night, but I went to sleep so fast. There is no distance between any thought. She's just right and, in. And oh, I love it. Oh, mouth. I love that. I yeah. love that. That well, that's my wife when she's drunk too, because she. But what she does is all the things that come out of her mouth are just insults of me personally, and they're usually very accurate character traits that everybody in the room gets to celebrate with her well and she's I well sit there and yeah. like become a you know a shell of a man in front of everybody that's a tom yeah. roast yeah it's every night with ryan drunk is a tom roast that's what it turns into yeah. that's karma bro if i, I got it if know. i do gotta hear it that's karma i know and they say i'm lucky to have her hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see i don't know i, I you know like i just don't know if i could love anybody more and i love that fucking pain in my ass you know, I just, that's, that's true love, man. I just don't know. Like, what would I do with like some easy going sweet? You would be bored to tears. <laughs> exactly. Bored I'd be out there. Me. I'd be out there looking for a Ryan. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be yeah. like, where is my Ryan? Be on Tinder. Yeah. Swiping left. Oh, fucking Tinder. 
Oh my God! Watching the nanny, thinking, man. Holy! Well, I've always man. thought the nanny was hot. That's she why you know the whole friend thing. Hot. I was like, oh yeah, we can get in some kinky shit. Oh my God! Holy crap! Well, before we get there, I have no idea how long we've been talking. It's a long time. It is. Let's take a little food break. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Well, if 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 we don't come back, this is the end. Thank you, everyone, for listening. But we we might actually be back. <laughs> I think we we're going to be back. I think we're going to be back. I think we, we have are to ink, too. And I have to have a vodka tonic, I and then we can again. get into some real shit. God, all right, we're cutting. Start asking me dicey stuff. Buckle up. <laughs> but we don't. I don't know yet. We're we'll going see. into round three on this thing. We'll see. I've never how done the, three rounds. We'll see how it works out. This might be four, actually. Bye, baby. Call me tonight. Goodbye, Nick. Um, so we're back. So we're back. Uh, yes, you were getting into the weeds. About? We were, well, we had two topics to cover. One we made. Well, let's start with the, the road for, forecasting road problems. Well, like, well, like we were saying, the, the whole, the more time you spend on these bikes, the more time you spend on the road. Like we were talking about how I get grumpy when bikes break down and and i think the reason i get grumpy is because oftentimes i notice immediately that it's not something that we should even try to fix on the side of the road and sometimes i make that decision in my mind without really sharing a whole lot of information with other people <laughs> and it seems like i just want to bail you know and and you're so good at being like let's fucking explore this thing and figure it out i'm waiting to see the mystery i'm like who fucking cares what the mystery is when we open it up we're no we know we're fucked and uh and then we just burned another 15 minutes you know so 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 that's where i get into into trouble waters but like we were uh, we were talking about um you know b designing motorcycles that are set up to service on the road and 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 i think we've all learned the hard way that like some of the coolest that's the only way you yeah well exactly but you can set up you build especially i build show bikes and uh and you know we have some friends that have had like you know more show oriented bike bikes that are beautiful and have killer design details but the problem is if you really put miles on those bikes you realize really quickly that a lot of the cool shit you do it sucks to fix on the road so if you so you know before we came back you know, when I built the Born Free 7 bike, my long panhead, I, the, you know, everything broke, a full rigid bike. So by the time I, I did uh, 1,500 miles down, uh, 1,300 miles back, and by the time we got back up to Seattle, everything had broken on the bike. And, and now it's full rigid. So for those of you listening that don't know what that means, that means there is no suspension on the bike at all. And that's not like I had a Springer and I'm talking about a rigid frame bike. No, this is a motorcycle that is fully rigid, tip to tail, and not. And usually when you think rigid bikes, you think Denver's and like, you know, that type of shit. But those bikes, you know, this bike is 30 over that we're talking about. Denver's bikes are 30 over, 40 over. And they're, they're basically thick-walled tubing that flexes right and so as those things bounce down the road the front end bends my my 30 over rigid pan head has a girder that is incap you can't flex that thing a millimeter it does not flex at all it's built out of box tubing it's a triangle it's square yeah, it's it a square bend. yeah it's it's it's, it's a basically a truss and the only suspension that motorcycle has in its entire length 11 foot length is air in the tire so i run the front tire at 10 and the rear tire at 10 and if i hit a big enough pothole the front tire will will 
will ground out and that's an invader so if you start fucking the rim up you don't true it it's it's basically garbage you know so and i've gone through two of those wheels but but that was the first bike i ever built where when something fucked up on the road i had to like remove the exhaust pipe or i had to remove this to get to that and it and for me as a guy that puts by assembles bikes and builds bikes from scratch and does all the fucking stuff i was like this sucks so i'm never i never do that again so any any bike that i build where i ride it even the last show bike i did that jt's pan had um everything on that bike is serviceable the only thing that's kind of a pain in the ass about it is the battery fuse situation so if he pops a fuse i have this like he has to pop the j bolts and i made the battery wires come through this wooden walnut plate with these brass rivets the wires that come out so when you slide that off it's kind of a pain in the ass putting it all back together i can do it with my with my eyes closed but if you didn't know how to and it's not my bike okay i built it for somebody and he had to do some he had some fuse pops right and then he had to do it on the side of the road one time and he was like man that's a pain in the ass and i'm like well we can change it next time i come down you, you know? should start selling wooden fuse boxes i, I think that's never a ever idea. like i get enough shit about putting wood on bikes people are like well, that's fucking you know and i don't clearly i don't got give a fuck what anybody thinks about my decisions with motorcycles but it's one of those things where I mean, I'm not making wood for those anybody's teak motorcycle. pegs you made, yeah, uh, whatever, eleven years ago, yeah, are looking great. They look the, like they did the day. It's an outdoor wood, fucking bulletproof. Um, but you do these things, and like when we were working on Eric's bike, it was like we had to, you know, we eventually had to pull the pipe, and you have to do all this stuff, and that stuff right there frustrates me. That was my first yeah. question. Did yeah. you hear me? I said, "Hey, do we have to pull the pipes, pull his kicker lead, or can we just?" It looks like and we I could just thought we could do it. I thought we could. Yeah, do it. I thought we could do it, and then I'm like, "Fuck!" And then we're pulling the pipes, and then, and though you know me well enough to know that that's the cat, that's the yeah. domino effect. When we have to start taking half the bike, because because you spent how many times when we were pulling B- Dallin's bike apart, yeah. built by you know the guy we were talking, yeah, or, yeah. or you Josh Ewing and stuff. Josh doesn't ride motorcycles, dude. So he builds these great bikes, and you can talk all you want about what a great fabric. He's an amazing fabricator, yeah. but that bike fucking sucked to it's work on. Travel and display is yeah two different worlds yeah. of building and there's this whole thing and, and this is another thing where i could get myself into some hot water there's this whole you know you get you know especially early on in the in the chop like as far as i see it choppers the scene if that's what you want to, i hate using that word because i'm like I, the only place a chopper scene exists is in southern california let's be honest like nobody else has a scene or well, it's any, because there's so many of us r- right 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 but the only place anybody thinks they're special and cool is in southern california riding <laughs> choppers right and the, the irony of that is most of these assholes have no idea what they're doing and they're riding around on fucking turds that they bear that they don't even know how to work on and like their buddy built it and like you know they think they're bike builders and they would never take their sunglasses off and it's like a whole fucking thing but (laughs) but you you in the in the early days and i consider the early days for me were 2009 but 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 when it started was around wear sunglasses back then. i've never worn sunglasses (laughs) in my life i fucking hate them uh so so the the I guess the scene that we look at now, the, ch- the whole chopper scene, kind of started to get bigger around 2005, 2006. And then you start seeing Born Free around, what was it, 2009, 2010 was the first one. And you started seeing magazines like Dice Magazine pop up and Greasy Culture. And that was all, I can think, like 2007, 6, 7. And so that's just a few years before 
you and me get into it, right? Because yeah. I'm like 09, 09 2010, right? Yeah. And that's when we met was right around there. Yeah. You were building your iron head. Yeah. And so when it started to get more popular because of social Instagram comes out and now everybody's seen it and start you start seeing more choppers and everybody and jockey journal turns into this big thing where like the old guys are talking shit about the young guys and all and all and that here kind we of, are well right and here yeah. we are but like there's this whole there's this whole thing that so many of these fucking kooks and and when I say kooks I mean like builders right like guys that think they're you know that are bummed out because you know they want it to go back to the way it was you know like when they were when they were pretty much when they were the only important people that did motorcycles right and yeah. and i can see because they're all so self-absorbed and you know they're all fucking narcissists but uh and some of them are incredibly talented you know i'm not going to name names but i think most people know who these guys are and and uh and they're bummed they're bummed that all these skaters got into motorcycles and like you know we're taking this thing from them but here's the deal choppers are fucking awesome dude <laughs> and i think everybody should, and yeah you can be bummed about the prices and whatever but that was going to happen no matter what dude it was going to happen because it's not about choppers it's about the parts and these parts are becoming they're it's antique shit it's becoming valuable and now there's more people than ever that want to do it and be a part of this but there's this idea that exists in the motorcycle world where like i build bikes to ride and like you know like i don't build these fucking kooky show bikes but you got to remember dude some of these guys are building bikes just to show them that's it yeah you know hawk isn't isn't riding around on these bikes but every one of his fucking motorcycles runs yeah. and he can ride any one of them but hawk's not going to jump on fucking you know icarus or i you know whatever fucking but a lot of his clients don't buy bikes to ride either they're, no, they're no, collectible items dude, and that that's a that's a different demand but you can't you doing. can't look at one of hawk's bikes and say this is ridiculous this is so it's it was, shut the fuck up man and enjoy this moment dude like enjoy dude I mean, not only is Hawk one of the coolest fucking dudes I've ever met, most humble guys, most talented guys, we watched this fucker evolve yeah. over the last eight years. And every time he hits the fucking ball, he hits it out of the It's bonkers. And whether you're into the style of his motorcycles or not, you can't it's stare undeniable. at them and not be like, holy fucking yeah, shit. It's undeniable. Yeah, it's bonkers, dude. And, 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 and. The, the list of guys like that are longer than your dick. I mean, it's like, I can't even count them how many rad motorcycle builders there are out there. But every time I go to Born Free, I, I see impractical shit. And I, myself, am part of that. Yeah. Like, but I, and you know how I found out my bikes? my Some of my show bikes were impractical. I rode them 9,000 miles, <laughs> okay? Yeah, and sometimes they break. Well, that's... So yeah, that's so my point. The, but it's the just, idea of building, let me just finish yeah, my ahead, point. Because what I was saying was the idea that there's some builder out there that can build a rigid Harley with a Springer front end that is somehow built in a way that would never break just means that you don't ride your, and it's so funny because usually the guy's talking all this shit and having this opinion, ride around on fucking FXRs and Dynas anyways. And then they build their, their bulletproof choppers for like their clients and then their clients don't ride them. Yeah. Simple as that. If you saw those guys riding around on their choppers as much as they rode around on their fucking FXRs, they'd be fixing their broken exhaust pipe mounts and fixing their fucking sissy bars, just like the rest of us that hang 80 fucking pounds off the back of our bikes and ride them 10,000 miles. You know what I'm saying? 
no bike, no builder, no welder, no fabricator can create a Harley Davidson chopper with a rigid frame with that is not going to break. No, not unless there's an alloy out there. I don't know. And you don't get to choose when it breaks. Yeah. So, but it will. A A lot of these problems don't happen for a thousand miles into a ride. And so you build for that after you've ridden a bike a thousand miles and shook it down and know that I can't put that there in case I got to get in there. And uh, last night, that was a perfect example. I think Eric will probably never put his pipes together in an arrangement that blocks him out in that way again. In case he has to get into that certain little spot. And you only learn that by being stuck in the middle of the desert all night. Yeah, well, if it bugged him, I mean, that it, it, as far as Piper Mill was concerned, that was pretty easy. That wasn't easy. But yeah. but but what you should be is aware of the fact that the pipe comes off. So that comes off right out the gate. Sure. You know, so part of the aggravation that I get is just not knowing like you did, yeah. like you didn't know. You, and, and that's not a dig on anybody. But it's like when I build my bikes to ride, they are designed for maintenance. Like, you know, like the Dragon anything can break on that motorcycle and i can fix it in a matter of seconds and i i've proven that countless times because it's broken so many times i think i have forty thousand miles on the dragon you know i mean it yeah i build i build justin's bike with the same trap doors and little trickeries that yeah. i did mine so 100%. that if i have to pull his transmission i don't have to pull his pipes that's a three-piece primary Bam. on the other side primary rear inside primary comes right off yeah still without having to unhook anything transmission can pull right out the other side don't have to touch the pipes right it's like running the belt it's like running your belt drive with no plates on the front sprocket exactly yeah these are a belt right over these are things you learn on the road because taking that nut off can sometimes be impossible when you're on the road and if you didn't have that plate there you could fucking slide that belt right on there i mean in seconds oh yeah so it's 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 not it's you got to get out there knock, and put you, the miles you on the do, bike. You only you knock do. these things down. And there was another point that you made, um, you know, this idea of being a builder or a builder. I, I think a lot of people who had shops early on um, that were doing fabrication for the population and were creating the little pocketed scenes at, that existed at that time in the formative years, they probably watched things evolve in a different way where they had the resources and the income coming in from that. And then they saw it evolve to a point where everybody kind of had their own shop in their own garage. And they probably took a hit from that. Right. And had to reinvent themselves a little bit, which is just any way I business mean, maybe. works. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe your business went away because you were a fucking asshole. But I think a lot of, I think a lot of those guys thought it was awesome too. That they I've were met, like, I've, seen listen, I've it met, evolve. I've met as many that think it's great. Cause, cause here's the thing. You have no control over that. Like, you don't get to pick. Skateboarding is blown out. Does it get? Do I give a shit? No, absolutely not. I think it's awesome that kids aren't getting fucking yeah, wedgies at school anymore. Yeah, and now jocks skate. You know, the irony of that is like insane to me. You know, I'm like the fucking football players are skating now. Like, this is crazy. The cheerleaders are wearing black. What? It's 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 crazy. But I am not so so self absorbed and narcissistic that I think that like. I should have this awesome thing all to myself, you know, and, and it, it's point, the way I see it is that energy and that negative attitude towards something that you should be stoked about. It's just a waste of time. Yeah. It's like, why even fucking like do it? it why waste one second worrying about this? 
it, why don't you take that energy that you're frustrated on and use it to to make rat awesome things that make you an important part of this evolution of this you know and i feel like that's what i try to do with everything i'm doing everything needs to happen organically and i don't do anything i do because i think it's cool at all i do it or or that i shouldn't say that i think it's cool i don't think it makes me cool i'm not a furniture maker because i like think it makes me some like you know cool design guy i do it because i fell in love with woodworking and i decided in college that i was gonna be self-employed and, and start my own furniture company it was a, a design out of necessity not like i needed oh, it's money do or, do or die yeah, i needed money make up your mind yeah i could have gone and gone and got it as a as a Parsons graduate, I could have gone and got a junior designer position at Frog Design. Fucking, you name the design. I could have gotten a job there. My my portfolio was awesome. But I was like, I think I want to have my own shop and fucking design my furniture. And, you know, I came out with my first collection in 2005 and we were fucking killing it. Did they know? teach you at Parsons? Did they teach you, um, I guess the financial side. Absolutely not. It's one of the that's things. one the of dean, the dean. The dean of my old department. His name was Tony Whitfield. Super, super cool dude. Um, uh, very, very down to earth. And, and and he, I was a little older, so it allowed me to connect with him. And I think in a different way than some of the younger kids. But we really hit it off. He and I, and uh, and we talked a lot about that. And after I graduated, you know, I I would discuss it. He stayed the dean for a couple more years, and I was like, you know. I've been running my own business here for a couple of years now, and uh, it's a real disservice to these young designers, especially in an industry like furniture, where there is no place as a furniture maker you can go get a job. There, There is no more North Carolina furniture you know, uh, scene. There is no more manufacturing here. China has taken all that away. And whether you love that or hate that, the the the, the trade agreements that we have with all these countries is what put the, the nail in the coffin for the industry because there was no regulation and no enforcement of the amount of imports that came in. So they just opened the doors to free trade and then they just let them bring all this cheap furniture in and it wiped out the industry. And so in the American furniture industry, which was very huge, especially in the Carolinas, that uh, was the capital of, it was the furniture capital of the United States and they used to have these huge shows like High Point and all these other amazing Ashley and Bernhardt and all these Matt Thomasville all these huge furniture companies they were getting wiped out and they've tried to fight it for years and then eventually they just said fuck it we have to so they all open factories in China and now they import all their American furniture from China and they all still have offices here and there's still a tiny little high point furniture thing, but there is almost no, there's no factories left. I mean, Bernhard has factory, Noel, Herman Miller, they have factories, but you can't just go to Herman Miller and be like, okay, I, I just graduated in furniture design. I'd like a job here ma making furniture now. That's not how these companies work. So if you're, so, so what happened instead of uh, embracing the fact that that there are young designers that wanted to do furniture-focused product design. My department was product design. It was not furniture design. And so, but when I went there, the department had two tracks. So after your sophomore year, you could choose to either go into a furniture-heavy focus for the next two years or a product-heavy focus. And instead of have, having a, um, like a, uh, a prototyping class, like a furniture class, you had a model-making class where you'd like, you know, you'd make PDA mo or, or, or like, yeah, like, like uh, cell phone models and you'd make screwdriver handles and you'd make, you know, stuff like that where you did more model oriented stuff, casting and shit like that. And then 
you go into a furniture focus and you just spend all your time in the wood shop and you just design and make furniture, tables, chairs, whatever your course uh, parameters were, right? And so that's what I decided to do. And, uh, and so instead, and so I went to Tony and I said, hey, we need to teach these young furniture makers how to to run a business and how to, you know, market and do all that stuff. And essentially what it was, was they realized that that was more difficult than just removing furniture. So what they did was years after I graduated was they just made it product design and no more furniture focus because they didn't want to continue to pump out furniture designers that had nowhere to go, but start their own business. And I, in the long run, I think that was a very smart way for the department to handle it because it doesn't matter how much business you learn starting a furniture company in the united states is a fucking it's it's impossible you know what i'm saying they don't want to lead anybody it, on it, there. yeah it, i mean it really is you have to be stubborn and and i say this to everybody that comes to and i feel bad you know because i you know i would love to mentor people and tell them it's all great but it it, it has been the hardest thing I could ever imagine doing. And I would never look in the eyes of a young designer and say, yeah, man, you love furniture design. You should, you should kill yourself for 20 years and pray to God you're good enough to make it. Just run. Yeah, because I know, well, that's exactly run. what I say. I say, hey, if you're smart, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't. Because here's the thing. You can have all the heart and determination. And I, I've said this earlier in the thing. You can have all the heart and determination and work ethic and everything you want. But if you're not good at it, and you aren't a great designer, you will never make it, ever. And I'm looking at these kids, and I don't know if they're great designers. I don't know if they have what it takes to make even one piece of furniture that will put them on the map. And that's in my industry, in the higher-end furniture design industry, if you don't have at least one product that's in like that's gonna be in a book someday about this generation of design, you're never going to fucking make it. What you're going to be is you're going to be a wood shop and you're going to make cabinets and vanities. And that's great. But that you're a dime a dozen once you're a cabinet maker. I mean, I can't even count on my hands and oh, yeah, feet. It's a, it's a you know how many fucking wood shops there are in Seattle and yeah. how many old guys in a garage that are in your like Issaquah. Think about how many dudes are making like furniture in their garages in my town. Oh, you know? I get it. I grew up in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, your yeah. dad's making furniture. He's not yeah. buying furniture. He's fucking making it. No. It's one of those Made things. Everything. Here's the thing: anybody can make furniture. Anybody can build cabinets. Anybody can do it. So, just like welding, you know, you weld welding. It's always so funny. I have some like super high end fabricator buddies that do like big, huge uh, architectural installation, like amazing stuff, and they try to like pretend like they've got all these secrets about metalwork. It's like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? There's no secrets left in that industry. Yeah, I mean, me? you get sure the yeah. more you do it, you learn things and you make but that's no different. Listen, there is nothing I know about woodworking that that you couldn't figure out after doing it every day for two years. I mean, I mean, yes, I'm a master woodworker, but dude, I've spent 21 years doing this one thing. That's all I fucking do seven days a week eight to 12 hours a day, sometimes 72 hours straight, traveling all over the world doing installations, building furniture. I think I fucking, these are the friends that I love. It's like, I had this conversation when we were on the trip with Derek and we had a moment, we were watching the sun go down and we were talking and- Snodgrass? Yeah. yeah. And I go, hey man, it's like, I think you're the best illustrator I've ever met. 
I'm like, I don't know if people will ever catch on, but I think your ability to separate and push and pull the visuals is uncontended. It's unbelievable. He has such a touch and such an eye for the decisions you have to make so far ahead of time. Like when I'm, when I'm drawing one of these things out, like I'm, before I actually even draw it, I try and map out what's dark, what's light. How do I separate this without putting something on the paper? Right. And Derek's natural ability to just sit down and do it without even, it's almost like a muscle memory to him. It's It's unbelievable. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. I'll have to draw this fucking thing four times to do what he'll sit down and do in 10 minutes. It's so crazy how effort, you know, great, truly great artists, how effortless it can be for them. Some, you know, I know plenty of great artists that struggle and, and you know, it, it it can take a while to get that moment that they get to celebrate. But it's, it's funny you bring up Derek because, you know, I've known Derek for quite some time and, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm honored to be, where I wear one of his tattoos. It's one of my favorite fucking tattoos. Yeah. It's the memorial tattoo for my father-in-law. And uh, and we have spent, Derek and I have actually spent quite a bit of time talking about art. And as a person that has studied at an art, you know, school and been exposed to, you know, the greatest art scene in the world, the moment I saw Derek's work, and this goes back way, 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 when he was, you know, and, and this is oblivious surroundings, if you are following him on Instagram or whatever, and he's a tattoo artist in LA, and I think he's from where, Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky. somewhere? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and his brother Ivan, also incredibly talented motorcycle guy, and and uh, his his illustration is like, I've just never seen anything like it. And the way that he, and I hate to use the word fart, he just farts it out, he dude. Does. Like, he and does. you look at the stuff that, like, remember when he was doing those, like, those, like, quick paintings and he'd sell them for, like, 10 bucks oh, a yeah. pop and or something like thing. that? Like, his his understanding of color. Yeah. Like, yeah, black and white push and pull is one thing. Oh, like, his, his comprehension of color. Yeah. Yeah. I bought his book oh. when he came out with it. It's just phenomenal. I showed my kids. Both my kids are artists and they both draw. And I'm yeah. like, check this shit out. And there's dicks and stuff like that. It's But I love the fact that it makes my kids uncomfortable. Okay. But it's just... There is like, you know, there, some of his drawings have political dialogue. Oh, there's there's, so there, there's environmental dialogue. There's yeah. so many fucking things going on. And it do, yeah, exactly. It doesn't take long talking to Derek to realize how intelligent he is yeah. and, and how hard he's worked to get where he is. And he put in work. He's tattooed with some of the greatest tattoo artists in the world. And he is a maj- listen i have tattoo I've tattoos fucking everywhere i've been in one i consider seattle to be one of the greatest tattoo scenes he is definitely one of the best tattoo artists in the world and and he is it, and it's because he's not just a master of his craft but his art his unique his ability to create a unique piece of artwork for you to wear on your body forever is uh, i just almost never seen anybody as talented as him and he can just whip it out you there's know? narrative to it absolutely it's not just a cool wolf yeah you know what i mean it's like it's got a story in yeah there, and, and we, we were talking so long we were talking at dvr about how you know we both had some experience with with uh, people ripping us off and kind of doing that kind of thing and that's always a bummer when you're when you are pretty good at what you do people you know in i guess the word now is inspired but that's such fucking bullshit i don't even know <laughs> where to start but like you i saw it happen I saw it go from like, my God, Derek Snodgrass, this shit is so dope. I want a tattoo by him so fucking bad. And then you just started watching all these young fucking L.A. tattoo artists 
just ripping him off. Yeah. I was like, wait, did Derek draw? Oh, no. And then it's just such a frustrating thing as an artist to go through that. And and, yeah. and, and, and I know he, he knows that struggle, but like it's it's another testament to this community and how and how fucking awesome this community that's is, what i'm you know? saying yeah my, i'm so inspired by all my friends when i look around a room at them and i'm just like god you some of the most underappreciated over talented yeah and people and, don't and, get how hard that is like you're sitting you're sitting next to this dude at the bar and whatever and, he, and to you he just looks like a biker but that's one of the greatest fucking illustrators on the face of the fucking earth dude I mean, that's like a new norman rockwell yeah to yeah. our our generation yeah and he's just like what whatever dude you know he's just a chill dude and in that group there's all kinds of those people know. you know pete and, hilton sitting there you know talking about on the music side i don't even understand yeah. anything about guitars or building them or whatever rocco I'm, de luca is cruising around on that uh, chopper and if you're lucky enough to talk to him or get some words out of him you know he's my fucking spirit yeah animal. it's rocco and i talk three times a week for Sick. hours and Sick. we have i've only met him a couple times but i fucking love his music possibly man. the only podcast that will be longer than yours <laughs> could be Rocco's that's awesome and we've already I mean there's so much ground to cover and uh you know our, I just love my wild friends they've had they've lived so many interesting lives yeah and see that's what's that's what's crazy is is like you go to these runs and you're all riding around choppers but my favorite thing to do with these runs is introduce myself to new people and if I'm lucky enough and they feel comfortable enough to talk to me after that introduction is just figuring out who they are and what they do. I don't give a fuck about motorcycles or any of that. Like, who are you? What brought you here? Like, who who's your buddy that brought you in here? And what do you what do you do back in L.A.? Or what do you do over there? And like connect and it, the dots. Yeah. And it's always something that's cool. It's almost always like, oh, fucking crazy, man. Like Marcus. Yeah. When he broke down, we had no idea who was broken down. He waves us over, pull over. You're working on his bike. The two of you whittle it out and he's on his way. And he, yeah. he finished the trip. And he's like, or well, he had come up to me before that. And he goes, hey, at, he came up to me right before I ended up talking to those kids in the Wrangler that unfortunately had that situation happen. Oh my God. And uh, and he goes, hey, uh, I can't remember how how he came up. I can't remember if he goes, "Hey, are you Tom?" or whatever. He goes, he goes, "Hey," uh, or I or I might have said to him, "Hi, I'm Tom." And he goes, "Hey, Tom, I'm Marcus. I'm Jeremiah's buddy." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay." And uh, and I've heard, you know, Jeremiah and I talk fucking every day. You know, like if you and Rocco, I talk to Jeremiah all the fucking time. And yeah. he, some of the names that always come out of his mouth every time I talk to him is Marcus. So immediately. I'm like, oh shit, man, I've heard so much about you. And and it is no shock to me at all that these two guys that have never met live in two completely different parts of the country that share this one friend who has the same kind of emotional attributes as, you know, as, as I do, as he does now that I know him a little bit better. Just get on like that. Like fucking, I would, I would go, I would have ridden back to fucking Cleveland with that dude. And I know it would have been the most fun trip of my life, you know? So it's just interesting, you know? It, it really, is. It really so is. So you, you actually had talked to Marcus uh, Never before spoken he of, broke down. Yes. But only for like a few minutes. Yeah. I hadn't. Yeah. That was my first introduction. I was, I was like, hey man, what's your name? Yeah. I didn't even know it was him when, but he was waving like, fuck, I'm in trouble. And so yeah. we just pulled over and then I walk up and I see the bike. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? It was a yeah. beautiful bike. Unbelievable bike. Beautiful. Killer bike. fucking motorcycle. Yeah. I I loved every part of it. But like like everything, you know, you you set that 
he set his bike up to look killer as show and then all the things that are killing us to get it back together are like the beautiful show aspects of it you know it's and hard it's hard to ride show bikes it hats, really is no matter how practical they to are riding a show yeah. bike on dvr it is hard to ride show bikes and there were a couple guys riding around on show bikes this year at, or bikes that they had built like alboys riding his fucking knucklehead uh yeah. marcus riding his bike that one dude um i think his name's michael from the bay area was riding his bike that he told me the year i won best hand panhead with jt's bike so that was born free 11 i think so two years ago he won best shovelhead with that bike so it was kind of built up as like a a show bike yeah you know and uh, his was i took a second to look at as far more practical than like a show bike but it had chrome and nice paint and yeah. you know he tried real hard the hardware was all beautiful and the wiring was beautiful and it was just a really nice bike i mean know? that the lineup of these things is just like makes my head spin oh it really so does. fun looking it really fucking does i mean it i don't know i mean i don't think i need to encourage anybody to get into choppers because i mean there's probably a ton of people that will listen to your podcast and hear stories about choppers and just be like whoa that sounds way too gnarly for me but <laughs> but if you if you are even thinking about making the decision to maybe buy an old harley i mean fuck it don't even start with a chopper buy like an old shovel head for five six grand I and fucking ride it around stock iron head yeah ride it around stock and fucking and and let it evolve into whatever you want to and if it never evolves just ride around in an old fucking shovel head or an old iron who fucking cares it's dope watch it fall apart and fix it and be stoked you know it's very rewarding it is i we, we were riding one time with with uh just cross paths with someone and we rode a few miles and I can't remember myself. I think I was the only one working on my bike continually, but they're kind of over my shoulder, very curious. And they're like, man, I wish my bike would fall apart sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, like those people we met at fucking, uh, oh, yeah. that were like riding those brand new bikes, but they were just like, and they're motorcycle people. They've been, I mean, who knows how many thousands of miles those people were riding. I mean, they were fucking geared to the nines. I mean, they were riding around. They weren't those uh, water, those BMWs, but they were like, you know, those, the equivalent, the yeah. British equivalent or whatever they were. One Modern was, uh, dual, yeah, I think they call dual that sports, adventure sport adventure, Yeah, Enduros or whatever. Yeah. And those bikes were phenomenal, but they couldn't even look away from our motorcycles because these are these are enthusiasts these are people that ride more than we would ever dream of riding except maybe you but like they couldn't believe we rode those motorcycles yeah. like it was like holy shit and you could see that one guy who was like super curious yeah. you could see him be like oh my god that's so cool i want to do he that he came up and asked he's like i don't mean to bother you i thought he had an accident at first but he, he was like from northern california yeah but he was like what what year are these machines mm-hmm Mm -hmm. and you just you just you know and that curiosity is like what you and i started out with it was so it was genuine just, it, yeah. it, it, that's why i could tell in, in the way that they stayed intentionally just to see us start them and ride them off you could tell and especially him because he was like we're not going anywhere until these bikes fucking leave because yeah. i just gotta i gotta see they gotta hear these fucking things and we delivered of course it's yeah. like wow yeah. the whole show fucking smoke shooting everywhere it's fucking oil awesome. streak the whole way yeah exactly yeah. fucking pools of oil under all the bikes yeah. it was just you could tell he got it. Yeah. You know, and he was so far removed from it, but he still loved riding motorcycles. It gives I, me so much pleasure when people enjoy it. Oh, yeah. You know, when they're, it, it can be a pain in the ass 
to talk to people about it all the yeah, time. Yeah. But you know how it is when you're in a hurry or something. Snodgrass always has the funniest things to say. Does he? What, he yeah, he, he's always like, is it cu- custom? Is that, C- custom? that custom? Or what was the thing he said outside? He goes, uh, we pulled up to the gas station and he goes, uh, oh, it was so fucking funny and I'm not going to be able to remember it. He goes, he's uh, a funny motherfucker. Oh, fuck. I can't remember. It sucks because I remember he said it. I go, it'll oh, my come, God, that was so you. fucking funny. Uh, but, you know, I always try and be patient and, like, talk to him a little bit, you know, and, and just trying to try and make 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 myself approachable, I guess. Yeah. Because I think there's a there's and, and there's times that, I do and times I don't. Sometimes just, I'm like, yeah, don't fucking talk. That's to me. just me. And I realize that there is a role that needs to be um fulfilled as well about the guy that is inaccessible writing about yeah. just to keep the fantasy alive yeah, yeah, lone wolf yeah. biker. that's definitely not me I'm yeah. like more like open arms like hop on let's yeah. go my dad had a triumph just like that it just it gets exhausting and yeah. I think that's the problem is you kind of feel like an asshole sometimes people come up to you and they're like well yours your triumph and I'm or my dad had a triumph and I was like fucking shit shut the fuck up you know but but then you'll get I just love my favorite is when you pull up the gas station and that weird meth homeless dude walks up and he goes oh, yeah. well yours your panhead oh, yeah. and I'm like 63 and he's like oh, I used to have a 60 61 he's going off and then he like crawls back teeth. into the fucking woods and I'm always like oh my god is that like a crystal ball like what the fuck was that it's you, just awesome though. It, it's completely predictable too yeah I mean you can see them when they're crossing the street before you even get there because they can hear you before they can oh, yeah. see you and yeah, you're like yeah. waiting yeah. you're like I heard you coming it just harkens back to a time where they, and you know, for most of them, this is what I was thinking like a couple of years ago. I go, most of these guys probably wander over here because that was the greatest time of their life when they were riding around on that bike. We may say that too. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I'm never not saying that I'm riding these bikes. My wife oftentimes says like, you know, you're especially in the early days, she goes, you're just going to get out of this. And I'm like, I am never getting out of it. This is why everybody always jokes around like, oh, you'll have your FXR someday too. And I go, dude, I know 70-year-old guys that are kicking panheads. And if if I can still kick a fucking motorcycle, I will be riding it. And when I can't, I will put an electric start on this panhead and I will never ride anything but one of these old bikes. I just don't see why I need to change. Like, why would I ever change this? I worry. I worry a little bit that, uh, you know, the, the jump to electric vehicles is going to really cripple cripple our fun. It's going to it's going to make it hard. I know that. So I I am trying to sponge every ride out of this period of my life that I can. Yeah, but you know if there's any group of dudes that can figure out how to get around anything that they pull, it's going to be the group of guys that we fucking ride with today. I mean, it's like they're never going to take this away from me. I don't care how expensive gas gets. I don't care how hard it gets to ride these things. They're never taking it away from me. Not in my lifetime. No fucking way. I had a thought that people will start figuring out how to refine their own petroleum and make their own gas. I mean, it's certainly there. There's certainly ways around it. There's certainly ways around having a gas station every fucking 10 miles. You know, there, there are definitely ways we, and remember there are some pretty smart mechanical dudes in this group and yeah. we're going to figure it out. But I do, I think there's always going to be gas available. I think we're going to be able to fucking ride. I, sure I just so. think it's going to be harder to do it. I think it's going to be harder to make that thousand mile trip and run into a gas station every fucking yeah. six, especially with our tank sizes and that kind of shit. It's going to be harder to find fucking oil. At it'll the, it'll yeah. make the price of everything go up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it, as if it isn't high enough already, but yeah. we'll just see. Cause 
there i saw that it's just it's just gonna happen and i'm a huge proponent of electric vehicles i think they're i think they're awesome brilliant. i'm i'm going to own an electric yeah, motorcycle me too. 100% yeah me too i rode the livewire when they did the initial tour remember we we did yes. you go with me no i didn't but i last was it last summer yeah last summer yeah. no summer before last uh, when we were shooting that harley campaign all over the country yeah i i could have picked any motorcycle dude i oh, rode dude. the livewire every fucking day you got the best of it and i and i feel bad that, you know i love the motor company more than anybody and and i support pretty much everything they're doing I, I i think they blew it on the price of the live wire i think they should have just made it compete with the highest end zero and watched them fucking sell like hotcakes yeah. and you know and i i don't know how anything works over there it's a beautiful motorcycle i got to ride it during the test thing so we didn't get to sport mode it we had to have follow and and, and tail bikes but we got to just experience a little bit of what that bike had to offer and dude fucking the one of the most amazing experiences i've had on a motorcycle and it was me Dow, and john uh, i think i think uh well a couple a, a bunch of us went uh, kia kia mm -hmm. went out and uh and we all came back like holy fucking shit Dallin and i went or Dallin went and test drove tesla the next day and he because we were like this electric shit is bonkers dude it's so i'm insane. not i'm not anti-fucking electric i think it's fucking incredible but I am never, they're never taking fucking combustion engines away from me. I mean, I, I don't care if I'm the last old generation of old dudes that, that knows how to tune a carb just by listening to it or just by the way it smells, the exhaust smells or, you know, there's something magical about understanding these funky old things as much as, as much as some of us get to do if we, if we're obsessive enough over it and I'm going to be fine dying with that information i'm gonna be totally okay i hope i don't have to i have two boys i hope i can pass some of this stuff along and and you know if it takes them to with the age i got into it at 30 31 so be it yeah. you know i'd rather they get into it at some point than never get into it but if they don't and i have to pass this down to kids like little joe or fucking uh oscar or, or those those dudes you know it's gonna be one of their kids that gets into it you know sooner or later somebody in that line is going to have a kid that that gets it you know and and if that person's me i'm stoked but if it's not it's going to happen so i i have faith that it's not going to die out but if it does i'm i'm okay with it like I, i'm not worried about dying out necessarily i just worry about not being able to enjoy it on the level that i do now or that it's, it's so unaccessible that's that, exactly that yeah. only rich kooks get to do it and uh because it's borderline on that level now you it know? just means that we've got to ride till the wheels come off absolutely absolutely in our in our, in our it's when right now. it's when we start hiding them because they become so valuable is when it starts to get dangerous you know that's like yeah. the the 20 million dollar cars that now just get passed around from one rich guy and none of them hit the track anymore you yeah. know we're talking about like vintage ferraris that need to be driven and the worst thing that could ever be done with them is nothing you know it's so fun to see these things go down the road in a group yeah and everybody i mean i don't care who you are you could be the biggest square like kook that's ever walked the face of the earth and when we pull into the gas station everybody's like holy fucking shit you know some of them are afraid to look other ones aren't but like there is nobody that sees those bikes pull up and isn't like what the fuck is that you can't look away <laughs> it's, it is it's like a fucking car crash i've been staring at these things for a week and i still get off my bike i just have to stare at everybody's bikes i stare at choppers every fucking day every and day. when i go to dvr i walk that fucking line and when i go to born free i walk that fucking field and i can't 
get enough of it. And every time I do it, I see something I've never seen before or some solution to some problem that I think is cool. And it's, it's like, it's like motorcycle puberty every day of your life and you never grow out of it. Well, and you get to see what's killer is when you meet the people, you get to see how their brains work too, by looking at their bike. Like, oh, oh, that's true. Oftentimes you'll meet somebody and be like, oh, that's cool how they did that. It's an extension of their, yeah. themselves. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I love it. I love the solutions because I'm, I'm never going to stop building custom motorcycles. And like, I get a lot of great ideas hanging around guys smarter than me. There's you know? so many characteristics or uh, personalities or characteristics that come through in the bikes. You look at Grossman's bike, any of Grossman's bikes, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy should be riding that bike. Yeah. 100 percent. it's wild and long and exaggerated and hold like 100 percent. you're like oh that makes it's like people who look like their pets exactly exactly thing. i was just about you to look say like that. your bike yeah exactly i mean and what he's doing with the with the just the bringing back it's just fucking i mean it, there was only one guy that could do it and That's it was so him. true yeah. that locomotion seeing it go down the road can you imagine being one of the, the dudes that used to ride next to that bike and see oh, it come back i can't even I, when he called me and told me he was doing it i couldn't eat it like it was like it was like so excited for him i was like oh my god and you know and i heard there was a bunch of people fucking there's always hate people hating like oh you know you shouldn't shouldn't have that bike and blah, blah, blah. people say the stupidest fucking shit it's like nobody on the face of the earth should have that bike more than ryan grossman i mean and Amen. look at what he's doing he is fucking riding the shit out of it and i mean he fucking starting to look like fucking <laughs> dick allen i mean jesus christ with the mind. i'm just like fuck is that dick allen jesus christ did you were you there the night he was changing the tire for chase yeah it was like giving the tutorial oh like, yeah to everyone like it yeah. was a class i mean he live eats breathes shits this stuff i mean it's fucking awesome and i'm i'm so stoked to be able to call him a friend and 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 you know he's one of the guys that welcomed me into this you know yeah. first time i met him was at the chun it's and such he just a was like he was like fucking cool man and so many dudes at that time were so difficult to to it was so difficult for them to let you in like they were they like but Grossman was like yeah sleep on the guy i mean he was yeah. just fucking cool man and and you know we need more of that in kind of everything you know yeah. and i and i think that when you see this group like the dvr group roll through and you know and i guess it's it's it isn't not for everybody you know you do kind of have to be in there but everybody that's in there is a good is like a person that deserves to be in there you yeah. know and and i think that and i think that there's enough of us that are so welcoming to new people getting into it that i think you know we're going to have some longevity with this that's longer than i think maybe historical biker scenes that have happened i know? think that's already i mean i don't know what the decades were you know that really before things got uh territorial so to speak right with the club scenes like we don't have any of that no in our world i don't think we ever will with these with the this kind of genre of motorcycle right like it'll always i just love how open what, it when is. it fizzles out is when there's not enough people doing the events anymore you know no, and you'll that's watch, really what you'll watch like you'll even dvr you'll watch you know dvr started and i think what was it 54 or 53 53 and uh and by like this by like 
70 something it was done yeah nobody doing the ride anymore not enough people doing the ride and that's when the big chopper scene came in you know the 70s were like the wild chop and everybody had choppers and there's 20 chopper magazines and everybody had a fucking full show bike and there was jammer aee fucking cheetah blah 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 all these companies and then boom the 80s came in and yuppies and fucking tech and then it was dead god it was like all those companies were in southern california too dead and it died like that yeah all the shows were done you got Sturgis, but Sturgis, you know, they evolved like it should have. Yeah. And you got Born Free that's evolving. But Born Free is a, is a show built around vintage motorcycles, yeah. choppers, man. And so and so even even as it gets, as it evolves and changes, there's still a shit ton of fucking choppers there, you know, and a shit ton of dudes that came a long way to ride into that show and park on the grass, you know. And uh, I still think that if you to have a grass pass, you should have like a pre 70 or, or a pre fucking 85 or whatever it pre evo to yeah. park on the grass because yeah. i think that i think it gets lost when it's just fxrs and whatever but it's oh, not my it's never just, my, you mean just to be just to be on, to on the, be grass. On the grass. Yeah, oh, to be on grass yeah to be on the grass because this is a chopper show yeah you know and then i know that they have the fxr thing whatever but like well, they've you remember the early too. years when there were like the field that was of bi- you couldn't even yeah you couldn't even see them all. There's that. That's yeah. how many. And I think when I tell that to a lot of people that go now that didn't go to the early ones, they they're kind of like, ah, oh, there. I mean, there was a, quite a bit of old bikes, but not as many as I thought. And I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah. And it's because a lot of those bikes don't get grass passes, and they're out in the fucking dirt. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then there's like a fucking road king in the spot where like some kid's killer fucking sportster could be in there who rode all the way from fucking you know. Wyoming because he wanted to go but he couldn't get a grass pass you know I was kind of I, I love that I love seeing the invited builders bikes in mm. the center but even more so do I love walking the rows and seeing how far some of these motherfuckers rode those turds from oh absolutely and we That's used the best. to be some of them you know oh, yeah. not even that far but it's it was, the best. It was just our journey. Was, Dude, listen, 1,100 the, miles is fucking far to ride for that show. It was the thing we look forward to every year. And now that I live here in the Mecca, I really miss riding down with you guys. Oh, dude. Well, I miss I'm, those I'm, trips. I'm doing it next year. Yeah. So Maybe I'll just ride back up with you afterwards. Yeah, you could do that. Fucking sweet. I was thinking, I, I was, last weekend we rode up to Fort Bragg. I was like, fuck, man, I'm halfway there. I know you I called me. You were like, I think I should go. And I think we talked. And I was like, please come up here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was halfway there. Oh, well, you know. I, we got the rest of our lives, amigo. That's right. I think there, there's Are, a lot of activity happening out there. Did the boys just pull up? I, I heard some motors running. Yeah, we can pause it. We can pause it again. Maybe yeah. we can get this show started back up. All right. All right. Uh, to be continued. To, t, uh, TBC. T, TBC. So um, what have we talked about? We went since we left here. That is intriguing enough to talk about here. Yeah, in and, and also here. taking inventory. We were going to talk until the battery shut off. We got. We're getting close. Uh oh! It's giving me the little X through the battery. Uh oh! We uh, we haven't talked about your racing career. Oh god! And building motors for some what's turned into some really competitive racing. Yeah. It's been fun to see that evolve, man. You really dove in hard. Well. Like you do. You know, I 
I think it happened, like like I've said, I think a million times in this podcast, like things happen organically in my life. I don't force anything. So when it started, I got into choppers and I was afraid to open the engines up because I didn't want to let the angels out. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and that was because my, my mentor essentially was like, you don't want to fuck around with that. But you know, my mentor isn't, wasn't really an engine builder that's not what he fancied himself to be and i i totally get that and for years i didn't want to be like that you were a little shy but then it start you're waiting on guys to do stuff for you and i just i hate that i hate waiting that's why i don't like doing projects in my shop where i've got to like subcontract anything metal work anything so i brought all the metal work in house i started learning how to do high-end metal work in my shop with my own tools and doing all that. So well, the economy's better too, if you're doing it all. Well, right. I mean, it's just it, timelines become more re- realistic and all that kind of stuff. So it was only a matter of time before I started tooling up for motorcycles and the first, and all the machines I started buying allowed me to do more advanced work on an engine. If I needed to do it, decking cases, decking heads, doing all that kind of stuff. And sun and hone, so boring cylinders doing the whole the whole deal, right? Yeah. And uh, and so I just got into it, cutting valves, learning that stuff, and then I went out. I became so interested in it that I went out to Kansas and I sat and I worked with Jess for a couple of weeks, and he was kind enough to share that knowledge. I mean, I I paid for that experience, and it was worth every penny I paid, and I would do it a hundred times over. And actually, I have plans to go back out there. And uh, spend a little more time with him, not only um, working with him more to learn a little bit more about what he's doing, but also to kind of share with him some of the high performance stuff that I've been doing. I need to go see him too, man. Maybe we should go out there together. Yeah, I would love I would love that would be I mean, spend some real time. I I, I won't go out there if I can't spend less than uh, less than two weeks. Yeah, at his place, because I do. One, and he could certainly accommodate both of us for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, between him and 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 Rex and Dan, it's like easy. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I could find a place back home to stay too. Well, I don't think anybody would be bummed if we came out there yeah. for two weeks and and stirred that pot up for a couple of weeks having fun. But but it was just once you start dialing these motorcycles in to do what they were always designed to do. And you just say, take it up a notch. You go from 74 to 80 and you feel what you get a little taste of what just that small little thing does change nothing. Just change the stroke. Yeah. And it's like, it becomes, it becomes all about that. Yeah. It's like, whoa, this, we just woke this fucker up. And then you're like, oh, let me, uh, let me bump the cam up, you know, 20,000 see what that does let's open that let's 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 extend that duration let's see what hanging these valves open a little longer and throwing a little more gas in there does and it's just like crazy because we spent all our first years riding stock 74 bikes and then me and Dallin decided to stroke one of our panhead engines and it was just like what you know and uh and that was it yeah the only stock 74 I've ever put together ever since is the one the engine that's in the Dragon right now just because I was pressed for time too lazy I just took the engine apart fixed everything and put it back together you know basically just blueprinted the engine back and then threw it in the bike but then a trip like this reminds you that that's super fucking whack because yeah. you're getting passed by 93 inch engines and I'm like oh I got a 93 inch engine sitting on the fucking <laughs> engine stand I took it out of this bike because you don't really go back you don't you, you don't, don't go, go back. back you don't go back and 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 the thing is this once you start 
getting more out of these engines and understanding that it's not at the detriment of it, you're like, why wouldn't I do this? And then you start riding those motorcycles and and making these motorcycles even more fun to ride because dude it's awesome when you're when you're fucking banging down the road and there's a line of cars and you see an opening and you're like fuck I wish I had the power to pass five cars in that tractor trailer and if you have a fucking 93 inch stroker panhead with a fucking line rubber 3 cam in it trust me you will pass those cars without even and just turning that throttle and getting 100% out of that engine it's awesome so I'm like, fuck it. And then I start doing a lot of that stuff. And the next logical step is drag bikes. Take you it know? to the track. Yeah, like let's fucking make them go fast. But the real the real kind of reason it happened was I had a client that hired me to do something. And I had the skills to try to do it. And then I met Marty, Marty Smithstad at Capital Speed Shop. And he... All the he is one of the best mechanics I've ever met, and uh, and he just had a knowledge base that was so performance based, and he was a tuner, and he just opened this fucking door, yeah. and there's no way to shut it once that door is open. There's no fucking way to do it. Yeah, you never really it, that becomes the concern. You used yeah. to worry about your sissy bar looking yeah. right, and then you really worry about having the power. Yeah, it, it changes everything. And then it was like, dude, I'm gonna. Dino tune every engine I build, whether it's for one of my choppers, whatever, because how, I understand the importance. How old is Marty? Marty is like, I think he's ten years younger than me. That's so crazy. 33. Good for him. Yeah, he reached out to me about coming on the show. I'm definitely going to get him on here, dude. When Marty I got the finances. Marty is like one of the fucking smartest guys ever. I fucking love Marty. I mean, he he is one of my best friends. He will be a friend. He will be a lifelong friend. I just, I fucking love him, man. And and he has given, I like to think that we have a very, you know, copacetic relation. Like, like we give each other, it's a balanced give, yes. you know, give take. Equal you know? exchange. Yeah, exactly. He, we have some interesting overlaps because I, I think he took over my old spot in the old shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he moved in there. A hundred percent. Yeah. Who else was in there at the time? Because I'd, I'd been out of there. It was like Rustin and the, and, and Rustin. Um, who was in your old spot then Rustin no no uh, Tower moved into my old spot oh did he okay yeah and then and then it was Rustin him um, Tower's buddy the graffiti artist god damn it what's his name Zeos is his graffiti the, name. The, I can't the, remember. The guy that did the mural at the shop? Yeah, yeah, That yeah. guy moved into the shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later? He took it oh. over. Yeah, he took it over. Oh, I, I, so bummed. I can't remember his name. I mean, that building's not even there anymore. It's that yeah, that makes me fucking, think dude, of it's home. And you that, haven't seen it. It's, yeah. it's crazy. That would be hard to like see. it's an atrocity. Yeah, it's bonkers. That was the only reason I stayed in Seattle for so long is because we had that place. Dude, it was magical. What a church that was. I mean, it was fucking sacred. It, Harleys and and Japanese bikes just just everything just co-mingling, dirt bikes British bikes bikes it had everything co-mingling it was awesome it was amazing and different types too you know Kyo was there every day just dependably it was like the show Cheers you know yeah, like it really everybody was. knows your name it was the had, weirdest motliest crew oh God, and yet we great. all and we were all pretty volatile personalities pretty alpha male and and yet and we had major disagreements and major issues but like 
we all just made it work. We all kept it on the rails. I think it's a testament to how men get together. Yeah. We can beef and we can fucking freak out and punch each other and get crazy just and then come back the next gorillas. day and be like, hey, bro. Yeah. Give me a hug. Let's just move on from this, yeah. you know, because I know gr- girls get fucking crazy and never speak again for fucking 20 years. And I just, I don't know. I, I just, I have a hard time with that. I do too. I, I, uh, I've actually even had to tell, uh, I don't know if she'll like this. I've even had to tell my wife, I was like, you need to treat this as men do. She's like, we'll f- I promise you it will fix it. And you know what? I'm not going to go into any detail, but she was like, you were right. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's a simple, it's a simple thing. And, 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 and I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. I don't have a track record. That's a hundred percent with it personally. But, uh, but for the most part, like I, I've lost a couple of friends and, 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 and because of things that I did and, uh, and they stick with me and it and bums me out. And, uh, and so when I make close friends and me and that friend go through a hard time, I am conscious enough to notice it and I do whatever I can to fix it. If it can be fixed at this point in my life, because I understand the value of a good friend and they're hard to fucking find, especially when you're like me and you're not really out there trying to find friends. So you don't want to keep knocking them out. Oh my God. No. Yeah. And man, the older we get as many as we've lost. It's like, you never just the fucking crazy shit we do. You never know when it's the last time you're seeing someone. You, never, you really don't. You really I, don't. I, I mean, you were there the night I got the call that my parents passed away. <laughs> never forget. And, and that, I mean, that is enough to teach you right there where like a goodbye, a real goodbye is one of the most meaningful things you can give or receive in life from other people. That was one of the most... Uh, that that still to this day is one of the most emotional like experiences I've gone through. Yeah, that was a big one, man. I mean, because as a friend, you were the only one. How do, how do you even? And that's what I always say. I'm like, here's my friend. Thank God you were there because I don't know if I would have talked to anybody for days. I don't know if that would have even gotten out because I didn't know what to say to anyone. I don't even, I, it was so fucking crazy. And when you get, um, and I always say, imagine somebody walking up to you and you saying, Hey man, that seemed like a serious conversation. What the fuck is that? And you, and you, your word, your exact words, I'll never forget it. Where I don't know if I want to tell you. And I, and I said to you in a jerky kind of Tom Jones way, I go, what the fuck are you mean? You don't want to tell me. And you go, you look me, you, you look me in the eyes and you go, that was my sister. She just told me both my parents were killed in a car accident. And I was like, I think I, I was like, what? And it was just like, what? And I think I, you know, I'm always thinking of something like snarky and jerky to say. I was just like, I just hugged you. I was just like, that was the right thing to do. And I just held you and I'm like, dude, what the fuck, man? I just, fuck. You also said, I mean, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what to do, but you also, you also told me, you go, go home, be with family. You said, you I don't like, want to go Yeah, home. you were like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. And I'm like, no, you need to I go home and get go home. with your fucking family right now. I was all, it was all. And then I went, I went back to the house you know, because you were like, I'm going home to see my kids. I'm going home to see my wife. I'm going back. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, to go back to the house. 
and I was sitting in the basement in my bedroom. And I could hear Sonia and I could hear Jeff and Addie upstairs. And I was like, how do I tell them this? You know, because I, I did. It's not that I, I knew that they would have given me any type of comfort, but I, I didn't want to. How do you deliver news like that? You don't. I, I don't know. What are you asking when you say that? When I say, "Hey, this is the thing," and well, right, because you how, don't. What, want, they, what do you? Think what do they, they do? Want, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like that I, is such a. I was just like, what do I fucking thing. do? Um, yeah, it turned that got blurry there for a little while. I remember when I went home and I, I told Ryan and I, and I went in and hugged my boys and I just I just cried. I was just like, what the fuck, man. Ugh. It can happen quick. Even that picture you showed me today, those those people, it's the same story with my parents. They're, the, it was just you're living one second and the lights are out the next. You hope that's, you don't want to think that anyone suffered. So that's crazy. the question you battle for a really long time. Did they suffer? And and I, I mean, I don't think, I tell myself that they didn't. But of course not. Yeah. And then, fuck, dude, it's quick. I just want it to be quick. I don't want to slow demise. In, in a lot of ways, it was a natural thing to happen because if it works right, you outlive your parents. When it works the other way, that's a real fucking tragedy. Yeah. I'm not saying that wasn't a tragedy, but like if it would have been reversed, that that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. But I mean, when I think about it, I think and I think about it a lot, as a matter of fact, I think about how. And for a second there, I was I was really worried about you because when you came back and we had to head down for born, what was that, born free five or six or yeah, I think it was five. Yeah, and uh, and you were a mess, man. You you were a mess. I didn't we were, think I we, could go, and we were all a mess. We were all on egg, on eggshells and just concerned and whatever. I knew, you and were. that was our craziest trip ever. But the way that you turned that into what you've how you've kind of gone full circle to where you are now it's just like i just don't know if if i could have done it handled it that well like, i couldn't have done it if you guys weren't there i would not have gone on that trip if you didn't show up in the driveway and i was thinking i was fucking laying in bed i was like i can't do this i can't pack my bag I can't leave. I've got so many things to handle back home. And you guys treated it just right where you weren't drawing attention to it, but you were, you were, you showed concern, but so much encouragement to get on the horse and still go just trying you. to press you to go just trying. And it was just enough. And immediately I, I felt, I felt so much better just moving down the road it was like that speed sunk in where i could actually start processing the grief a little bit yeah because it's a flow state when you get in on the bike and like i was working through some fucking shit on the road but i you're right beside me, but you just give him a hug and that's exactly what you did there's nothing to say in that situation sorry we got cut off as the batteries did die we did a whole battery so far so you were moving down the road. I I was moving down processing the processing your grief. Well, it's the first time I and I had this is a week later, so I went home, buried my parents, you know, made my reconnected with family. Right. And you know, Jess and Dennis uh were huge and and um 
Rexam were a huge part of that. They came, they helped you. I mean, with the auction, right? Didn't they help? They came you and the helped auction? with the auction later on. This is after I had met them, you know, and it, that's how it all kind of. It, my point is, like, it all that trip made everything kind of come together, and yeah, I almost you dealt didn't with it take after it. Yeah, you met them on your way kind of back yeah 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 yeah. yeah. and uh it was just yeah it was it's hard to i haven't gone back there i mean i haven't gone back to it in my head in a while and that's kind of why i wanted to write the book because i knew that you know like you're talking about your adoption the memories fade a little bit it gets foggy it gets fuzzy even in even when you try your best to remember i i felt a real sense of urgency to make that book happen and tell that story because i didn't want to lose the, yeah. that memory and, and also to do it for my parents so they it was just they were special people and i cried yeah i mean and i think we've already established i'm a pretty emotional guy <laughs> yeah. but when i pulled the letter from your father out of that fucking book yeah i wept like a baby just it was just the craziest fucking thing I had ever read. Yeah. And I think my wife came in and she was like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, God, I just read this letter. I just, I don't know. My sister, um, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about that letter and it was kind of, and it occurred to me when I found it, uh, just the, my dad's a, ability to think ahead and to really consider God, uh, I wish I had met him uh, yeah, he was a great man he was a great fucking man he's my best fucking friend he was my best friend and anybody any I mean I have I have a lot of really close people I'm very lucky but he was so he was so good at advising me because he knew me so well and I really need need that you know I miss that I don't, yeah. I don't quite have someone that does that for me anymore. And life is much more scary without it. Men with great friends don't need therapists. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, when I was going down the road, it started to sink in cause I'd, we, I'd come back from the funeral, literally Dallin picked me up from the airport and was like, Hey man, I know we were going to leave tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or no, I think it was tomorrow, but he was like, the storm's coming in. We, we've all talked about it. We really ought to beat it, which was the right thing to do, but it was pushing me to go the other way. But when you guys showed up in the driveway and you're like, you need to go, I did. I went with, I went with it cause you handled it right. But when I got on the road, that was the first time I started processing it. And I realized you were so grumpy too. <laughs> you were so I hadn't slept never, in a week. And, and, and anybody listening to this cod is not a grumpy guy. And to see you that, it was hard because that's the first time I had seen you yeah. since you told me. Yeah, I hadn't slept in a week. Maybe. Yeah, I know. And and, yeah. and and you could see it. And, and it was so hard to see you like that. But yet we needed, and, and, and we talked about it. Like, you know, you would go in and be like, how the fuck did we tell this guy? We got to get the fuck out of here yeah, right now. Yeah. You know, and it didn't matter because we ended up getting fucked by the storm. And it's still out running. But it, Dennis it? left two hours before us and they missed it. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was just that two hour window would have been a whole. I, I think the trip, it went down yeah. marvelously. And yeah. um, like I said, I realized that I'm way better off out here. And I, I, it started putting the next, because it's been 
you know, what is that? Eight years almost. Yeah. It's been eight years of staying that course from that one day where you guys drug me out and put me on my bike and said, you're coming with us. Yeah. And I have stayed that course the entire time and the highway has become my life. Yeah. I've made it into that because it was, it was such a powerful fucking experience to grieve on that road and to find all these new people. Yeah. But you're documenting it so well in your books in your podcast that it with all these amazing people that you meet that we all get to live vicariously through that, you know, because a lot of us, so. a lot of us haven't been on the highway for yeah. eight years, you know? Yeah. And is, is I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy that I, I was there and, and I was I able to too. share that trip with you because I that trip too. was for me personally was the best and the worst trip I've ever had. Uh, which is a difficult thing to for probably anybody to understand but if you were there you obviously know oh, what I, I mean by the best and the worst but yeah. but it was just to see you work through that and 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 to watch it it's just I it's needed, helped me I needed it's my helped friends. me in difficult times I'm like you know what maybe I just need to to push on from this maybe i just need to fucking ride through it and 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 you know and that's a testament to like motorcycles can cure they can, they can cure if you let worked them for me if you let them man. and you know my and they're a great distraction you know my my um and a lot of time to think when I, you're on one i feel like i did i grieved a lot better than any of my other family members because i did that trip i arrived at a i arrived at a healthy place much sooner because of that I know that I did. Well, because on the road, I have you, a, got, you, yeah. you got another family on the I, road. I did, and I I was surrounded by my friends, and we're both we're we're conquering the same distance together. And what's a better metaphor? You know, there's there's nothing. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And Just, we weren't staying in one place, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. So, you can't dwell on one thing. You've got to move on and and think about the next thing and solve the next problem. It was it was. It was exactly what I needed. We had a lot of fucking problems on that trip. <laughs> we had a lot of, <laughs> we lot had, of things to think we had about. People problems. We had technical problems. We had weather problems. We had fucking emotional problems. We there had were every fucking problem. 13 of us on in that crew that was wild, ma made it. It was a wild crew. And we all made it down. Well, Biagio's. Biagio's bike blew up. Is, and that was the is, sad. Is, yeah. But, but he was fine. Yeah. He was like, all right. He wasn't even going to come. That's and then true. He was like, I'll roll with you. That's true. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then Dallin's, what year did Dallin's bike blow up? And he took the F. Oh, oh, and then Dallin's bike blew up. That was right at the beginning, but he went back and got the Dyna. Right. Because Biagio's bike blew up. That's right. And he, Dallin went back and rode got, the Dyna. That's right. And then my knucklehead blew up on the way back up. That's right. And I took the Dyna. Dallin took my knucklehead back to LA and then they brought it back up and I took the Dyna or, or it, Dallin took my knucklehead in a tow truck back to Magda's uh -huh. and I rode that Dyna all the way back to San Francisco, got my car and then picked up my bike. I didn't know that because yeah. I'm after that. I didn't know what happened to you guys necessarily. Yeah, that's a hell of an adventure. I blew, I blew all the boards on that on the knucklehead and fucking had to call it. Hundred, what was that? Hundred miles from Bakersfield. You know when 
when I think about it, every leg of that trip had a new relationship involved with it. That was the first year of the dragon, knucklehead dragon. That was, man. Yeah, that was it. First year we met, or second year, Digger Darren. We met Digger Darren. Oh, God, you're right. That, that, yeah. I love that fucking kid. I fucking love Darren and and that's when we had the same like the Bay Area family and we were kind of yeah. like with Cass and fucking Lee and yeah 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 we just had a fucking crew back then dude we would land anywhere we just had so so many good people it was meet awesome. us didn't matter yeah, where we were awesome. it was it was just with Dave and Kyle on their Evos we had uh we had uh who else did we have on that? Ginger well, Kia, was with us for Kia, a long Ginger, way. She Ginger made, she made all the way down. I think Ginger was on that trip with us. Yeah. Well. Yeah, because she was riding with Dennis. Yeah. And then we hooked up with them in San Jose, or San, uh, what's that beach? Uh, San Luis Obispo? No, no, no. Uh, Santa Barbara. No, fuck. Santa Cruz. Oh, that's Santa where Cruz. we, we, well, we hooked up with them in Oaktown. Remember that picture? And she took her top. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all shirtless and that, she took her, her shirt that's off and where, was in her yeah. bra. Yeah. And yeah. then we all rode down 101 yeah. and went down. And that was the crew. Kia. Yeah. And Biagio was there. Uh, Dallin, Ginger, Dave, Kyle, Darren, um, that Frisco. DePaulo. DePaulo, the Frisco Hells Angel. Um, dude, I can't remember his name, but he was fucking awesome. And you remember Gigi came out and hang Gigi, out again? Gigi and fucking Mikey. Yes, Mikey. And Mikey fucking. Mikey. We is... went to the Hells Angels Club. I mean, yeah, dude, it was, was just was, like, what the epic. fuck, man? I mean, that was one of the greatest motorcycle trips of all time. And that, yeah, that just kind of set the standard I was chasing for, you know, afterwards. That was a great distraction. It was. That was a great distraction. It was. And, and then, you know, I, once you guys fell off, I was kind of scared when you went back, I was like, I know this isn't over. I need to keep going. And, um, I was scared then because I was like, well, I'm going to try and make it back to the middle and I need to, there's more shit I got to handle at home. I'm just going to ride my motorcycle there. This is working. Yeah. I'm not going to stop doing it. And I met Ethan in LA because Magda introduced us and, and she was yep. like, you know, you guys really should hang out. And she was fucking dead on. And, and he became, he became my brother on that trip. Like yeah. literally we, my, even when I pulled into my yard to see my sister, she walked up to Ethan cause she thought he was me. Like we looked the same you know right. it was like we were and everybody called us twins like everywhere we showed up it's like oh you guys are twins yeah it, it was it was just really that's crazy. remarkable that's crazy. i was so just met i was so envious of ethan on that trip because i was like that's the motorcycle trip i've always wanted to take my whole life yeah and i've never been able to take it and here here's this guy going with my best buddy out to fucking kansas and he was a total boss wingman with you man yeah man the whole way we we had the best conversations fucking awesome we went anywhere we wanted we we saw the most beautiful landscape the whole way i mean we'd We'd end up riding through national parks on a full moon, just like it was another planet. There wasn't another soul in sight, you know, be lost where we at, find our way. And that's motorcycles, people, if you're listening. I mean, mean, if you want a metaphor for motorcycles, it's (laughs) every awesome natural experience you can ever imagine happening at breakneck speed throughout the day, and you get to smell it 
hear it, feel it. It's just fucking magical, dude. That's going to remember when you ride through like right before you get into Salinas and there's those eucalyptus forests that oh, you roll through just rolling on and both you sides roll into you. these hills oh, and there's man. just that smell of eucalyptus and it hits you and rolls into I your was nose just there last week how weekend. do you fucking get that and you never you drive through there a hundred times and never get that in a car and like one time on a motorcycle you get the eucalyptus smell you know it's just not only that but it's also it's also the the mechanical aspect when your bike is running really well and you're in a place like that it's pure bliss because all the hard work and all the shit that you went through to get that thing to where it's at and it's and it's it's doing what you engineered it to do it's all a bonus there's no (laughs) better feeling and there's no worse feeling when then it just yeah, and well, you know yeah. it's gonna come right afterwards you, but you, you try not to think about it you enjoy the moment you on en- the road you I enjoy mean, those sake. moments yeah and you wait for the axe to fall <laughs> then you fix it and some but sometimes it takes a long fucking time for that axe to fall it sure does I gotta be knocking on wood but I've had a pretty too. good run with these bikes I am too well how many miles do you think we did this weekend probably a thousand yeah close to that 227, yeah. 224, 170. I mean, it's got to be close. Yeah, I think it I yeah. think it does. I mean, Beatty is... Uh, Beatty from... In I mean, how many, ga- how many gas stops do you think we did? <laughs> I bet we did. 20? Yeah, I'd say somewhere around that. So you got to say we average 40 to 60 miles per gas stop. So that's like 1,200 miles. I bet it was. Yeah, I bet yeah, it 1,000 to 1,200 miles. Yeah. I did 1,500 the week, weekend before. So, I mean, that's how, that's why I get, that's why my bike gets up to 10,000 miles so oh, quickly. Because it's dude. like the weekend those, trips out here. Those just, first years we were running. When yeah. I had my first 63, Down was on his... Uh, what was it? Fifty six, I think it was fifty nine, and uh, oh, with the yeah, it had the uh, the red the split uh, tanks and yeah, the, and the and it had the red thirty six Ford fender with the pigtail on yeah, the back. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. The spare the spare tire fender and yeah. the and the apes and I mean, we were we were riding thousand. I mean, we were just riding every chance we got. Do you remember that night? Oh man, I you were yeah you were there. We all left when we got off work. And we rode over the mountains at fucking night into Yakima. Oh, yeah. The yeah, whole was, That's when way. we met Dave and those guys. Dodging fucking yeah. Dave deer. And Scott. That was the dumbest thing we did. Dave and Scott and yeah. all those dudes. And, uh, and then we crashed at some girl's fucking apartment. I got food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. you. I got food poisoning on the way back the whole way. I was just dumps. You were oh, dude, I was dying. Yeah, you were road dumps, dude. And you I could King of the road dump. I felt fine when I was riding. But boiling the minute we springs? stopped. Mayor was, of Boiling Shark Springs. I went <laughs> fucking straight to Boiling Shark Springs. I just didn't want to pull over. I was like, please, God, no, keep going. Because it was working, whatever. It was like locking me up. Yeah. And then we'd, that motor would stop running, and I'd be like. Nothing like that one Milwaukee vibrator to jam all that oh. fucking fudge back up in there, dude. Oh, oh the boiling shark. Just just, just spraying <laughs> was, mud. Then that was like, and we hung out with all those wacky bars in Yakima. Did someone get in a fight that night? I can't remember. 
Maybe that wasn't our group. Yakima was a. It was an interesting. It is still an interesting place. It was fun. What did you get the the food poisoning from that breakfast spot the yeah. next morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That place was gnarly. Yeah, I I, I don't have a lot of luck. <laughs> I don't know. Did you eat the chicken fried mistake? Chicken fried mistake. I bet I did. I bet you fucking. I can't did. say no to the chicken fried mistake. Oh my mistake. god, dude. Gnarly. And and, and it always seems. It this always is, seems like everyone can eat it and be fine. At, so there's not a metric I can follow. You know what I'm saying? It's listen, just, we don't know if any of those people were fine. Okay, true. We just don't know. That's we don't know how honest people are being. With I feel like I'm the, a, the case study for anything marginal. It could be. It could be that you are. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, that's just like that, uh, you know, it, it's interesting you mentioned all these. Things. I've forgotten about all this. Shit, yeah, you, you know? were. Yeah, it just came back to me too. And that that we rode that at the night, like the whole fucking time. You know, remember we, we used to go leave to Roslyn at night. We yeah. used to like. It was crazy. I mean, we all had headlights that worked a lot better than the ones I have now. But, but, fuck, I miss all that. You know? Know, and right. I've gotten so sidetracked with all this fucking show bike bullshit and all that stupid stuff, and the drag racing and stuff, which I love that stuff, but. Weekends like this, riding next to my buddy <laughs> and my and my and and Josh and fucking Eric and it's just it was fucking awesome, man. It, like this DVR, I needed it more than I've needed anything in my whole life, you know. And my wife knew it, and she was like, I knew that, I I know that when I mentioned it. She was not super excited about it, but she 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 caught it right out the gate, and she was She's just a like, "Smart woman." I was like, "Listen, you know, I've been trying to figure out the car situation because Tabo crashed the car, and and you know, I haven't had a car for a while, but I do have the van, and I have the Z, and I have a couple other things, but they're not. I'm not towing a fucking bike in either of those. I'm not driving my Econoline down here. No fucking way." And I was like, so I, I tried my best. And she knew I was like looking. At, I must have looked at fucking 30 cars. I hate looking for years. a vehicle. Oh, it's the worst. I it, hate it's it the worst. So Vans and, and, and stuff. And I was like, I tried, but DVR is happening. And I'm like, I really want to go. I've already looked at the schedule. I can totally go. And I really need this. And I was like, but the only way I can go is if I take your car and I take the trailer. And she's like, literally just a second and she goes, well, you did you did just leave to go do that parts. I just bought a shit ton of parts down in, in, in California, and I had taken the car for two days. And she was like, and she drove the van to the store, and, you know, it's not fun for her to drive that car, but, like, you know, she knows how to drive it. And she goes, nah, we'll make it work. She goes, and I know, I know you want to do this, so we'll make it work. Bless her heart. Oh, bless her heart. And then she kept, and then immediately I started like getting ready and packing. She goes, I've just never seen you get this excited about a trip. And I was like packing oh, about everything. Because awesome. I, dude, I haven't done a fucking, a long one like this in a while, a couple years. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get all my new, I wanted to get my new bag. You know, I tried out that Bill Well X-Fill thing, which was fucking the sickest bag. Thank you, Bill I'm, well, I'm that, getting one. That bag is fucking bonkers but, well so you if you're listening, listening to this you haven't i'm getting one. dude dude blotto mikey deutsch thank you for hooking me up with that bag like 
like so well thank you built weld it, it, it was like it killed it it was the most practical awesome bag i've ever used in my life um so if you're looking for a killer sissy bar bag that's the one and uh but pack a new pack setup is kind of stressful and then you know making sure i had all the right stuff my belt my ignition you know all the things that i've seen dudes go through and i added like six things to the list this trip because we watched all these weird things fail and you i stopped bringing hardware for some weird reason because i would bring i brought it for years and years and nobody ever used it who needs hardware when you have ken nagahara well dude i mean fucking hardware but what store. if ken's not there no, i get it what if ken and eric are not there dude so now i'm gonna put i'm gonna put together just like eric had like a little satchel yeah of 516 five, 516 coarse nuts bolts 38's fine 38's coarse all the usual suspects yeah and some weird randos because Eric had some randos in there that saved the fucking day I'm gonna bring in some spacers like he does every spacers year. because of what uh, Marcus went through and all that kind of stuff and I'm just like and then after that that clutch actuator foot it's like dude I'll throw a dude. I got a fucking bag full of those. It's that big. Yeah, exactly. Ruined our trip. Uh, ruined Eric's. Yeah, it, ruined it, Eric's. Eric, not his trip, but you know, it, it, it caused him grief all night. And it would have cost, took us, if I had one, it would have taken us five minutes to swap it out. Oh, yeah. 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 And, but these are the lessons you learned to go back. It's like you only learn that like 1,200 miles into a trip. Yeah. This is it. I mean, this is, this is it, you know? And so, so it's like, it was a big deal for me there's to come a, down There's here. a real good feeling when you're packing for a trip. Yeah, and I knew it. So and exciting. I was like loading the bikes, and and then on my way down, Grossman calls me. He's like, you still, you know, Grossman invites me every fucking year, and I never get to come. And then the one year I came down, I didn't even have time to come, and my bike broke, and I was just like ready to get the fuck out because I shouldn't even have come anyways. And, uh, and this time, I was just like, I'm going. And I'm making this whole trip because there's no way I, you know, I had that confidence. Like, there's no way this bike isn't making this trip. Yeah. And there's, and I, I but I was so nervous that I was going to first forget something that would screw me and, or, or, you know, whatever. And then we, we take off and it's just like, and I, I like Eric's failure happened two hours from the house. So it's yeah. like after our whole trip. So like, we really got to bang it out. I mean, that was fucking awesome. And yeah. then. <laughs> And we had a sidecar to haul his ass home in. It, I mean, it was magical. Literally Josh magical. shows up. I didn't even, I, I imagine he left the sidecar on there because he didn't have time to take it off for some reason or something. And that did not stop him. No. And it saved our ass. Dude. You can't write that shit. <laughs> Dude. He if, pulled it out of the trunk. I'm like, oh, we have a sidecar? I, and may, that, I may never go on a trip again without Josh in a sidecar. Si- it's it's sidecar, as simple as that. Sidecar yeah. guy needs to be part of every trip. It's like I'm packing my bag and the leather pants aren't fitting this time around. And I'm like, hey, Josh, I'm jamming. <laughs> He's like, it's all good. <laughs> aren't you glad you brought him, though? I've, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yep. Yes, I am. I, you know, I just, I have tremendous feels about this trip and uh oh we you know and it's been it's been it's been let's just put it this way it's been years since i've seen you okay years and uh and we've we've spent hours talking to each other we we've literally been talking all day we spent more time on the road together (laughs) since we have in eight years yeah and every 
single moment we had eight years ago, we had in the last three days. And it triggered all these emotions, all these feels, man. And, uh, and we shared it with a whole new group of dudes and it was perfect. And, and there is literally nobody I would have rather wanted to do this trip with. And, 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 and coming down here and staying with you and getting to spend an extra couple days with you and Nick, it's just, it's been great, know. man. I, I, I wish you guys were, I wish you guys were just a little closer. I, I'm going to work on that, but just like, but like closer. the crew we had this year and, and getting to know Josh better, yeah. who is close with you and, and getting to know Eric better who I've met, but I would, you know, it's just, it was just fucking awesome. Even it was even a miracle that Sean could make it because yeah, the way his life's changed and yeah. the, you know, having a kid, this was, I, I, he was on the same level you were. I could tell you guys were jamming so <laughs> hard right. together. It was it I'm was just awesome. Doing it, man. It was it was like seeing two brothers separated at I birth fucking, come back together. Or I something. just can't. I just can't. The I wish Sean was able to ride back with us because I, I, I feel like if Sean was there, maybe that thing wouldn't have broke. <laughs> I yeah, don't know maybe why. Not. I don't know why I feel like that, but like Sean would have been like, "No, now let's do this." Yeah. <laughs> You would figure there was this one time I took this piece of leather off of this piece of my jacket back in 1989 and made it work. <laughs> it's just it's just a magical group of people we put together. Well, I think good people find each other. I think it's it's I magnetic. Totally agree. It's a, it's a it's a polar thing. Shitty people find each other too, but uh, we've been Absolutely. really really lucky in this neighborhood that um you know it's remarkable because none of us knew Eric before he bought the place. Yeah. And we were all here and he just shows up. He's been one of the greatest additions to the desert. That's lucky neighbor. And he just landed yeah. here. Yeah. And, and that guy's been a part of almost every episode that I've ever done because I mean, and he, it's funny because he would, he had the VL, but he was not into choppers. Because I think he had some bad experiences with some of the people, maybe. Like, it was just, you know, or or not. It's an easy thing. It's an easy thing to have happen. But, you know, when he saw us riding around on these whole thing, uh, these old things, he was so ready and dove right in. Well, he's not afraid of any of this shit. He's like, fucking, I got all these crazy death traps that I wrap myself in all the time. And there ain't a seatbelt, but like, let's fucking go. It's been such a blessing to have him and Gwen here. And you'll meet her tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Well, I, I think I think what you, you know, you want to call it the Blue Todd cast or whatever you want to call it. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I and I am just amazed at the group of people that you've put together through the course of your life and and to come down and get to meet some of these people that aren't part of my life that but are part of yours and then spend days with them on the road going through all this fucking shit that we go through on the road and going through it with with ease and just effortlessly and and i don't know man i'm just stoked to be a part of the blue Todd cast thank man. you it's just, man. it's just what it is dude i've been counting down the days until i'd get you in this chair and oh, seeing you on, there dude. going into cozy mode come on makes me man. so happy it, there is no I don't know if there's any cozier mode I have than sitting down with one of my best friends and just catching up, man. Because it's we have, 
it's not even two years, man. It's like we haven't seen each other in two years, but yeah. like we haven't sat down like this in fucking eight years, man. You know, it doesn't it doesn't feel sitting down with you and and any of my my closest. It could be eight years, and we sit down. It's like no time passes. It's like remarkable, none. and that's when you know. You have something special, man, because I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not like, I have buddies that are like, you don't call. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here with that. You think I got time to fucking check in on you, dude? Like, live your life, bro. Like you're keeping score. Yeah. I've called like, you so like, many times. Like, listen, man. I, like, fuck off. Mm. Like, but sometimes I miss my friends. But like, that's the way it needs to be with great friends. They need to be able to live their lives. But when they connect, it needs to feel like no time has passed. That's the way I feel with, with uh, Brendan and, and uh, or Snake. I wish he you, was here so yeah, bad. Oh, I wish he, if he would have, I mean, oh, that would have been the icing on that the cake. That would have been the icing on Snake the cake for me. And he all knows. Oh my God. It was, it was a fucking cunt here. Of him being able I to I didn't even want to ask because you had never mentioned his name. And I'm like, I'm not even going to ask because I figure he's not coming. And it's it was so close, Tom. Bum me out. We were we were so close. When that strike happened I, or was happening, I called him and I was like, hey, man. I'm like, what's your plan? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, DVR is the 22nd. You're going on strike. It's going to happen. He's like, holy shit. Holy shit. I'm coming home. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's going to work. Uh, he was really disappointed that it couldn't because he's been working his ass off for no. six months away from home. I know. And I couldn't even go to his wedding and I was supposed to officiate his wedding. I mean, no one could. He didn't have one. I know. I know. Yeah. But it's just like, I mean, I fucking love that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a love that you know, I love, like same way I love you. It's just like, fuck. I it, it there's just people that you want to ride motorcycles with and he's one of those dudes for me. So so I was bummed, but I didn't let it get me down cuz I know that I'm going to ride fucking choppers with you we, guys again one are, of these days. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This was just priming the pump for more exactly. Can you imagine if this show gets some sort of backing oh, and I can pay you to come down here and we Dude, get to charge motorcycles never, through the Southwest or maybe even another never, country. Never have to pay me to come ride motorcycles. Sure, but I can ever. I can make it so you can afford to take the time and come here and do this thing. Game That's on, what we're bro. For, man. Game on. And I'll tell you, I I I read and everybody's if anybody's listening at this point because we've been talking for twelve hours <laughs> that I do read the emails and um. It just fills my heart with motiv more motivation to do this and work harder at it because uh, I know there is a desire to see a life on the road. Yeah, and I'm fuck, gonna I'm gonna deliver one way or another. Oh my if God. I have to pay for it, or if or you're if I, one of the greatest I've ever met at this stuff, because it just like fuck, man. I mean, we we're talking about this at the bar, and I think maybe we talked about it before. I can't remember at this point. I'm a couple of vodkas deep, and I'm I'm on some kratom, you know, as usual. But I'm liking this kratom. But uh, the thing is, man, if we are going to create a voice for a motorcycle for what's happening with motorcycles right now and and there's many different things happening with motorcycles but if we're going to create a voice for choppers 
and what our group of people are doing. It needs to be somebody who's out there with these people doing it, not just some fucking dude who you know is famous i agree that agrees he wants to do it and i and i'm this isn't a dig on famous people but like but like dude those people are out busy doing their shit but they're not fucking riding motorcycles seven days a week and they're not going to dvr and they're not fucking going to born free and they're not fucking building choppers in their garage and that's like the only way you can tell this story they're not out there almost dying every fucking time they kick the bike over and that's that's what it is man i don't think you could i don't think you could do this and get the same results if you were recognizable the thing about me doing it is it's sure it's like you're, you'll hear my voice in some of these but it's your voiceover it's literally your voice that people are going to be associating with this adventure and you if you knew me before um because i was recognizable in some sort of public way you're not going to react to me the same way as if it's someone that you're getting to know more organically or with less i guess uh i don't want to call it contrivance but less um what's the word i'm looking for because fuck i don't know well if if you have an opinion of me at this point i'm not a wordsmith if you have an idea a preconception a preconception thank you you. all right was that the word preconception we found it hello bingo wordsmith bingo but you have a preconception whether it's favorable or not it's gonna change the way you behave could it could in comparison to a perfect stranger who you are just getting to know or one of your best friends but what i'm saying when we're on the road and we're meeting people and that's happening if you're someone that's famous a lot of these preconceptions come with it and you i don't think you get the same because you act a different way and i mean you and, do. and that's, that's my point and that's what i'm saying there's an authenticity and this is what i was telling you months and months ago i was like you know i've listened to every fucking was watching your youtubes and you know of course i know every one of those dudes and yeah. uh and not they're not all my best friends but like some of them are really really close friends of mine and it just you you hear real people talking i mean i i fucking love these guys and i like listening to sean talk and 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 austin talk and al talk and um you know i can't rattle off the rest of them but i've listened to every one of them and it's just like i fucking love these guys i had no idea al boy's dad died and like al boy's dad dragged him out and i was just like fuck man and you know I've known I've known Al almost as long as I've known you, yeah, and yeah. I don't I certainly have not spent nearly as much time with him. But I was like, "Fuck, man!" Yeah, and that you know because I like Al, I love Al, Al and Brittany, like I fucking love them, and it just kind of clicked some things together for me with Al. You know, it was just like, "Wow, that's an interesting thing about Al's life," and to hear. You know, he's going to say the same thing about you when he listens to this interview. Whatever. He will. No, Al doesn't give a fuck about anything I'm doing. But I mean, Al and I are buddies. He's busy. He's busy raising three fucking kids with his beautiful wife and fucking moving into Victorian. That's going to destroy his life. You're exactly right. He's busy. And and that's why he's going to listen, because he can put this thing on in his shop. Where he's hearing it right now coming through the microphone and he's learning about Tom if Jones. This, if this motivates Al to, to work on that Victorian, then I am stoked. But look, when I was talking earlier about being overwhelmed 
sitting in a room full of my friends who have just untold amounts of talent it's i feel i feel calm knowing that i now have a venue or a voice to tell that and explain or offer a way for people to understand how talented these people are and give them a little a little bit of what they deserve that's a much more eloquent way of putting it because i listen to it and these dudes that i've known for years i finally get to meet them yeah. you know because i've never my my experience with a lot of these guys is like brief you know it's kind of like you know it might be just side of the road it might be in their garage for a few minutes it might be in their shop for a few minutes and then and then to really hear them speak for an hour and talk about their lives and and learn about them it just kind of made it makes me yearn for more you know and yeah. and like and like when i see them the next time i see them which might be years later i just I, I see them in a different way, you know. I see them as a as a as a son that's lost his father, as a son that's affected by that, as a, as a. It, it's just it's just different, you know. You you see those people in, differently. Those insights are important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think it can make you. I think maybe more understanding about people's qualities because sometimes, it, it it's hard to to be around all kinds of people all the time and uh and i'm not the best at being around people all the time uh and uh and i appreciate anytime i can go deeper with somebody and just learn a little bit more and and i compare that to to becoming a father you know when you watch a human being evolve from a baby to a 17 year old boy it gives you a an insight on how he on humans that like I think makes you more patient and more understanding and and when you get a background and a history on a person um it makes you more understanding to the way that they are and the way that you know and it's just like I love it I, I I mean I love it and and I called you and I told you this I was like fuck man I've been listening to all your things and it I just love it I, I love because 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 these people are people that I know whether I know them really well or not I'm like I see the name pop up and I'm like I have a memory of almost every one of these people and uh, and I'm fortunate enough to have that because I am stupid enough to be into <laughs> shitty old bikes you know and um and thank you, Dennis Hong, for making that happen. Thank and, you, Dennis. Uh, me too, man. Yeah, you sired yeah, yeah. me in too, he man. Fucking, fucking brought, brought the heat. And, Troy uh, DePaulo. Speaking yeah. of that, this was, yeah, this was the tenth anniversary. No, ninth, ninth. Next year's the tenth. Oh, is next year the tenth? Next year's the tenth. It was twenty twelve. Was the first one. Was it? This is the ninth annual. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I went. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Here, hold on. Oh, uh, I think this was the tenth. Are you sure? I yeah. think next year's the tenth. No, I believe so because wasn't it written? It wouldn't. No, hold in, this. In your... Hold this. Okay, I'm holding it. Hold on. I'm gonna get my wallet. Your headphones are still on. Uh, hold on. We're gonna figure this out. Oh, because you got you have the card. Existed from the one that the last one Troy lived uh, was alive for. 
The seventh annual was 2018. Oh, fuck. It's 10. It was the 10th. It's, this is the 10th anniversary. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my. Wait, where are my headphones? Holy that shit. was, yeah, that was. Because it was written, it was written on the fridge in Inyo Kern at the bar that we always stop at. They were like, what? they were so nice about it. They were so happy when they came had back. Troy's patch. And the they had Troy's wall. patch on the wall. And. Grossman pointed that I had I didn't even know because there's very little on the walls there so and it was in a it was in like a place that I don't know I was just distracted so it was yeah. just it was just I don't know man it I'm thankful to have you know Troy and I were never really close until he had kids yeah and then we got close and I think that was because of some of the people I was associated with up in Seattle that that he didn't have a, a great relationship with but I'm so happy he got to do that. I'm so I'm so happy that he he he, he had the arc, man. He did it. He but he, he has lived. a legacy. He has a legacy. Yeah. With his family. Yeah. He has a legacy with that entire group of friends, and that group of friends, like you know, the Wildcat group of friends. I mean, that is that is the epitome of choppers, yeah. right there. I mean, those dudes love him or hate him. Those dudes are the epitome of choppers yeah. in the area that he that he came into his own. You know, I mean, yeah. he was into choppers in Seattle, and and uh, he was miserable in Seattle. He was miserable in Seattle. I mean, that's what I always heard, and yeah. that's what he told me when I got to know him a little better. But but uh, I don't think I don't think he understood how miserable he was until he started coming. You know, Chico Moto was. Uh, his his blog, you know, if yeah. anybody's look wants to look up Troy, his Instagram is Chico Moto, and um, I believe he was on a trip coming down here uh, on his XS six fifty, and he broke down in Chico Moto, and or in, in, Chico, in Chico, California, yeah. and uh, he had such an impressionable time on that trip and meeting those guys that uh, that became his name, yeah, you know, and and it changed his trajectory, and then when he came to California. It was he was like hanging out with a different guy. Yeah, it it changed everything, and and so you know the rest of us followed. It was, but he's he 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 was a great leader, and he created a legacy not only with his children, but he started back up a run that's been dead for over thirty years, you know maybe over forty years actually, and uh, and now. That legacy lives. It's along. only getting better. Too. I know. I know. It's crazy. And it's every year, you know, what was awesome for me was hearing how many people brought up the memory of Troy in, in this thing because it, because that really is what's important. And Troy's bike is right fucking there, riding with us. I you know, know, with the dragons on the tank and fuck. And the fact that Matt Busby is riding seeing it, Busby on that it's thing, just fucking it couldn't even get better, dude. Oh, you know, man. and. And I don't know, man. It's just, it's just being a part of that community. Is do you think people have this community in things thing. like golf? I don't fucking I don't know. Th I don't know that it exists. Any what they have in golf, like, dude. That, 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 like, I don't. My like, point is, I, I don't golf. So yeah. it's just, but just like fuck that. Yeah. Like they aren't almost dying every time they jump on <laughs> that golf cart. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I, if I was driving it, they might they might be. There's listen, probably a few I've, people I've, who have died I've on I've seen golf a couple carts. broken arms on a golf cart yeah. with a with some high speed turns, but uh, it's just it, it, to me that's almost one of the greatest things about this DVR is just how many times there was an homage to Troy. Yeah. Because none of us would be doing this if he hadn't decided. You know what? I heard about this Death Valley fucking run, and I want to start it back up. You know, yeah. and now and, it's now it's the thing every every one of us. It's a ride every one of us look forward to every and year. Think we, about and every person on every stop, even Walt, who got fucking so dicked right. over a couple yeah. of years ago. He's like. It's good to have you guys back. Yeah. And the people in Inyokern have a fucking memorial up to him. I yeah. mean, this is a big deal. And they love it. And people, the chef was apologizing uh, to us at the camp at fucking Panamint saying, hey, we'll do better next year. And I'm just like, what are you even talking about, dude? Like, you think any of this fucking care, man? I mean, yeah. fuck, dude. We were just happy to be there. Yeah, I mean, dude. It, I don't know, man. It feels cliche that we sit here and we talk about how magical all this shit is because this is our lives. But fuck, man. I wish everybody could get there with something. I wish. Like if you follow I, yeah. your passion. As an artist, as I do. As an artist, whether you arrive at a place where you can afford um, a comfortable life or not. You know, I, fuck that. I don't think a comfortable life is part of being an artist. Honestly. Well, well, it's not. I don't not. know anybody. I don't know anybody who doesn't really but, struggle. But fuck choppers. Fuck all that. Just go ride motorcycles. Like, I don't think it needs to be a chopper. I really don't. I think, I think you can jump on that fucking weird Triumph 900 thing that that dude was on at the fucking gas station at what was that Pahrump or where, where were we oh we were in uh, Shoshone Shoshone yeah like that dude was just as stoked to be traveling for days on that motorcycle and he had his crew and he had all the, that dude pulls up to every gas station and he goes fuck man that 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 fucking uh, caravan almost in that semi almost killed us yeah. they all have the same thing except their bikes stop there's something about being vulnerable that <laughs> yeah. makes that makes actually arriving yeah. anywhere. But I'm not uh, saying that's a positive feature yeah. of the yeah. thing. But if you have the right mindset for it, it can be what gets you into it. I mean, I know you and me are thrill seekers. We, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a pro skater. You, you have your experience with extreme sports, and like we both kind of yearn for danger you know and and when that left our lives when choppers came in it was just like well here we go let's fucking ride it was, this it was a perfect fit for that boy <laughs> yeah like i can wait i can almost die every minute i'm on this thing sick well it's also it's it's a puzzle it's it's the greatest puzzle because you put that thing together and it's not just something pretty to look at i mean it is just that but then you throw a leg over it and ride that fucking yeah. thing yeah. and it takes you to these magical places I don't think that sunset would have been quite as bright and I don't think that 
you know, those cactuses would have been so glorious if we wouldn't have been on the back of those bikes. Oh, of course not. It's of just, not. it just heightens everything. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And it's not, it's, it, I don't fucking know how to put it into words, but I think you do a pretty good job. Well, I don't know. It, it It's just, it's just one of those things, man, that you can't. I, you can't replace it, you know, and it's it's like. Let me let me say this. I think that say it. I think that uh, it's a really it's a really hard thing to translate, especially to the people who are um, elites. Kind of like a bad word to use. I think um, poor choice of words. Those who are so familiar, really, they know it as a feeling they have probably stopped trying to translate it. I really want to hit it on the head with how this thing is explained yeah, and represented. And I'm terrified. Or it needs to be done. I'm terrified that someone else is going to try and somehow wiggle their way into a position to misrepresent all of us. Well, as far as I've seen, nobody's even close to doing that. Well, that's, that's what I'm concerned about. No offense to so, anybody that's trying to do it. And I like, understand the pursuit of it. We're just trying to do the same thing, but I really want to do it in a way that, you know, even, even the most critical, the even the most critical person can like feel represented by what they but see all here. the while changing nothing yes, in riding exactly. the motorcycles every day, exactly. building the motorcycles in a garage every day doing it doing putting in the work man this is not fucking smoke and mirrors man this is fucking hard fucking work dude yeah. i don't have a fucking follow truck that comes and works on my bike when it breaks down i fucking fix it i have everything i need in a bag that i lean against as i clock miles man and that's the way it's been for 12 years you know, and there were part, there were times in those twelve years where I didn't know what the fuck I was doing or didn't know how to fix anything. And at this point, it's like, bring it on, you know. And and even in that, even in, even when you, I'm I'm never, how would I put this? I'm never shocked anymore about the exactitude of circumstances that can overlap and teach me something new or I see something I've never seen before evolve in one of these motors or or on the road and I'm almost at this point when it when something like that does happen I'm excited by it I see that I've saw I saw that on this trip as a matter yeah. of fact I do not in get there. as excited yeah yeah I do not yeah. get as excited about it but what I've learned is that whether it's woodworking or motorcycles, it really doesn't fucking matter. It can all be fixed. It can all be mended. Sometimes it can be mended instantaneously. Like we had, we had fucking five different fuck ups that happened on this trip and they were all mended within 20 minutes. You know, some of them mended in literally seconds, you know, like a fuse popped. Yeah, you know, standard running out of gas. Standard right? problems. It's like tip, just just typical bullshit. Dude, right? I can't. I cannot believe how good how good we all did with until Eric's little hiccup. I really God, thought. I, we thought were, I really thought we were going to bang the whole we way were. home, and it was going to be one of the most. It still will go down in history 
for the miles that we did in the days that we traveled, it will still go down in history as one of the most uneventful trips I ever had in terms of catastrophic failure. Did you even turn a wrench on your bike? Not one fucking wrench. I never saw you turn a fucking wrench on your bike. Not one wrench. That's amazing, man. I didn't. I didn't, didn't mean my bike ran perfect. Let's, let's just let me just let me just not make any you know delusions of grandeur here. My bike ran pretty good some of the days, like shit some of the days, and in the cooler temperatures ran fucking perfect. Um, but I think the only thing I can say is a testament to to really understanding your motorcycle. And I you know I built that engine from scratch. I built that gearbox from scratch. I built that whole bike, you know, and a lot of those parts are Harley stock Harley parts, but like anything that moves and is mechanical, I put together, right? And when you do that, you know what you can and can't get away. You know what you have to be worried about when you don't have to be worried about. And there were all kinds of weird shit happening. I mean, you rode next to me. You've heard that carb popping at 71. That that, that carb got really grumpy. The high winds weren't helping. Uh, in some of the sidewind situations in the desert. And when you're riding in the desert, you get tons of sidewind. And you just got to know when you need to worry about it when you don't. And I just get it. Don't give a fuck, dude. If the thing is running, I just like, if it's popping and starting and getting grumpy, I just twist the throttle a little Find more. Find sweet just spot. Keep going. Yeah. They yeah. call that the Italian tuna. Exactly. I mean, because the sweet spot could be 73 instead of 70. You know what I'm saying? And you just push through that shit. And the only way you know how to do that. Is if you've ridden tens of thousands of miles on these shitty old bikes. But you know what I knew wasn't going to happen? The engine wasn't going to fail. The gearbox wasn't going to fail. The the clutch wasn't going to fail. The brakes weren't. The brakes have failed for 12 years. Oh, they never had brakes. Yeah. Who fucking cares? Yeah. That's the, why I don't run a brake yeah, light. I don't have a brake. sealed wheel bearings on the front wheel weren't going to fail. They're brand new, so I can at least get oh, a thousand miles. Oh, you have sealed wheel bearings in there? On, yeah, it's a spool, dude. It's just a spool. Oh, on your yeah, front wheel. Yeah, a spool with an axle. No, no, no. My rear, <laughs> the rear wheel, it's not even, <laughs> Yeah. I considered repacking that Star Hub. Yeah. It's a 12-year-old Star Hub. Oh, my God. That has 40,000 miles on it. That when it's up on a lift, if I jiggle the wheel, probably moves a quarter of an inch. Oh, that's an exciting. And I almost. It's, it's lucky your bike's so long because that's probably what's stable. Listen, do not take advice from me, but I almost took the wheel off before I before I went. But that involved taking the chain, pulling the axle, doing the whole thing, and then when I opened it up, what if the what if the hub was toast? Yeah, and then I had to put what relace a wheel do that whole thing even though i have like oh, five 16 inch wheels it's a but fucking how fuck, mess how fucked up are those wheels who knows yeah. never even thought about it right yeah. they're just sitting on a rack i hate star Hub so, so then much. we start going into them and then i got a fucking like like heaven forbid i gotta deal with all that oh, stuff dude, you gotta measure every bearing that's days every bearing make sure everything it's is days yeah. it's days yeah. okay so you know what i said if it does if that wheel fucks me so be it <laughs> You can guess what the wheel did not fuck did me. Not fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I've had them fuck me. I still finished. I've the never trip. had a star f- hub fuck me. I spent never once. three days in a shipping container scrounging pieces of other uh, star hubs to put one together. Where was still this? It. Kansas? It, no, no. It was uh, a trip up to Sea Snake's mom. In uh, how? What? Where was Star Hub parts at Snake's mom's house? 
No, no, no. Because I've met her. So There's what, no way she has Starhub parts. What happened was we left from L.A. from the Chun, and we rode our trip through around uh, Sultan Sea up through Mecca, Box Canyon, into Joshua Tree. You did that with Snake? Yes. Oh, man, and we're we coming, do that again. we're coming up through almost where we are right here, and it fails. Do you remember Tony and Annie? Did you meet them? Uh, did you ever hang out at their place? Tony. Tony had a shipping container full of parts. Oh, okay. I don't know if I knew Tony. Not land speed Tony, right? No. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, they, they moved to um, Colorado and started a, a hotel there in Colorado. Okay. But this is when they were here, and he was like, yep, got what you need. There it is. I called Sean. Sean grabbed me uh, Starhub off the rack at the shop because he was coming out here this weekend, dropped it off at Tony's house. I slept on their floor, just La- just finding every the piece. wheel. When I say you have to mic every bearing, I literally had to pull them out of every because at that point I had my my star hub that failed. I well, you had, should be miking every bearing anyway. So yeah. if you're listening to this, I like, had the one that on. Sean brought me, and then I had the one that Tony had. So I fucking found all the pieces that I needed yep. within spec. And you should be micing it to the tenth. To for the record put the whole thing back together and you know how those those fucking things are it's like it's they're the most annoying it is like the most idiotic engineer in the history of now mankind sit, the same engineer that designed the knucklehead engine designed the Starhub wheel now sit there in a shipping container in like the middle of July in the desert and, and do that fun fun yeah but we still made it Snake and I still made it and his his oil pump his oil pump was it was chewing we thought it was chewing up the woodruff key and he was spitting oil out his breather intermittently throughout a trip to the point there's no oil in his bike we'd pull over we pull the oil pump apart we'd look in there that sounds no, more like no, chain oiler math math what was happening maladjusted it it was a fucking mess but we rebuilt his oil pump on the side of the road seven times but what was it through. that did it? His piston skirts were falling apart. We didn't know that. And so it wasn't scraping. Well, it was ch- the metal was working its way through the oil pump and sometimes binding and and breaking the what? woodruff key. Yeah. What are you even talking about? Yeah, dude, this was this was literally it happening. Broke weird Piston ring scrapings. Not piston rings. His piston, parts of his piston, the skirts on the back of the piston. So he was slopping, the piston was slopping, breaking, slushing off pieces of aluminum. Yeah. And it was gumming up the gears and and hanging them up. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. And, And that bike still ran and made that entire trip. Until we got back to the Chun to the, to L.A. and took it apart and realized what what was happening. Unbelievable! It was chewing itself to pieces and still did a seventeen hundred mile trip. So all the people that want to sit around and say Harley's are junk, I have watched Harley Davidson motorcycles. And this is not an advert for the motor company, but I have seen the worst human beings in the world abuse those motorcycles. <laughs> To the point where you would think there is no humanly possible way they could run 
and they fucking keep running. And I will say this on the record. I have never in my life met a Harley Davidson, no matter how old, no matter how long parked, no matter how fucked up, that I couldn't get started in an hour. That's the beauty and the curse. Sometimes five minutes. Yeah. That haven't started in 40 years. <laughs> okay. And I have gotten them started in five minutes. Yeah. It's, uh, they are badass motorcycles. They have their flaws as a designer. I know what all those flaws are, but it's just crazy the rap these bikes get. I live, I remember, we were at fucking Twin Line yeah. surrounded by Japanese and British bikes. 24 yeah. hours a day and they the whole thing about harleys they leak oil they do all, those bikes leak more oil than any harley i've ever seen in my fucking life so this whole like only harleys leak oil thing is the biggest bullshit story i've ever heard in my life they I mean, were made to leak oil right people don't understand that they're that total was not a dry a total loss yeah. oil system like yeah. whether you're talking about pre recirculating pump or or post recirculating they're designed to fling oil out of every goddamn orifice they had onto chains and onto shit and then out onto the road. Who gave a shit? It's natural. Yeah, it's natural. It's natural. So, I mean, we're going to have the environmentalists all up our ass on this one. I'm going to piss my pants. Oh, so I'm here, gonna, you want me take your microphone? Yeah, take my mic. Yeah. What are we going to do? You want to pause it? Um, yeah, I'll pause it first. Round five. We got to wrap it. I will wrap it. Oh, my God, I'm so tired. I can't even find this stop button. I allow people to have their own opinions. I won't ever preach at them. Though. I mean, we're going to get heavy if we're going to go I'm, at the Texas thing. I'm not. I don't want to go down that road. But the, your experience with adoption and being such a spokesperson for that is you're an interesting position because you can really see both sides of the coin on a certain level. Yeah, but I'm still pro-choice. Oh, I know. I yeah. get it. Yeah, as as I think you should be. Because I'm pro-human rights, man. Like, yeah. I'm not going to let... Yeah. Like, like the, with the whole COVID thing and all, all the shit that's going on right now, I'm just saying you're it's like, a listen, good, dude. You're a, good, you're a good explanation of how that option can work. Listen, I am lucky. Okay, I am lucky. But it was not my right to be a part of this experience. It was not my right to do it. It was a choice that my mother got to make, man. Yeah. It was not my right, you know? Yeah. And, and as long as I'm in that woman's body, it's her choice to make, man. I, I don't get to make that fucking choice. And if she wasn't ready, like she, like she, like my mother, 39 years later, looked me in the eyes and told me, what the fuck? These fucking assholes out there going that trying to make decisions for her what would my life have been if she wasn't ready and knowingly wasn't ready had no partner that she wanted to to make this happen with fuck that dude yeah. i mean fuck that you're gonna make and and what some human being a th a two thousand miles away gets to make that decision for you some fucking jerk off in dc gets to make these decisions for me it's setting Fuck setting off. people up for Fuck some off dude. some real disasters. We don't men don't get to make decisions for women, and that is a fact. Okay, 
like I don't care how you slice it. I'm adopted, and I am pro-choice because it is not my right as an as a fucking zygote to decide, you know, how I come into this world. And and you can have spirit. You can have all these. I mean, I'm going on. I'm going on one right now, and it's going to get me in a lot of trouble. But <laughs> but listen, dude, it's just not. And I'm here because because I'm lucky and I'm fortunate. And I was adopted by a family that was ready. And and pro-lifers can sit there and they can argue for adoption. But that's not what happens. All these mothers that don't have abortions don't always get to put their kids up for adoption. And then they have to raise them. And they're not ready and they're not capable and this is not a character flaw this is not anything other than circumstantial and fuck dude just forcing anybody to do anything does you not don't, set you well don't get with to me. do it yeah just like you put the sign on the door and say mass required and some people don't want to do it. you don't get to force them to do it man you just don't get to do it and whether you like it or not it's not your decision to make, man. It's not. We live in some weird times, man. We live in some good times, but there's some weird times. It really is, man. And and I have my stance on all of it. I do. And and we could go on one. We could get down and we could get dirty and we could get <laughs> you know, people excited, we could get people angry and and but the bottom line is like we're all here and we're all living our lives and and I think at the end of the day, I know this. I know that I was raised by a family that loved me, that I had no blood relation to, and they cared for me, loved me, and set me up for success. And then I fucked all that up, and then I snapped out of it, and I built my life on that fucking mountain of failures and I worked hard for it and then I met an amazing woman a beautiful woman that gave me two amazing children I've fought so hard to make that work and uh, and I was fortunate for all of it because the woman that carried me in her belly for nine months decided that she couldn't do it she was not a religious person she just decided that that's what didn't want that's not what she wanted to do and in the end of the day, I just feel fortunate, you know? And, uh, but that doesn't change my opinion about any of it. I love that. I love that. Because it, it... And what, and like you said, I support anybody, anybody. I, what I do, my advocacy for, for an adopted person, human is anytime I meet anybody that can't have children and is considering adoption, I step up and I go, you know what? I'm adopted. And uh, my mom made that decision and uh, and she wasn't ready. And, it, and, and I would have been so fortunate to be with a family like you that wanted a child more than anything and couldn't have one. And I think that every time a person that's been in through my 
situation, telling that to somebody that's even on the fence, like we're thinking about adopting. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're even thinking about it, let me tell you a story of my life and, and how important it was for the two people that thought about it, about it and adopted me and changed my life. I know, a, I know a lot of adopted people the more that I think about it. I think that it, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. I mean, Emily Snake's wife. Do you know that? She's, yeah, she's absolutely. Adopted. Yeah, because she's Korean. These are some of the, and these, my brother's Korean. So we talked about it. Yeah. These are these are just some of the, some of the best adjusted people that I know. I think she, she's Korean, right? Yeah, Emily's Korean. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm pretty sure I talked to her about it. Yeah, and, and my cousins are adopted, and I don't I don't know a lot about the fa- my family on the blue boss side, but I have two adopted cousins from my my dad's sister. Or were they locally adopted, like in the Kansas, in the state? Um, Colorado, I believe. Okay, so but in, in the, the Midwest, yeah, yeah, in the Midwest, yeah, and they're fucking awesome. They love their mom and dad so much. You know, and I understand every, everything can be bad, but life can be bad. You can be born into your family, and fucking life can suck. Like, trust me. Yeah, I've been around the block. I know that it's hard, but for people that can't have children that go through the effort of adopting, especially these days, it's like, dude, they want it bad. They want to be parents. And so I support them. Yeah. But I also am not so belligerent that I think government should control a human being's body. Like, I'm not belligerent, dude. I'm not crazy. It's just not, we can't force people to have babies don't want them and we also can't force people to not have sex like what, what can we do they think you can and yeah, should they can. accept both those things mm-hmm. I, I mean it's I don't it's know I, I'm, so archaic we can catch we can cash it the funny thing about this is if this makes it in is we're gonna catch shit no matter what I know we say I, I'm aware of that and, but, but uh, you, and I hate to be in there, but like, like here, here, this is on the record. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about my opinion regarding adoption, pro-life and pro-choice because I am adopted and I've experienced <laughs> yeah. that. And if you want to fucking talk to me about, you know, the fact that my, my mother was pro, she wasn't pro-life. My mom, my mom is pro-choice. My biological mother is pro-choice. She just made that decision. Yeah. At that moment in her life. Because I asked her. One of the first things I was like. She made the are decision. You, I was like, are you Because pro-life? it was and hers she goes, to make. Yeah. And she goes, you know what? I just couldn't. And you know why she did it? It's because she loved my fucking dad. She so, loved him. So, so if you offer people the choice, they still may make the choice to have you. Yeah. And. I don't. I. I just can't. I. I. I know it's an absolute thing. It's like this. But why do we want to keep people from doing something they want to do when it comes to their life? Like, why do we want to keep moms from having the option of doing something that they would decide to do? Well, because it's murder. (laughs) It's a. It's a. It's. Are you pro-life? pro-life fuck no 
Okay, well, you're shocking me. Well, I'm, I'm or you're making you're starting ex- a statement. Okay. I'm explaining okay. why they feel so passionately about it. I'm trying to explain it on this kratom. Okay, uh, which is not. Are you vibing? Just, I'm vibing hard. Dude. Sick, dude. You, see you look low, like you're vibing. You, low <laughs> you look like you're vibing, seat. dude. I'm stoked for you. But I mean, they they really think they're saving babies. They're saving the souls of babies. That's yeah. what they really they really believe that. All right, and so. But then who raises those babies? Who well, pays for it? Who raises them? What kind of quality of life do those babies you're have? You're absolutely right. When it's they're not kicked a into the system. It's not a pragmatic approach yeah. to saving human souls. Are the people walking around with the signs with dead fetuses, are they, are they saving these babies? Are they out raising these children? No, definitely not. Absolutely not. I think we're going down a rabbit hole. We, we are doing Yeah, yeah. We should, we should nip this in the bud. Uh, yeah, because this is going nowhere positive. This is not making it in there. I don't think. Probably not. We and we we should stop. definitely not even waste another second talking about this. Well, we should wrap it up before I literally fall asleep with this microphone in my hand. Oh, I think my I hand have, is asleep. I think I might have the cured. blood is run from the position it's into in your wiener, my elbow, my <laughs> into the peroni. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. I think here's the, here's the thing. Why don't you tee it up? Why don't you tee up the rap? All right. Um, the best rides happen with the best people. And I have been so blessed to know you and that your your mom, your biological mother, if I ever have the chance to meet her. Lisa uh, Smith. Lisa Smith. I am going to thank her from the bottom of my heart because... Um, because I love you so much, Tom, and uh, I can't thank you enough for being such a huge part of my life. For so oh, long. buddy, and <sighs> I drove nineteen and a half hours in a single day to come down here, and I planned for two days, packed for two days with a smile on my face, because I hadn't seen you in over two years, and I hadn't ridden motorcycles with you for eight years and I couldn't have been more excited to do it with anybody than you man and it's impossible to describe the the excitement you get when you know you're going to see somebody that you love that much and and like we've said a million times in this it doesn't matter how much time passes you you just know when you got a good one man and and I'm honored to be a part of this thing that you're doing but more so I'm just I'm just so stoked that we met and I'm so thankful those stars aligned and, and and it was my good friends that made that all that happen dude and it was just you know I believe in all that wacky shit like fate and all that kind of stuff and and that good people attract good people and 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 uh and every minute I spend with you I know that that's a real thing and I just we're the lucky ones, Tom. We are, man. We're we so are. fucking lucky. <laughs> we are, and 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 people are gonna think that this whole thing is bonkers and crazy and long. But like, I could sit in this chair with you and catch up. I have fucking eight years of catching up to you, <laughs> and uh, and it really, it really, we spent so much time together back then, and we we went through so much crazy stuff man there's not enough time there's not enough hours in the day to make 
to do this, you know? And so I couldn't wait. I'm couldn't so wait glad you couldn't, you. man. I'm so glad that you couldn't. You tell Ryan, thank you for, <laughs> from me for this because it's been too long. And that's, that's also, it's too, I just, I've just waited too long to see you. That's, that's, that was the problem. Well, but we fixed it. The fact that you were as excited as you were brings me tremendous joy. Yeah, man. I fucking love you. I love your wife. I love everything you've done here. It just, your accomplishments since then, the book. We've never even talked about your book and how it affected my, I just, I couldn't be more proud of you, man. I well, really could not, dude. I really could not. You and saw you saw the whole you saw it all from the beginning. I saw it all, man. Yeah. And you let me be a part of it. And um Well, I could say the same thing. I mean, part of part of that reason of me pursuing it was watching you make the decisions you have in life. I mean fuck off with all that, but I it it's it, true. It it, it, it I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And if that really is what happened, then, it is. Then it's I, very it, true. Then I am thankful that uh, that I was able to do that. And 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 uh, I fucking love you, man. I really do. Soldier for life, brother. Okay, if you're still with me, <laughs> thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and sticking this out. Um, I hope you got something out of it, and I apologize for that quick ending uh, our battery ran out yet again that's how much talking tom and i can do when you get us on one and get a little uh vodka and whatever else we can just go and go and go i miss that guy tom i miss you thank you this has been a we'll always have this you know everybody who sits in this chair we will always have this it, it, as long as the, the polar solar flare caps don't flip this will always be out there and, and that makes me very happy so thanks again everyone and stay tuned I'm not going to do a reading from any stories because you've just I've asked way too much of you already but we will do another story very soon I'll, I'll probably just slip one in there um, in between the interviews make it its own podcast Okay, I'm going to go to bed. I, I love you guys. You know, ride safe. Stay tuned. Stick with me. We're going to keep it going. So long.